This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Cora, Hugo winner. <laughs> Hi, I'm David J. West, Pulp Fiction writer. And we are going to talk about Easy Go by Michael Crichton, writing as John Lang. First published in 1968 under the title Easy Go, and then uh, re-released, especially in the UK, I think, under the title The Last Tomb, which is actually probably... Um, better title although i like the title easy go the last tune fits the book a lot more um i think it's a pretty terrific book really fun what do you guys think i liked it all right i i was a little bit thrown by what is this going to be about mm. when it was just easy go yeah come easy go uh um, what what's the title mean um, easy, easy come, go. easy go. This is what I think. I think exactly what it means. Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, their their dreams of fame and fortune come and they pass on uh, small turns of fate. So, yeah. Easy come, is easy that go. what the book's really about, though? About getting cash? Um, that depends. I'm not quite sure what this book is about. What does Cora think? What does Hugo Winner Cora Bueller think? <laughs> well, um. I like so it. It's um, part Indiana Jones, of course, or not Indiana Jones because there was no Indiana Jones. Right, but, uh, it's pre Indiana Jones. The things which inspired Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it's part a kind of heist story, mm-hmm. and like uh, I think the, what what's the top copy is this the one it reminds me most mm-hmm. of, of, which was uh, actually already out at the time because of course you always have to consider what actually was out at the time. Or mm-hmm. uh, also oceans. So yes, it's a nice mix of heist. Actually, I, one thing I do really disapprove of, um, of people stealing archaeological treasures, uh, treasures for themselves, because, uh, personally, I believe such things belong into a museum. So yes, I was initially, um, inclined to very much disapprove of these, of this, uh, this group of, um, of people, but okay, the book doesn't really pretend that they're good people because they're not. Well, not, uh, not, let's see. Not the girls, the girls with you, yeah. right? What's the girl's name? Yeah, but you get to like them, actually, sort of. Even though I was disapproved of what they, what they did. I don't mind Nico killing children. That's fine. Um, <laughs> well, Lisa, is that her name? That doesn't sound right. Yes. Lisa? Lisa? Yes. Okay. So she she's saying the whole thing is how how much, how expensive are you? And he, she says $10 million, $10 million right? Um, she's always on him to, uh, you know you're doing the wrong thing here. Um I think maybe that's the problem with the book. I think the ending doesn't work that great. I like it, but it doesn't work that great. I don't think the title works that great either. I think The Last Tomb is uh, a better title, although Easy Go is a funner title. But, like, I didn't expect the ending to end the way it did. I th- no, it's sort of I, soft, right? I thought it, it was suddenly... I, th- I thought it was sudden. I was kind of thinking, is there good- how is this going to wrap up? When I was looking at the last 10 minutes, I yeah. was like, whoa, where's, where's, is something wrong with my copy? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was worried about too. I was like, I haven't read this pre- previously, so is it going to work out? Um, he finishes the book, and I think it's an okay ending. But um, I-, I thought another way to end it is put them all in prison. <laughs> 
and then it's low. so this and then give a hint to the sequel just not that there needs to be a sequel but that getting out of prison is going to be the the uh <laughs> the sequel you know we'll work our way out of this um yeah it's it's very soft at the end it becomes uh mushy and i think it's semi justified by the text um the reveal of the uh the um clever uh egyptian archaeology department yeah yeah because the big big because the the book is kind of implying that the egyptians are bumbling and they they're, they're thinking rings around them and have this all planned out when <laughs> and then no the egyptian author, egyptian authorities are 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 step ahead of you and mm. I mean, even without, I mean, until they reveal that, uh, until the, the soup reveal, I thought, okay, this book is about the, the small changes of chance. If he hadn't left the scarab there, they never would have found out everything would have been fine. And then we get the reveal of the, uh, of the wedding present with the cancer soup. Like, oh no, not even the, the scarab was just an additional fill up. They had them, they had their mark from the beginning. Mm. I appreciated that because, yeah. because it kind of goes against the, the whole, the, the, it gets against, you know, like the stupid, this, the uh, these 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 stupid foreigners who don't know anything it it, it, it undercuts that uh, very toxic yeah world. the stupid foreigners uh, were smarter than the stupid Americans and it depends on who the foreigner is depending on how we yeah. look at it right so the foreigners coming in to rob this this country is mm-hmm. the standard right I mean it yeah, I mean Egypt has been robbed by foreigners uh, for almost its entire existence, mm-hmm. starting with the Romans. Mm-hmm. Romans, they, uh, Even before the Romans, the Assyrians, and the Greeks, the, Syrians, the, Greeks the, the Greeks, them before them. Yes, so they, yeah. yeah. They they know what it's like, and uh, they're not. Also, they know that uh, they have a lot of really valuable things lying around, which are which are tempting targets for treasure hunters. So yes, they know how. And I like this actually that the Egyptians were the clever ones. No, I, I also, think that's all good. What I really liked about this is also that it's, uh, it's uh, even though yes, it plays on the stupid foreigner, but I mean one of the but uh, it's uh, for, by 1960 standards, it's remarkably diverse. We have the the black guy who is not a uh, stupid muscle, but he's actually also an archaeologist. Just mm-hmm. we have uh, Egyptians who are smart. So yes, I liked I liked this because this is not something you expect in a book. Written in nineteen, well, it starts in nineteen sixty-eight. We had Mission Impossible was a, which had a black character, and he was a smart one. But it's not really something you expect in books of this era. This is something you expect maybe of from the eighties. It's onward. all very well character, characterly done. I, I just, I think it's almost like what's he, what he started to do was write a, a hard novel. A, um, if it was a movie, we'd call it a noir. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard. And it, uh, I was surprised a bunch of places throughout. One of the surprises is that we switch main characters, right? It starts off with the archeo- uh, the archaeologist specialist in hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. And we're, well, it we spend time with, with Barnaby, him. and then we get Pierce. That's right. Barnaby is, is the lead. And then suddenly, he's not. He's sort of out of the picture. And Pierce is the lead. And we get point of view from Nikos and a, a few other characters here and there. I, I, I think Lord Grover is the best character. <laughs> um, he's really fun, right? Um, and we get a lot from his point of view. Um, although I'm not sure, is he Lisa's dad for real? No, I don't think so. Uh, he says, he denies maybe, it. I thought maybe he was. I think maybe he is. Probably the truth what he tells that his, that a friend of his was the actual biological father of Lee. 
It's a sort of it's similar to maybe he doesn't know masters of the universe. No one really knows who the biological father is. Yeah, maybe he doesn't know. I, I had the impression that he was purposely leaving it vague, but I I kind of leaned towards I thought he was. He just but he said he couldn't legally do it. Yes. Yeah, and, he couldn't, of course. Um, if you are a lord, something or other, there's always. Um, Lord I mean, Grover. I think he doesn't have children. <laughs> yes, he's not Grover. You don't yes. like Grover? Grover. Which no, always makes like me sick of Sesame Street, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, narrator, yes. Speaking of which, the narrator was really good. I don't know who he, who he is, but he did the other Crichton Lang books, right? Uh, Cora? Same guy? Uh, since I don't do audiobooks, I don't know. Oh, who you didn't is. listen? Okay. Easy. Yeah, I don't do audiobooks, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll just look it up. Um uh, yeah, he he's good. Um Paul, was uh, yes. you you read a previous Crichton, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, with, was with, it the with, same with, guy? With you and with you and Cora. Um, yeah. That's a question. Christopher Lane. It sounds like it's the same guy. Um uh, I, I the cover art I put on the audiobook, which is not the one that's on um Audible. It's the same audiobook, it's just not the same cover art, is from the original paperback. And I really love the cover. Um, it's iconic. Um, it's yeah, got it's a, a great, guy. it's a healthy cover. Yeah, they're kissing each other while they're dancing, holding pistols. That never, ha- that scene never happens in the book, right? It's a, I think it's a <laughs> photo cover. <laughs> the cover I have. I have one with, um, was a man with a pistol and a woman in the desert being yeah, chased that's the by one. some kind of bandit. Oh, no, no. Like. That's, that's, uh, so I, I think I was telling Paul or Cora or both this before, but David, you didn't know this. Uh, I don't think. Um, that is a reuse cover. Um, so you may not know this, but it's very interesting and cool. Um, Hard Case Crime had a second imprint, um, which was, uh, Gabriel Hunt. Do you, do you remember this? You maybe yeah, you never totally saw it. I remember that. So Gabriel Hunt was a uh a Charles Ardai character that he he created um in order to start a new sort of Mac Bolin or executioner or whatever uh Remo Williams style uh pulp <laughs> hero um that he would uh farm out to a bunch of writers who would all write this Gabriel Hunt books. Right. Um, and it didn't last very long. I think it's maybe six books long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read the first one. I think it's called Hunt for Adventure or whatever. And it's, it's a standard setup. You know, you've got a pulp adventure hero in the modern era. Um, and he goes around the world and, uh, has adventures, Indiana Jones style. Right. Um, the one that's set in the desert is the reuse cover here. So, oh, okay. Charles Ardai just reused the same art. Um, probably Glenn Orbick or whatever. And that's why it fits because it's got a, you know, but if you actually look at it, it doesn't make, you know, he's got a revolver. I don't think there's any revolvers. Maybe there, maybe there is. Um, there's a mummy yeah, there, there, there was or something. In one scene there's where they band it. The- yeah, yeah, no, they use the gun to, on the snakes, right? Yeah, and, and there's right. pistols uh, and rifle at the at the dock in Luxor or whatever, but um, it's this is just not that's this is uh, this is just a generic and it works. You wouldn't know if you weren't Jesse and had read that series part of that series. See, right? and, and that's why when we were getting down to the last ten minutes of the book, I'm like, when is that going to come in? Yes, <laughs> it's never going to come in. 
<laughs> it works though. It you know it yeah, works in the same way yeah. that it the really, it fits. It meets it matches the mood and yep. just uh, and uh, evokes Egypt. Except that the actual scene is never in the book because it wasn't written for it was made for this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. Well, I mean, the other half case crime, we had one with a naked woman, so a woman with a right. binary. Had a naked woman and the two gas cylinders. Uh, the gas yeah, cylinders, the gas cylinders make sense. The naked woman, the naked woman is only in the character's imagination. <laughs> yeah. The naked yeah. woman is just on the cover to sell the book. It worked. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I looked up, Christopher Lane has done all the Michael Crichton. He's John good. I like him. Books that, we, that we've listened to. I, I, his his so, accents are good. Um I don't know what maybe. his characters are distinct. Yeah, like, like Lord Grover. Lord Grover. <laughs> I, ah. I not a, sesame, not a sesame Street. Yesterday. Don't do it. Ah, uh, yes, I know. So, All right. Um, so I, I was intrigued that uh, I've read a bunch of Crichton's later ones, yeah. and I can see how he kind of has his formula going in this at least in my head he's uh-huh. got kind of a Crichton formula that i that i can see in timeline that i can see in pirate latitudes and mm. this seems like a you know early foundation and that's why i was expecting more of a twist ending different than what we got mm-hmm. just that was the surprise to me that was a con- such a conventional ending you mean yeah I, I guess it was more of a real life ending if anything yeah, the, yeah, the, the ending is so soft here. This ending is so yeah. soft here. It's almost like he couldn't, he didn't want to kill people. He needed mm-hmm. to, the, uh, this should end in a, in a, in a noir. It doesn't end in a noir. Um, I, I'm not sure what the solution is. Um, but I think sending them to prison is the best solution. Um, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, Cora mentioned Topaki at the at the beginning of yeah. this, and I think that would have been the better sort of. Yeah, answer. Topaki ends with them in prison. Yeah, right. And but but they're planning another heist, but they're in yeah, prison. of course and they're planning another one mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're sort of incorrigible sort of. But uh, Topaki is a. I mean, it also has the Ocean's Eleven vibe, but Topaki simply because of where it's set and what they're they're stealing is the better is a better comparison than Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You mean like the original Ocean's Eleven? The original yes. o- Ocean's Eleven, yeah, not the modern one. Burns so up I'm and they lose of the original it. from the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's an easy go. <laughs> um, so uh, I have some interesting news about this book that uh, I think. So it's published third, right? It's his third novel as uh, John Lang, but actually, apparently, it's his first written one. And okay. if that's the case, I got to tell you, this guy bats it out of the park for a first novel. Apparently written mm-hmm. over like a very short amount of time uh, as well. I think he got paid 1500 bucks for it. I think that's what it said. No. Uh, this does not read like the first novel of a stressed out medical student. So no, definitely no. not. I'm no. gonna read. The, we'll yeah, it's it's on Wikipedia. The the there's a paywall to get to the citation, but it says Los Angeles Times, page twelve, uh, D twelve, uh, January fourth, nineteen seventy four. Talking about the author of the Terminal Man, um, Michael Crichton, right? Which was uh, uh, it got turned into a movie as well. Um, this was apparently going to be a movie as well, but never happened. It says according to one source, what a really great movie. It's pretty great, right? It it was the first book Crichton wrote and took him a week, earning him fifteen hundred bucks. 
Wow. So is it wow. work for hire then? No, I think I think what we're seeing here is he went to Egypt, uh, loved it, and was reading paperbacks on the plane. <laughs> and he says, I can do this. And um I, I was just I was watching a very old YouTube video about um I was at one of these pulp conferences and uh they were talking about how one uh pulp author, not somebody I've read, uh got hired by I think it was Muncie's. Um he said, I'd like to be a pulp writer. And the editor says, oh, yeah? Okay, go down the hall, go turn the right there, get in there, there's a typewriter, show me what you got. And he goes in there, <laughs> and he starts typing, and uh, several hours later, he comes out, hands it to the editor, and he says, where'd you learn to write? And he says, down the hall to the right. <laughs> Little room down there. And uh, nice. this guy turned into a real pulp writer, right? The thing is, is some people just really got it when, you know, like, they just, they read, they read pulp, they can write pulp. I think this is evident from Edgar Rice Burroughs, right? He didn't have a lot of writing before he wrote, uh, first Princess of Mars, right? Or whatever it was called mm -hmm. originally. He just says, this stuff is rot. I can write better than that. He did. And a career. So some people just got it. Robert E. Howard. Robert E. Howard, clearly. The early ones are. It's the early ones, Ben Fang. It's not that great, but uh, he was a kid though. He was like sixteen when he wrote. Yes, that. Spear and Fang is is okay, right? But for a kid, it's pretty good, and it's raw, and it has yeah, the stuff that you see later. Something sixteen-year-old boy wrote. Yes, or Terry mm -hmm. Pratchett, who actually also debuted at age sixteen in I think it was New Worlds or the other British one, one uh, science science fantasy. See, and he was like he was he he had his debut at sixteen, and it's a pretty good story, especially for a sixteen year old. It's good, mm -hmm. it's good. So I, I'm just reading this uh, as I was finishing this off, and I I read that I'm like, there's no way that this guy is not going to have an amazing writing career because characterization is very solid. Like there isn't a a flaw there. The characterization isn't flawed at all. He absolutely is dropping information about Egypt and stuff that I don't know, and I'm very interested in it, right? It, it, he's got all the stuff about the each location. This place has a lot of, uh, you know, the price of things. So I saw... Not just uh, the Egypt, also the other locations. Yeah, no, he, he, he's he been to... Amsterdam, where he meets this, this diamond dealer. Yeah, who, he, who and meets, Paris. He meets this diamond guy. And wants to recruit him, and he say, he sends him to Conway, the, the black archaeologist. Mm -hmm. He has a brief scene, and they're having Reichstafel, but it's absolutely it's and they're in the Reichsmuseum, but it's absolutely correct. It's what the it's what it uh, okay. The Reichsmuseum has been refurbished since then. It's no longer quite as as dull and tomb like and so on. But it but also in the Reichstafel, it's like like absolutely it's like it's just a, like two pages and he absolutely captures the atmosphere and just as he, I've never been to Egypt so I don't know if what if Cairo really but, but he has that's the thing is the, he has, yeah, he has been there. Yeah. right I, I don't I don't have any evidence for that other than having read this book but I gotta tell you like uh, I, I was explaining to one of my students the other day like uh, you have to learn how to watch black and white movies and you know, they're thinking they'll never get into it. And I'm saying, no, it's a skill. You can, you can gear up. Uh, silent movies are a lot harder than black and white movies, right? 
But I, I'm looking at the a lot of those protocols. Silent movies, I actually had to learn to watch. You need black to white, learn to watch them. I had to learn simply because I was still close enough to the black and white era that there was a lot of black and white black movies. Black and white movies TV, so are I awesome. Absorbed But they're harder than color movies for a lot of people. So Paul was sending pictures of his monkeys. Um, I, I and see the black and white. And I see the black and white ones. And I say, this is not as good as the color one. I understand that there are things to appreciate in black and white. But if it's... If if you're gonna re if you're gonna make Casablanca today and you make it in color, which was has been done not today but it, Casablanca has been done in color, it doesn't work as well, right? There are, th- no. there are if you're doing a noir well, film, it's, fil- it's filmed, it's set, it's neo noir or whatever. There are some d- things don't work in black and some things need black and white, especially it, noir stuff needs black and white. It's something the, special, um, right? movies don't work in don't work in color as well. I, I understand. A series of um, movies is Edgar based yeah. on and you don't want to see it colorized. Edgar and yeah. the black and white ones are absolutely brilliant. The color ones they just don't really work. It's it's shocking how you, we have to learn these things. But I'm looking at the Goodread reviews, and some people get it. They, you know, pulpy fun. Uh, uh, you know, uh, liked it, right? Fun. New favorite book. Um, and then I see the, there's like some people like, it's like they don't know how to read this kind of book. But what I'm saying is that of, for what this book is, which is a paperback designed to be in the paperback market in the late sixties, mid seventies, right? This is exactly mm-hmm. what a perfect paperback looks like. It's nice and thin. It has a, a racy fun. It doesn't trip you up at any point. It's like it's like what an airport novel is today, except not not uh, horribly long and badly written. Right? This is the opposite of like uh, horribly long and badly written, but it is a consumable. Thing that you're not really meant to. You can feel it. It's, David, this is very pulpy in the sense that it's yeah. not meant to be remembered, right? You're going to read it and you say, I like that book. Give me another John Lang. And then you, mm-hmm. and then you can't remember which one is easy go because you've been reading all these John Lang books. <laughs> so for what he's done, I am staggered at how good it is. And it has it just, if it is his first novel, like it says there, which it's very plausible, you know, many times you don't get your first book as your first publication. Philip K. Dick's first short story out is not his first short story sold. So his first short story written. No, no, not, uh, but I mean, as a professional, right? You know, you have a professional sale versus the kids sales. Um, this is solid, a solid fun read. A little bit unpredictable. I, I kept saying, when are they going to get to the treasure? Right? Then yeah. they get to the treasure. <laughs> but um, where I think it really shines is in the reflectivity of the characters. When Lord Grover is thinking about Egypt, I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing, but he's also doing more than is required. He's, you know, the the line about this is the real tomb. And he holds up the skull, right? The only tomb you'll ever live in. The one you can never leave. It's like, yeah, that's why the title, The Last Tomb, works, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very, very solid novel. And seeing people, like, uh, one, re- one review here, yawn, 
plus implausible romance, two stars. Like, you idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yawn. I've seen this before. Disappointing. I'm like, come on. People need to give so much more credit to when someone does something first like this. And if that's a first, that's not an implausible trope because they were doing it first. This is better than some of his later books. It's so well, slick. Yeah, that, 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 it that, is a lot better. It depends, not, uh, it depends on the book. But yeah, that, I, don't, I find the later Kreitens are often bloated and over. Yeah, they are longer. The ones are really, really good. I, so I'm very impressed with these early John Langs that we've done so yeah. far. I think in a binary is taut. It's really tight and it has a lot, a lot of tension and surprise. And it, it, maybe it's not as filmic as even though it was filmed as it could have been. But if they tried to do that as a movie today, they wouldn't do as good a job as the book because it is so tight and taut. This one is breezier and easier in a certain sense, but. Um, it's so good. It's so well done. And it is so, it is uh, in all that lightness. But how can people read, like, so badly? <laughs> like, how can they not understand? They may not be familiar with the genre, or they may not be familiar with the form of. I mean, I've read other, other paperback originals from the late 60s and so on. So on an adventure novels, I know what the sort of, and this one is a really, really well written by the standards of those, because, um, a lot of those executioner and destroyer and what they're all called, called, uh, they're not all that great, greatly written, written, but this one is, um, this one is really, really well done by the standards of the, okay, it's maybe if you're not familiar with the form or the kind of, uh, or the type of novel and also, Yes, okay, I've seen it before, yes. It's an, it's the highest... Um, He's seen it before, adventure. too. Of course you've seen it before. Yeah. Of course you've seen it before, but is that necessarily bad? This is a really well-executed highest treasure hunt adventure, so... Didn't you enjoy you reading it? Didn't you really enjoy it? You did, right? Yeah. Paul, yeah. you loved it, yeah. right? Yes. It's really I, I, enjoyable. I, right, I... Right, there's a couple of things I want to tie this into that I've uh, that I was thinking of as I was reading this. Okay. Okay. So, um, for, for, um, first of all, from I, you know, I play role playing games. Yes. So one, one of the one of the one of the campaigns I was in was a Fate of Cthulhu game, which is basically your time travels from the future and you've got to stop the apocalypse. And one of the one of the areas we had to go to was Egypt and basically find this tomb and stop. Nyla Hotep from uh from rising from the dead. So I kept thinking of that as we were going along. It's like, no, this is gonna be much more mundane than that. But the but 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 the feel of Egypt and trying to go around, I mean that's what our characters are doing. We're basically bumbling around as tourists trying to find the tomb as which made me think of this novel very fondly. Um but but um also um have any of you played Infocom games? Yeah, back in the day. Um Cora? No, I don't think I have either. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text. text right. Did you ever play Infidel? Leather. Which Jesse? one? Did you ever play Infidel? I don't think so. Okay, I'm going to tell you all about Infidel. Okay. Okay, Infidel is one of is um text adventure Infocom game back from the 80s where you play a archaeologist who pisses off his entire uh, 
expedition. They leave you to the desert to die. Wow. And basically, you've got to find the pyramid and get in and survive its traps and treasures. Cool. It's, it's, it, it, it is one of the harder games because um, some of those traps and some of those traps are really clever. It's, I mean, it, I mean, when we had when we had a couple of the traps in this tomb, I was like, oh, God, it's back. It's Infidel all over again. So here's going to be one of my uh, uh, command prompt uh, words. It'll be get lamp batteries, <laughs> get get <laughs> flashlight batteries, put flashlight yeah. batteries in flashlight, turn flashlight on. <laughs> you see a room. <laughs> There is. Um, well, yeah, well, well, yes. Well, yeah, but it's, it's um okay, I'm going to spoil the ending of Infidel for you. Oh no, I was going to play it. Never. Yes, Jesse. Okay, so <laughs> so if you, if you read if I mean if you if you look between the lines, especially with the with the, with the because you get like start because the package came like with your journal and everything. Right, when they used to have box, boxes full of goodies and Right. Yeah, Infocom I mean, you, was good for that. And you had pocket fluff they, they and tea good. and oh no, you had no tea. <laughs> right, no tea. Right, it was a little plastic baggie with the space. No, yeah, that was the microscopic space. Right, the, right. So, <laughs> so if you read that stuff, and of course I did because my Infocom was great for that, you realize that you're playing a real a hole. This archaeologist is terrible to his crew and a real, a real jerk in the sense, a real. Um, West, Western imperialistic jerk. So the ending of the game, which caused a lot of division at the time, as I recall, you go through all these, you go through all these traps and treasures. You finally get to the last room and the last trap, no matter what you do, get you. Oh. You lose. You can't win the game. Yeah, that's like, and, and, that, and that caused a lot of Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, it's like that caused a lot of division. I give it two stars. <laughs> but but I I mean at first I was annoyed and I kept yeah. trying there are different ways to try to win and then I realized okay no you're playing an absolute jerk and he has to get his comeuppance uh-huh. for narrative purposes and then I got it it's like oh of course he's an idiot of course he's gonna die. Mm. Pray for forgiveness. Fails. <laughs> um. Uh, let me let me read some of these terrible, terrible takes on Goodreads. Oh, oh boy. Je- Je- Jesse, Jesse, this is like disaster, Ron. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, these people, if they don't n- understand the protocols, it's. I mean, I I shouldn't say that any opinions are worthless. I think an a non informed opinion is not not very worth your time or my time. It's basically a case of you're probably not the target audience for the book. Maybe you find something you're the target audience for. Yes, thank you, Cora. Two stars, says Kelly. Uh, Banali? 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 Racist. Banali? Banali, probably. But it's Banali. No, she's putting it as an adverb. (laughs) Banali racist and sexist. Enjoyable enough if you can get past that, but nothing special. Yeah. Okay. You've got to say, you've got some some sixties sexism in, but Lord Grover it- and his girls, girls. Uh, first of all, that sort of character was a sort of stock character of yeah, the. Of the yeah. I mean, but, anybody who uh, sees old James Bond film recognizes this guy. But, also, there were guys like that. So uh, like exactly. Labor character. Character. I could could see some. As he wasn't that bad actually. Gunther Sachs or someone like that. He's a great actor. Great role, like right? If 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 you wanted to cast this film, every actor wants to be him, right? 
Oh yeah, is he, I can, where's I that mask? Roger so Moore yeah. would have been wonderful Lord Grover. Roger Moore is, uh, thinks it would have been great as Lord Grover. Yeah, you need to bulk him up a bit, but uh, yeah, he's a bit too skinny. But wizard, uh, but he he would have made a great uh, because he basically played this this playboyish guy all the time. Yeah, and uh, look, uh, Pierce, I think is the you know they would get the handsome hollywood lead for him yeah. but uh, i think barnaby is actually uh, would be a great role too cuz the nervousness and the conflictedness and there's so many great barnaby things barnaby is up for the great character actor yeah great uh, you know you get steve buscemi or somebody right you know somebody who you know just really knows what they're doing uh with a with a, a very slight role but a very Terrific, uh, but Nikos, right? Like uh, I'm casting uh, uh, so many great '60s actors, '60s '70s uh, actors for for Nikos because he's he, uh, like even he doesn't end up dead, right? Yeah, Nikos is mm-hmm. a pretty terrible person, but he doesn't die. Yes, but, Nikos but, is a sort of um, I imagine pretty much anybody who was in some kind of Italian western in the sixties could have been uh, would have made a great Nikos. But uh, the the way people are writing about this uh, badly is like, did you not notice we got all that Nikos backstory? We know why he is the way he is. His mom was a an Egyptian whore. His dad was a Greek sailor. He was left in. Greece, unable to speak the language, ran away to sea, right? He's, he's, uh, that's more than yeah, enough I mean, information it, for this character, I liked, right? I liked how we got to know him just by how he threw himself into opening the door. Yeah. How he goes to sleep on the dock, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the scarab, like, we think, why he steals from every, every, uh, Think he ever does. He still has a hubcap from when he's <laughs> like, yeah. that is all like he, uh, Crichton has somehow he read these books. I, I, I figure he was reading, uh, Donald Westlake, uh, especially Richard Stark. And he says, I can do this. And he didn't say to himself, I can do this better. He says, I can do this, but he brought his own stuff to it. His own knowledge and, uh, you know, medical stuff and interest in medical stuff, interest in travel, interest. And, and he said, I, I know how to do this. And he gives each character just enough characterization that, mm-hmm. you know, like even the German, uh, lady and like there's a few, you know, females. One, so, Sylvia, I think is her name. So Sylvia, yeah. There's, there's I think a, it's Sylvia. One, like one of them doesn't get much screen time, right? Mm-hmm. But even she, we get like a sense that, you know, sh- there's a reason why she's acting that way. And I think that masterful characterization is why Michael Crichton is the natural success as a writer. It's just somehow he, he was able to see it in other writing and say, I can do this. And he did. Where it sort of falls apart is the ending isn't. Yeah, it isn't the top copy ending, which is a, a great way to solve a story, right? You just get out of it by, or, uh, yeah, it's Ocean's Eleven, right? You get all out of it by putting them back in at the square one, which is, you know, a great role playing technique too, right? I think mm-hmm. characters getting all the gold at the end of the story is stupid. It's just like getting all the experience points is stupid. What you really want to do. Also- if they will get the gold, they are probably uh, 
if you want a series, then the series is over because they're going to retire. Yeah, to get the Conan goal. should which start every adventure the way he ends it, which is... With and the adventure protagonists, they never get the goal. <laughs> you know, goal, yeah. a bag of loot and, and not much. Okay, Indiana Jones, but even Indiana Jones, he never gets the treasure at the end. And he always gets rescued by, um, well, Deus Ex Machina, quite literally in, two, in several cases, and once aliens Ex Machina. Yeah, Machina. So Indiana Jones is a bit of a strange case because uh, you always get the sense that he actually would like to just be this uh, this professor in, at this university, only that he that then he has to go out and uh, find treasures. <laughs> treasures. But um, I think if he ever got to keep one of the treasures, he might uh, and uh, would be the celebrated archaeologist. Then probably he would just stick to his university and never go out again. You know, uh, it's Indiana Jones is an interesting case because, not because of the movies, because I think after the first one, it's a very steep diminishing returns. But what I do recommend everybody in the world who's, you know, able to, which is most people who have eyes and ears, I watch the young Indiana Jones Chronicles because they're so different from the regular Indiana Jones. Ages ago. When they were literally airing on TV. So at the upon first airing, so that would have been like thirty years ago or so. So yeah, I caught some. I never saw all of them. Well the it was very badly done on television because they were you know, a lot of commercials breaking it up and eventually they re released them on D V D with extra materials and amazing documentaries. No, nobody. Nobody Paul. Oh I do. Well (laughs) yeah, I mean I, it's been years since uh, I've put in a DVD, but you can still watch the materials that were on DVDs. In any case, the difference between the Indiana Jones and movies and the Indiana Jones TV series is that the treasure is the experience, right? So, um, he go as a kid and uh, little kid and as a teenager, he goes to Europe and he hangs out with a whole bunch of famous artists and you get to see the philosophy behind these artists doing cubism you get to see the intrigue in uh 1917 uh russia you get to see the intrigue in um north africa and in uh the congo belgian congo and you get to see basically from 1906 until 1926-ish, maybe a little, 1922, I think, is the last year. This chunk of time, it's like uh, a tourist visit, but an amazing one, where you get to spend time with all the amazing people who are there exploring these places, and they're not good people in a lot of cases, right? So Lawrence of Arabia, T.E. Lawrence, shows up as when he's a kid, and he shows up uh, in World War One. In the in the show, I and don't uh, particularly like 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 him. No, there's Basically, a lot of um, because my, there's a lot of negative characters in an here. An ancestor of mine was an engineer on the Baghdad Berlin train line mm-hmm. lines, which was being built uh, built at. Oh, the he time. fucked and up your he was, he was ancestors. Killed. He's buried somewhere in what is now Iraq. He was oh, killed, wow. and I, I don't know if it was actually. It was probably wasn't Lawrence who actually fired the bullet. But I always say, like, Lords of Arabia killed my great-grand-uncle, which is why I don't like him. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think, just, I think it's really cool that I have an, an, an ancestor who was actually an engineer laying this, because the German engineers were building this train line, mm. through, uh, which was supposed, it still is a train, it actually is a train line, it was completed later, but this is the train line which which goes to Baghdad and was supposed to go Berlin to Baghdad, I think it's now... 
that's what, that's what I'm saying about what's so good about this book is that all the stuff in the background of the Aswan Dam and the yeah, Russian the, the Russians yeah. uh, wives in the in in the uh, marketplace buying things and he's like oh they're Russians right they're like all that's that detail. Is well, the Cold so War pre- but it's not even Cold War. It's just a fact, right? Like there, it's not like anybody's on a side here. It's it just didn't even know atmosphere. That the Russians were the ones who built the S one star, S one uh, dam. I know that. I know that uh, basically knew. Okay, there's the S one dam, and uh, they had to remove all the move all those of those temples. And also, right. um, I grew up at the edge of these giant dams were really a post war thing. It was like, oh, let's build a giant dam, and who cares what we flood. Yeah. Oh, that- there was a huge post-war thing, these giant dams. dams. And uh, by the time I was uh, growing up, there was, people were starting to view these giant dams, dam projects of the post-war era very critically. So basically it was like, okay, yeah, Egypt needs the water, but, uh, and they did save There's the There's a Donald Westlake novel, did they destroy? It was Ground a, Hopes. Other dams were seen, were seen a lot more critical. I mean, yes. it's also notable that nowadays all the giant dams that are built are built somewhere in China or so on. They're no longer built in and there's no Western involvement anymore because we see these things critically. That yeah. was something I wanted to mention is that mm-hmm. at the time he was writing this, he's just giving us parsing out these quick little bits, mm-hmm. you know, not info dumping it. Yep. That was cutting edge stuff at the time. Yeah. The, the yeah. S1 dam was opened. And I actually looked it up because I didn't know when it opened. I know that, yeah. uh, it, it always, I- that it, S1 had always been flooded and the temple had always been moved. By my mm. by my lifetime, but it was in 1970. It opened in 1970, so basically it was being built, and the temples were being moved while this book was written. So it was and it was yeah. cutting stuff. So so he was he was putting it right out there when it still probably wasn't quite in the the zeitgeist mm-hmm. for people reading it. So he was mm-hmm. giving them some fresh, quick info. That's like, oh, this guy this guy knows Egypt. He's there. And not only not 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 specifically Egypt. If if you notice, this is taking place when Egypt was briefly united with Syria as the United Arab Republic, mm-hmm. because they keep talking about the UAR. It's like yeah, which also threw me off because I said like, why exactly? But uh, because I thought of the United Arab Emirates and was like, yeah. was why why is there? And said, oh yeah, yeah, because this, yeah, this is when I think much, Sadat this is very was much in power. of its moment. Yeah. Moment. It is uh, a lot of the other ones felt more. T- this does. This is very much a book of the late sixties. Uh, I don't think so. That's mentioned, it, uh, is he? Perhaps the, the I don't of think the so. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. maybe he was hedging his bets, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I think he, I don't think Sadat's mentioned, but he it would no. have been Sadat, right? I mean, just going by the time period. Uh, NASA wasn't it? NASA still was no. NASA's mentioned. Nasser yeah, mentioned. mentioned, so it probably was would have been Sadat. And Sadat it does say uh, Sadat, nineteen late yeah. 70s yeah, or early eighties. It was yeah, a time when suddenly all the heads of states were changing. Yeah, changing. There was a time in the late seventies, early eighties, when all sorts of heads of state, which supposedly had been there forever, were changing, were changing rapidly. And it was a small child was like, okay, why are they always changing these people? People, I have to remember all the new names now, and a lot of them actually stayed on for a long, a long time. Time, but yes, um, probably would have been already Sadat at the time. This was uh, way before, this was before my, actually before I was born, so I don't really remember when the change from Nasser to Sadat happened. You know, even, even this, like, uh, just all, seeing all these negative reviews, it just says, like, what about this part? Didn't you see this part? Like, so w- when, um, Barnaby, not, Bar- yeah, Barnaby is, um, looking at the, 
hieroglyphics. And he's saying, you know, this is how you read it normally. Sometimes they did it this way. No, it's at an angle. Uh, like, just that that exposition explaining how we found out about this this uh, lost tomb, this hidden tomb. I bought it all! I mean, I know it's yeah. a novel. I bought every fucking second of it. I'm like, this guy, yeah. he's, he got me. Yeah, I've got an Egyptian Book of the Dead that's got it all and shows you the the, the glyphs, how they're arranged in that format, you know, and you think, mm-hmm. think of like the the Seder opera tenant thing, mm-hmm. and that he dreamed this up. Oh, read it diagonally is the true one. That's I thought that was a great formula that nobody has done. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. it reminded me um, when um, uh, I'm, 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 this may be hypocritical, but I don't think it is. Um, when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California, uh, he had a, a public document that uh was released you know about it was like a statement against what the the house of california or the congress of california is called about what they yeah the legislature what they had done he disapproved of it or whatever and um if if you read the first letter like an acrostic it says like fuck you On the side, <laughs> I was like, all this, all this babble in the middle, which is fine, you know, it's readable, uh, but it's you know, boring political babble was just because he wanted to give them the fuck you. <laughs> and the thing is, is I bought it, right? I know that this is necessary. That in order to have a lost tomb, you have to have a character. Like one of the most important characters in this book is that vizier, right? The fact that he's bragging uh, about all the things he did publicly, but he's doing it in a way that no one else will be able to read, in order to say, you know, my my king, I've served you well. I bought it all. That's just such a great mm-hmm. little setup. It is implausible, but it has to be implausible for us to have. I mean, I mean, I mean there aren't that many or any really lost kings of Egypt. I mean, that's kind well, of no, there thing. are mis- no, there are missing bits. We don't know what happened well, in history, especially early. Well, well, well we have a decent chron- chronology. Yeah, it's of pretty good. Egyptian kings, I, I, but but one thing that annoyed me is they're talking about the Middle Kingdom where Egypt was at its height. It's like, no, you idiots, that's not when Egypt was at its height. The Egypt was at the New Kingdom Pyramid, thank you very much. <laughs> I kind of annoyed, he got that wrong and it kind of annoyed me. He kept mentioning, oh, there's the strong middle. Egyptologists disagree. <laughs> um, Egyptologists agree with me. Thank you, Jesse. Um, uh, 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 no, I'm saying uh, Egyptologists. Theories say yes, yes. That's right. All right, so I want to read this. This is the one that triggered me the most. Um, it's it's it goes like this. Um, this is by Greg, who rated it two stars. Mid twentieth century North American crime book number two thirty one of two hundred and fifty. Hook four stars. The Great Pyramid of Cheops filled the horizon. Opens the book. An archaeologist translates hieroglyphics on page one. It's Crichton's uh, Crichton, Jurassic Park, and Dramatist Strain, and so many very good. Uh, good to great novels. Exploring ancient Egypt! Exclamation mark. Could you possibly set this one aside? Pace, one. Yeah, you could set this one aside after all. By about page 50. The breasts of every female is discussed at length. That's fine if you're, if that's your thing. But lots of cigarettes are leisurely smoked. <laughs> lots of facts are littered throughout the books. And facts are in quotes. Many photos are taken. 
That is, Crichton's hero seems to have a lot of money for film. Much, much history is discussed, completely unrelated to the question, question, question mark plot. <laughs> Slow mo novel. What kind of, like, this guy shouldn't be this reading this many books. Of dude, you're not the target audience. <laughs> Definitely not. But even so, like, uh, like, seeing lots of breasts, there wasn't that much. The women's uh, breasts are described. Worse, worse. And, uh, the breasts are simply something you start, uh, it's you just, read. Also, um, you don't even know if Crichton wanted to describe breasts. The publisher might have insisted on describing yeah. it. I'd be willing to bet that's so. I, I mean, I mean, it's just a thing you do this. for this book, this style of book. Yeah, have, I mean, we have Lord Grover as this kind of cool decadent Englishman, so of course they're going to be. I mean, I mean, he smokes pot and he has girls around him. It's like it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. par for the course. Uh yeah. I mean, the, the, the but the thing is, is like. Uh, it, lots of facts are littered. They're not littered. They're placed. Carefully placed. It's actually placed. very well done. Yeah. It's, really does a, it's no info dump. It's really, it's really well done. You learn a lot about, and also, it feels, it feels real, real. A lot more real than a lot of these, uh, these books. And not just, like I said, not just Eclipse, but also the bit set in this, this really short bit in Amsterdam. No one would have thought, which is, uh, which, which feels, uh, feels absolutely realistic because I know Amsterdam a lot better than I know Egypt. Egypt, which I don't know at all. Always wanted to go, but for some reason still oh, haven't managed it. It's, a, it's hard. It was harder and harder politically to go. volatile yeah. to go there for my taste. Plot. Yes, that's, that's, that's probably, well, be, be, that's, that's probably the reason why I haven't gone to Egypt either. I mean, I would like to do it's the. It's pretty easy to go to Egypt from Germany because, um, it's, a. Uh, it's uh, there's, it's quite easy to get a flight. It mostly goes to the to the beach destinations. I've zero interest. I've little interest in beaches, and especially if I'm in Egypt, I'm not going to look at the beaches. So, which is also how it's fairly easy to get to Greece and uh, Greece. But again, it's mostly beach. But you can so it's not difficult to get there. But the, the political situation was volatile in Egypt pretty much all my life, or at least from the, the time I was old, and I was, was saying I want to go to Egypt from I think I was like six or seven years old on, I said, I want to go to Egypt and see the pyramids and the mummies and everything, so still, it's a pity that I never got to go, but the political situation was always too volatile. I mean, there were terrorist attacks and everything, which is like, nope. Plot, one star. A long-lost tomb, question mark? It's been done many times, and done very nicely. Not here. Near the end, uh, I too became lost, and the beating of a young boy almost to death is just torture porn to me. Yeah, we're not supposed to like the beating of the young boy. Yeah. <laughs> Characters, one star, some had breasts. A much better title. <laughs> there is a, you, um, basically, of the main characters, only Lisa has breasts. <laughs> there is a, Sylvia and the other girl are not actually main characters. There is a so quote-unquote... This is just the, the reviewer telling more about themselves. I guess. Yeah. There is a hero, uh, single quotes. Don't remember anything about him after closing the book. Now, that I agree with. You're not actually supposed to remember the hero. Right? Uh, yes, Grover. Yes, Jesse, as, I, as we've discussed, Grover and Barnaby are probably more... Yeah, Bar Barnaby is much... Pierce is the least interesting character, right? He's the least interesting character. Is Pierce Crichton? No, no, I think they're all Crichton. Mm. And Pierce is the least Crichton. Pierce is the least Crichton, right? Because he he is like he's just the thing that he's the plot essentially. Um, one of the things I liked about when Pierce meets um Barnaby 
is they recognize each other from uh, Korea. And they were both right. captains, mm-hmm. right? Which means they're equals. Um, one of them could have been a lieutenant. One of them could have been a sergeant, right? But no, they're both captains. And they're, uh, that's, I guess they're b- meeting at a, at a place where they would both meet in an officer's, uh, you know, bar or whatever. Officer's club, I guess it would be called. Um, but why are they, they're equals. One of the things that's really interesting about this is we never actually get to see the split. At the end of a, uh, Donald Westlake heist novel, or in the middle of a, Richard Stark novel, there's the split where they, they, they got the cash. Now they divvy up the money. I didn't get the sense that anybody was going to get screwed in this. Even Nikos. Well, I disagree completely. Okay. I thought it's, even Nikos. He's kind of, uh, well, I don't trust Nikos. You're not yeah, supposed I, to I, trust I mean, Nikos. No, because but they, they all kind of like, like saying to themselves that they're, go- they're going to, they're going to get more for themselves one way or the other. They they all they all kind of imply it. And I don't I, I don't know about I don't know if that's true. I think Grover doesn't even care, right? He, he yeah. we Grover even are told in it for the fun. Yeah, yeah, but he, does, he fun, but he even thinks but, uh, one way I can solve this I, I I can just pay the ransom myself, right? And essentially yeah. he does <laughs> at the end. <laughs> right, but 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 uh, but Pierce and Barnaby and, and Lisa Lisa doesn't want to. Have any part of it, right? Oh, okay. So let's go by which characters you think are untrustworthy and unwilling to split evenly. Um, Pierce, Nico, Pierce. Let's talk about Pierce. I think Pierce is the most trustworthy character. How? Because he's the least important character in a certain sense. He doesn't even know why he's doing it. Which I think is, uh, we can explain in a different way, uh, by going back to what I was talking about, young Indiana Jones. Pierce is, is, uh, he doesn't know why he exists, right? He's bumming I around. I thought he was the, the blank canvas yes. for the reader. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's, he's bumming Although around Pierce Europe. Pierce was basically needed because Barnaby couldn't get the crew together. Barnaby, Barnaby is conflicted. To get the crew together. Barnaby needs Pierce, but, uh, and Barnaby's Pierce conflicted. is, uh, the blandest of the characters. He's a journalist, um, he was in the army, he knows lots of people, which is why he's in this book. That's right. But <laughs> Barnaby is conflicted. We see this when, when they finally get inside the tomb, right? He's, don't touch this, right? Don't touch that. Yeah. He he's still willing to go through with the scam or the robbing, but he is unwilling to. He's still conflicted because he's essentially like Indiana Jones. He thinks it belongs in a museum, right? Yeah. He thinks that, even though he's willing to go through with it. And I I thought maybe at some point he he will turn against the idea. Uh, that never actually has to happen, right? Because of the way it works out. I'm actually surprised that Barnaby doesn't strike me actually as a kind of person. Okay, he's frustrated because uh, because he thinks like, okay, I'll just I'll get a better job and I get tenure, but I still won't have have a lot of money. Money apparently they were apparently college professors uh, were paid quite badly in the 1960s in the U.S. I don't know because uh, well, try them now. Try them now. <laughs> They're all they adjuncts. No, yeah, they're way, way worse. They're nothing. But yeah. um, if you have full tenure and a full professorship, at least in Germany, nobody gets that anymore. You know, um, it's just almost impossible to get. What's the, the What's the black character's name? I can't remember. Uh, Con- Conway. I think. Conway. That Conway. sounds right. Conway. So he doesn't. He. I, I think we all trust him 
implicitly, right? He's just so he's fun. He's not, doesn't have a uh, untrustworthy bone in his body, even though he's jokey and just mm-hmm. we we learn a lot about him, and we don't find he yeah, saves the girl, introduction. right? He saves the girl, right, with the gun. Yeah. Um. So you can't you you don't think he's going to take more more than his share, right? I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I may, may, maybe Nikos I is the one. More as a, as a um, I mean, uh, we may meet Conway when he's when it's basically clear that he's uh, smuggled diamonds out of South Africa. Okay, a black guy smuggling diamond out of apartheid era South Africa is not is not anything to make anybody unsympathetic no. because a diamond, blood diamonds evil anyway, and South Africa apartheid terrible state, terrible country at the time. Black guy. Screwing over the re- apartheid. But we trust uh, him. We trust him. But uh, yes, uh, I mean, I like Conway. Conway is a great character. I liked him a lot. Yeah, he's in the movie. I think he would have be been a great role. One of those people who would Jim Brown. Uh, who had yes, one of the people <laughs> oh, who had cool. those black exploitation movies. Movies. If, it, if it's a, the mid eighties, Steve James. <laughs> wow. One of one of the one of those those guys who were in a lot of those black exploitation movies would have been a great role for any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Them. And, uh, now, also, I think Nikos. A... I think Nikos Paul is is the most untrustworthy character. But I, I mean, does does he, he takes he takes the scarab? Yeah, he and... steals from the group. He steals from the group, and that helps. Um, he ki- he almost kills a kid. Failure. He's willing to kill uh, another. He's person, willing to kill, right? So he's the least trustworthy of the group. I mean, Lord Grover is probably actually the most least trustworthy, but. But he's in it. Well, as it turns out, he sold. He, I mean, he 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 sells out the group for. I mean, for the best of reasons, but he sells out the group. <laughs> right. So, even Iskander is a great character. I mean, that, who wouldn't want to play him as an actor? Hmm. Right. It's a meaty role. Um, because he he has he has to be subtle and also you know sneaky and. Um, and pretend to be dumb, and he has all those great mis malapropisms in the translated language, right? Uh, you are beautiful. <laughs> You're beautiful today. <laughs> what are you saying? Um, so I, I think Nikos is probably our least trustworthy character, but I still trust him because he'd, uh, I don't know. I read a lot of Richard Stark novels, and you can always tell which guy's going to be the problem. Parker always tells you which guy's going to be the problem. He would say, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> and the character would be like, he he wants to take the easy route. He wants to do something. He does something that is not um smart. Like, he wants to uh get into a fight where he doesn't need to get into a fight. And th- this would always annoy Parker, Right. And then we would know that that's the guy who's going to be the problem later on. We don't know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but we know there's going to be a problem with that character. Even Nikos, I trust. So I, I think like if, if we ended the book with the split, uh, Lord Grover gets his 25% or whatever it is and 10% for this guy and 10, oh, I don't know, however the split goes. Barnaby gets a little more 20% or something. I still think nobody's going to like, maybe there's going to be a pro. I, I thought there would be a problem with one of Barna, uh, Gr- Lord Grover's girls. Like, won't they notice that <laughs> they're going out at night and maybe one of them smarter than, uh, 
we're well, led Lisa's to believe. Lisa's clearly, clearly smarter. Yeah, but she's she's in on it. She knows what's going on, right? Whereas I don't I, I, get the sense that the yeah, French. I actually also expected that one of the girls would uh, would probably cause an cause an, a problem by by sneaking out after them or just uh, blabbing to the wrong person. Yeah, but the girls are yeah okay. I mean that's why they yeah, have I that. Kind of, yeah, I kind of expected it to be an outside problem. And it is. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I like that. I think that's really, uh, it was something we couldn't have foreseen. Um, so I think the ending works still, even though it is a soft ending. Um, and it, you know, it probably makes the novel like less memorable than if, you know, everybody dies or like uh, Paul, mm-hmm. Paul saying this, uh, infidel game, right? Um, yeah. That that's a that's a nice hard ending. I like that. Yeah, it, 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 it's I, frustrating I mean, when it's in a game and you don't realize that there is no other way to <laughs> win the game. Correct. <laughs> or end the game, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah. But now I appreciate it. Looking back, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that was that 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 was hard. That was that was, you were doing a thing. I get your thing now. Well, t- at the time today, can, you well, can it made it stick with you. That's right. But today yeah, you no, can I'll, look I'll, it I'll, up, I'll, right? Absolutely. You can find you can find walkthroughs. Uh, back then, I believe Infocom had one of those dial-up, so you can get hints. Or oh, 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 they had these books you could buy called Invisible. Sure, and that's the problem with that is that that's not fair for people like me who don't. Who you know pirated the game and don't <laughs> don't have any money? <laughs> um, I'm like I'm trying to play this game and win it, and like there's no forums online. There's only bulletin board systems, right? And it's unless somebody you knew somebody who had played it, uh, or it was in a magazine. I guess that sometimes it would be a source. You just would never know that the, there was no way to defeat the game. <laughs> it defeated you. All right, there's still more to this review. Um. Atmosphere, place, two stars. I'm giving this two stars because I've read Gore Vidal's Thieves Fall Out, and it felt like he'd never visited Egypt and had opened perhaps one tour book to mention a couple of statues. Wait, what? Oh, Since what? Here, what? here, it feels like Crichton has read several tour books for his research, but also had not visited Egypt. I have. I've been inside the Great Pyramid of Giza and inside Tut's tomb. I've cruised the Nile, visited Alexandria, and maybe that's the issue for me. Yes, I understand it's fiction, but could you, uh, could you author a book set in, say, southern USA in 1860 and not mention slaves and cotton plantations? Here, in Easy Go, Crichton talks about the ancient Egyptians' luxurious lives. Maybe the 1%. Bartle Bull in the Cafe on the Nile and Agatha Christie in Death on the Nile get closer to the real ancient Egypt, as does Norman Mailer in Ancient Evenings. Summary? Great hook, great expectations, then Norman little Mailer, to... Bleh. Then little to nothing for an overall rating of 1.8. Um, yeah. Also, um, uh, he does actually, he does, I mean, we literally get the dead slaves, uh, slaves who were murdered in uh, order to location of the tomb secret. And we get the scene lingering over the, over it with Conway holding the skull. Yeah, we, we know, I mean, we see those, those, those dead, we see the, the, the dead, we see the skull and everything. So, of course, it's, uh, it's man. Of course, it's mentioned. I mean, what did he? Ex- what did he? What did this guy want? And he wanted treatise on slavery in ancient Egypt was really terrible. Um, <laughs> he he gives I mean, a lecture. 
in here that I've given to he gives a lecture in here that I've given to my students or it's actually a joke I I made on Twitter a long time ago. Um, it's, uh, Egyptologists go to Egypt. They dig up, uh, uh, all the, you know, grave goods and say, you know, these Egyptians are really into death. And then they, Mm -hmm. they fondle the grave goods and say, yeah, they're really weirdos. They really like death. Look at this scarab. They they wrapped this in their death. They're really weirdos. <laughs> like the whole point is the reason we know about those people is because they did this. That way, and yeah. he says in this book that was not their life. They lived a regular life, but they had yeah, a weird he made religion. That very clear. Yeah, made it super clear. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, yeah, it's, a, it's like it's like they weren't obsessed with death. I mean, it's just there was a very important part of their afterlife. They weren't, and living, there were some certain living. rich people who spent a lot of money wasting on tombs. Right, certain rich people, not most of people. Most people were mummified, but that had nothing. You know, it was not like oh, this. Oh, so 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 this reminds me. So, have any of you seen the not great movie, The Land of the Pharaohs? No, I have. I think I've seen that. I have seen with Joan Collins, right? Yes, with Joan Collins. In, yes, Joan Joan in, Collins, basically in blackface, playing a Middle Eastern princess from. From uh, Cyprus, which is a b- very bad choice now in, my, in retrospect. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. But I think this uh, Land of the Pharaohs actually has a scene where, where they uh, kill all the, the slaves who built yes. the tomb. Yes, exactly. That's mm. where I was going. Thank you, Corey. You anticipated. Yeah, they had yeah. this because it's, it's a very memorable scene, scene at the time. I, I first saw it when I was very, very young, and John Collins was. Uh, that lady from from Dynasty, uh, Dynasty <laughs> yeah. and lady from I Dynasty. mean, uh, early John Collins was always a surprise if she suddenly pops up in something like uh, like uh, the Persuaders or, of course, um, City on the Edge of Forever. Mm. <laughs> yeah, which was like, which was actually for a long, long, long time. It was oh god, yes, that Star Trek episode with John Collins was really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> it was the one with John Collins before it became the one the one Harlan Ellison wrote. <laughs> The, it says the barbarous love that left Egypt's great pyramid as its wondrous landmark. I've not heard of this film before. I know she did, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but basically, it's kind of like the story. It's basically a story of the Israelites building a two, a, a impregnable tomb for uh-huh. the Pharaoh. Although they're not called Israelites, they clearly are. Yeah, they kind of obviously are, but <laughs> yeah, but they're not, they're not called that. Mm. I think they actually have have names like Nathan or Ellen or something like that. So it's it's kind of obviously that. Yeah, I yeah. bet they were speaking English too. How dare they? Of course they were. <laughs> they were all speaking English. It wasn't dubbed. Oh. Uh, yeah. No. I, I was I was saying to my uh, niece uh, the other day. I said, you know, if they had done uh, Prey in the original Comanche <laughs> uh, rather than just dubbed it, it would have been it would have been a better movie. Like. Just have us read subtitles. But the problem is, if you put the, there are going to be, so there's so much inaccessibility for a lot of people. They have to learn to read, right? You have to learn to read. It's really hard. And most people don't do it. That's why, right? Because it's hard. Um, you have to learn to watch movies. You have to learn to play computer games. And like, if I gave a, a computer game to your grandma, she's not going to learn it. She's not going to like it. She's going to give it one star. Right. But what mm-hmm. what uh, sort of surprises me is people who obviously have read books go on Goodreads and review it and not notice that like like I, I, I watch a lot of movies and I love movies. 
and I seem to be more charitable about most movies than like I was, I just reviewed one last night and it's like, it's not a great movie, but it's not a bad movie. And I look at the reviews and people like rating it, you know, below 50%. It's, there's nothing technically wrong with it. It was a Colin Farrell and Nuri Rapa, Numi Rapace movie. Numi Rapace, yes. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, dead man down. And yeah, I, he's I a, a he's a Hungarian immigrant. She's a French immigrant. They're both in New York City. He's on revenge to kill the people who killed his family. She wants revenge on the guy who scarred her face. They come together and uh, get revenge separately and together. And it's like I just wonder who nice looking movie. Cast Colin Farrell as a Hungarian immigrant and Nomira Pax, who's uh, she, she's, she's Swedish or Finnish or something. Swedish, as, uh, yeah. Swedish, uh, but. Um, it's okay. She's, Colin Farrell explains he worked hard to get rid she's of his accent. Of <laughs> no, no. Anyway, who would cast uh, cast her as a French woman? And uh, this is just the kind of weird casting. Well, she has an accent, so you can, you know, it's, it's like Jean-Claude yeah, Van Damme is not sometimes she's, she's not French, Belgian, right? I mean, I like her a lot. Yeah. She was the original Lisbeth Salander. At, at one so, point... This American one. She was originally Lisbeth Zahnlander in the original Swedish uh, adaptation. But after a certain point, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't have to explain where his accent comes from, oh. right? <laughs> uh, in his career, in the first movie, you know, uh, in Conan the Barbarian, he's a barbarian. Terminator, he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, when he he gets to commando he says my parents were german immigrants that's why my name is matrix austrian immigrants in kindergarten matrix is a very austrian name <laughs> like, like at some point after that they stop explaining it because we just know it's arnold schwarzenegger in a movie right Numi Rapace is not ever going to have uh, that level of success where they're uh, not going to have to not explain uh, it, I think. She, she's, uh, she's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And on, he was but she, she is right in a certain sense. Right she is in a certain sense because she does a lot of action movies um, mm -hmm. that are sort of the, the dregs of what we used to have in terms of action movies, right? Like where there'd yeah. be an action movie star, like even uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. But I'm thinking... Who's the guy who who's friends with Putin? Do you mean has Steven Seagal? Steven Seagal, right? So he, Seagal. right, Steven Seagal probably still makes movies, but nobody watches he them. Does. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. Well, it's, it's I did not need to know. Yeah, I probably don't need to watch them either. No, and early nineties star action movie declined because I I really enjoyed those movies a lot. They're great. They're terrific. I enjoyed. Even the even the cheap ones with with Michael Dudikoff and so on. I, I think this, this stuff all the time, and suddenly I think the hardest, vanished. <laughs> I think the hardest thing about making a movie out of this to make it really good would be making the tomb goods, the grave goods, and making them not just like the easy ways you just copy Tutankhamun stuff, right? But he actually talks about the piled up grave goods in here. We don't get tons about it but we get it it's mentioned and yeah. you know and didn't they say gold daisies and that that was a new one on me because i don't yeah. remember seeing that in in tut's treasures no. i think that that uh, creating that culture uh for this period i think is going to be the hardest part of making this as a film 
Not that I'm saying we should. I'm just saying, in thinking about it, like all the other stuff is the characters all good. The you know updating it. You don't really have to update it that much. You know, Aswan Dam maybe he's not a big thing. You mentioned. Uh, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood or something if you want to update it. But really, making those grave goods look like they're from Egypt, but not from King Tut, would be way more difficult than almost anything else. Because we're not good at coming up with stuff like that. This no. feels much more like he went to Egypt, he read a paperback, and he says, I can do this. And he, you know, he was also on a European tour and, you know, went to Paris and, uh, Amsterdam. Uh, Amsterdam. But, Amsterdam, but also he, he like, must have been there. he must have been there. But he's also, he also went to Greece, even though we never go to Greece, right? We never, no, we go to, we, we, we go to Greece. No, we, we Nothing. hear about Greece. I we don't never go there. The villa. Greece, but I don't yeah. think we hear about there. it. No, we never go no, there. No, we see the villa. We see the villa north of Athens. Oh, yeah. No, that's Capri, isn't it? It's Capri. And I don't think, I don't know. No, there's the Capri and there's also the villa north of, north of Greece. And they talk about the winding roads to get there. And mm, maybe I'm I missed that. I, I know that I mean, Capri, characters go there. I don't think we go there. No, I, 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 I'm pretty sure we have a very brief scene set in Greece. Uh, you might be right. That's it. Uh, yeah. In any case. Not at any rate, um, it feels, I mean, it is the places I've, I have visited feel real. And so, and even the ones I haven't visited, they feel, feel He's real. He's been there. Well, he didn't read some a lot of people tour guide books. That the pyramids are actually on the outskirts of Cairo right now. They're, they're not. They're not uh, somewhere out there in the desert. Desert. They are literally the, the city is coming ever closer. So closer. Uh, it would have become close already in the sixties. Yeah, I've heard that. I want to. I want to yeah, talk to David. Most people don't know and don't realize this. Yeah. Also, also the also, is quite also, a bit away. And uh, yeah. Helps. Also, the Colossi of Memnon, which he says are all by themselves out and thing. And now they're a big tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at the well, time, yeah, 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 at the time. But now, now, yeah, now that now they're. But also, the experience of it, I think, is is what's so great in the book is when they suddenly appear, and that's how it would have happened to Crichton too, right? Um, yeah. I want to talk to David. Uh, I know he's a like um, uh, uh, Paul too, uh, like Cora, big Robert E. Howard fan. Um, this is uh, uh, set in a real place. If this was um, Stygia. <laughs> a place where <laughs> where uh Robert E. Howard never went to, right? But he read a right. lot of books, um, and he set a lot of stories in places he never went to. Um when you're you're like uh, I was telling my student about that, I think you saw this, uh, David. Uh somebody posted a cover of uh a girl sw- swimming naked in a pond. And a guy standing there pointing a gun at her with a luger. Yes. Right. Yes. So I said, I hope this novel is about, and I wrote the plot, right? Which is, you know, yes. she's a water yeah. sprite. He's, he's, uh, changing a tire on the side of the road. She starts giving him sim- swimming lessons, but tries to drown him every time he comes back with a, with his brother's luger, which he stole, uh, got from the war, which he, which yeah. he was yeah. wounded and, and the brothers doesn't leave the house because he stays up at night. Uh, listening to a pirate radio station that's broadcasting communist propaganda, right? All all that shit. I could write that book, 
but I've never been to Iowa. <laughs> so I won't, right? I could write it. I could okay. fake. I could, I could, I could set it around places I've been. And I think that's what Robert E. Howard does is he, he reads stuff from mm-hmm. history and then he sets it in places in real experiences. Yeah. And that's why yeah. I think. Everything is based on is based on Texas, Texas. Even though it's, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, in Mexico, I mean, he went to Mexico too. A little, so little, little bit of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. About, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's desert southwest frontierish. Yes. Yeah, but but even so, like uh, uh, the reason we can buy Stygia's Stygian is because he read a lot of books and he's basing it on his own experience. But if I was to set a story in a place I've never been to, that's a real place. I think I'd have a lot more tr- trouble. And, uh, you know, when we, Paul, you and I, I, yep. I don't know if Cora was on it. Um, we read a bunch of Robert E. Howard set in Egypt. Um, you know, or uh, I guess it's set in the Crusader states, not Egypt. Oh, the but, Crusader yeah, states. Yeah. Yeah. I've read those, but yeah. I was on the podcast. I've never been there, so I can't attest. But in a sense, none of us have ever been there because it's from the fucking Middle Ages, right? Or pre Middle mm-hmm. Ages. So, in that being the case, we don't have, you know, even if you've been to a Crusader's uh, castle, which, you know, some I people have. I would like to be, but, you know. Right. Then you yeah. can get, you can get more authenticity, I'm sure. But, uh, setting, setting something in the 1950s is hard. Setting something in the 1950s in a place you've never been, much harder than I think, you know, ancient Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like most films still screw up some of their their background stuff trying to get the stuff right well the yeah, the standard one for me is you know they put new world parrots in europe right or africa mm-hmm. you know, it just because they look pretty <laughs> it's like yeah you fool slap slap that's an anaconda I, you don't have anacondas in egypt <laughs> i i do i have a story set in 1870s cairo i did a ton of research but I purposely left some things vague just so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but I'm not there. And I still had one reviewer call me out that you put this next to this. And I thought, what? <laughs> How did you know? I left, I left it so vague that I, I was trying to cover myself and I still had one guy who called me out and I'm like, oh, I can't believe that, but okay. So insert my, my silence are stories, which are set in the 1930s, take a whole, a whole lot in, in uh, mostly in New York City, the kind of pulp here, shadow spider type pulp here. Those, those take a ton of research simply because you always have to figure out, okay, okay, where is this? Uh, is this? What kind of building? So what does it look like today? What did it look like in the 1930s? What kind of buildings mm-hmm. obviously right. were there? What this building, the building, what was it in the 1930s? It takes a, mm-hmm. it takes a ton of research. Mm-hmm. And also, and New York City, especially Manhattan, is probably one of the best documented places around. It's mm-hmm. a lot more difficult for, for other oh, places. Yeah. I mean, it seems like what, what would Christmas look, lights look at? Christmas decorations in the streets would have looked like. They oh, obviously yeah. had Christmas decorations, but what did they look like? Look like, I actually, I mean, found pictures of... And what would it smell like with all those people smoking everywhere, Yeah, right? that's, uh, that's another... So Chewing tobacco. A lot and... of things, uh, so those take, uh, those are really a ton of research to do for, uh, to do, and there are some even well-known areas where it's simply very difficult to find a picture from the 1930s, 30s, and lots of buildings are gone. Usually, if I need a location, it's like, okay, visit it on Google Street View. 
What sort of buildings? Are, what does <laughs> yeah, we don't like? have that for today, for crusader today, states in the Middle Ages. <laughs> but today you can see, okay, this building is obviously old, is obviously pre nineteen thirties. This one might have been built around the time. This one's obviously later. Can we find out? Mm-hmm. A lot of real estate sites are actually quite. I mean, I never, I don't want to, I never want to to buy a flat in some some overpriced flat somewhere. But the real estate sites tell you when the building was built and mm-hmm. often what it's called. A lot of time, it's it's really so. Those take a ton of research. One research. Of, that's one thing I liked about how he said, "Oh, we've got the directions wrong. We need to readjust." Oh, it's in this cleft. Yeah, that that was yeah. all great to me. That yeah, works. It's like they don't get it right the first time and have to. Yeah, readjust. of course. That, uh, that's a real realistic. And they wasted I mean, all, uh, a couple of chapters digging, right? Yeah, well, it's that's like a couple months. I mean, it is yeah, a couple it, months. Yeah, well, it happens. Uh, yeah. The Battle of the Teutobock Forest took place uh, took place almost uh, more than a hundred kilometers where they uh, they we actually originally uh, thought it's yeah. wrong. It's in Kalkriese, Riese, which is not the Teutobock Forest. It's uh, still and especially it's not where the actual where the where the monument is, where the Arminius monument monument is. Mm. It's right, in the right. south of the forest, right, and right. Uh, and yeah. Kalkriese is is flat, and they found the Kalkriese. Field. They found the site of the actual battle in my. I was in high school when they when they found it, and everybody was very very excited about it, about it. And then because they they checked, they knew that okay, we got the site of the battle wrong. Then they checked mentions of uh, Roman force and uh, and Germanic towns and everything, and found that a lot of cities in Germany were actually up to a thousand years older than expected because. Um, because a lot of those Roman for, Roman fortresses and uh, and Germanic villages mentioned corresponded to modern cities cities, but uh, they had all. But it was simply because they got the or because um, because the, the site of the battle was wrong that everything else had also also shifted. So yes, I found this very realistic simply because uh, because uh, this happened in my lifetime that they found it. So uh, one of the one of the things uh, I I I. Forgive young people. I don't know how old the people reviewing these these books are. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't say. Um, but I, I I spend a lot of time with young students, and they haven't like way not you know they just haven't had life right. They haven't had life experience. When I was a little kid, airplanes had cigarette uh, ashtrays on their handles, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> people smoked yeah, on the gosh. airplanes, and at some point, uh, while I was a little kid, they stopped doing that. But that's the ex- you know I I go I back. I still remember having to that you had to specify you want non-smoking. Yeah, right. There's a non-smoking section, but you still had an ashtray on your handle. Right? Yeah, everybody had still smell it. You, you could still it smell it. Still there a lot longer than after smoking had been banned. You still had this ashtray. And you still had the non-smoking side. That's right. Which went on because they never removed it. They removed it until the planes were out of commission, which had been which had been built before the. Before the and they don't go out of commission. They just get, you know, cleaned up. They just yeah, re- replace them, I make the seats smaller. But they kept <laughs> it for a long, long time. I, I remember seeing the ashtrays and the non-smoking signs mm-hmm. way after the, after the. I think the, I think the KL, the KLM M City Hoppers still had them fairly recently because they were pretty old planes mm-hmm. uh, until they were pulled out of commission. So there's a there's a, a game called La Noir. You all know this game came out probably about 10 years ago it's it's basically like grand theft auto um except there's way more uh plot focus you're a detective and it's a set in like a very specific year in the 1950s 
Uh, I actually might be 49. I might be 50. I don't know. Um, you're a detective, LA homicide detective. You drive around like GTA, um, Los Angeles and they've reconstructed huge swaths of 1950 Los Angeles. The game isn't so amazing as a, a plot. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's a fine noir thing. It actually, there's a bunch of little stories in it. Um, and, you know, it's uh, the gameplay, you know, interviewing suspects, not so great. What's so amazing about it is when you get out of a walk out of the police station and get in a car and it's driving down the road, sounds like that car does. And when you go around a corner, it, it's wheels, you know, or it's wheel arches ride up because you're going too quickly. And they have all these rare cars, you know, probably a little too rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the fact that you can stop anywhere in the city and get out and look at a street corner and that's like, that's what's so amazing is, uh, David, imagine you're writing a novel and you have a research team of 5,000 <laughs> programmers whose job it is to go out and like map. Make, make Woolshire Boulevard accurate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's much easier. Like, uh, literally, you should buy this game if you want to <laughs> write a novel yeah, set if you in want that. To write something set in. Uh, it's in so my, easy. In Your research <laughs> is done for you. You just go there in the vehicle. We don't have that for most things. So I, I, I figure it's like we're disabled. We're blinded of course, by. Los Angeles is also very well researched. I mean, uh, yes, my settings like New York. In, in uh, Des Moines or whatever. I think it's very difficult to find a lot of 19, pictures from the 1950s. So this game is, is so good, not because of, you know, it's innovative gameplay or, you know, the, the plot's fine. It's good. What's so amazing about it is that it, they reconstructed 1950s Los Angeles for it. And similarly, there's a uh, uh, Alan Moore comic book series called Providence that is set in uh, Lovecraft Country, New York, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Providence, mm-hmm. etc. And uh, it's not like as a coherent whole, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because it's it's basically recapitulating uh, about ten uh, Lovecraft stories. And putting a fictional character in that per- person's position, and Alan Moore has a uh, at least weak thesis for the f- thing is that this stand-in character Robert Black is uh, Lovecraft's uh, uh, I don't know under psychology is psychology, and he's gay. And the thing is, that doesn't really make sense for when you look at the facts. But when you look at the drawings and you see, like, they, in the first issue, they have reconstructed New York as it appears in, like, 1919. And mm-hmm. it has, like, there's these buildings there. I'm like, this is amazing. And it's all real. Like, there's this building, uh, one of the newspaper buildings that had these owls with glowing eyes all over the top of the building. That building got torn down. Like, before World oh. War Two, and they take in those owls and they put them in a different park, so you can go find one of those owls like in a nearby park. But that nearby park's in this too, and so it, it, just the amount of of research put into the, the world building to give us a picture of what reality was like, even though it's not real, right? It's a fiction story. 
Um, the architecture is correct. So the building from Cool Air is on the cover of the first issue, and the tree that's growing in front of it on the cover of the first issue, right? And the uh, later down the road we get um, uh, not the picture in the house. What's the 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 haunted house one with the uh-huh. zombie growing out of the or there's a giant in the basement. What's it called? Uh, Titan. Oh, I'm getting mixed up. God damn it. We did a show mm. on it. Anyways, that house is, is pictured and the artist, Jason Burroughs, he just did a, f- basically a photograph as a drawing, right? So it's so accurate mm-hmm. that photorealistic. Yeah. That is, fo- well, it's, it's, it still looks like a comic, but it's accurate to the image of the building that is being described in the, in the stuck because it's a real building, right? That Lovecraft is pointing to. So when I see r- reviews that are like just wrong on facts, I was like, okay, people are wrong on both stuff. But also the, like, you just have to come to the thing, whatever it is, with the right expectations and also the knowledge of how to, how to appreciate what you're seeing. And it makes like, like hearing myself, it makes me sound like I'm going to make an apology for modern art where, you know, it's just a big white canvas <laughs> and they paid two billion dollars for it. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. What I am saying is you can appreciate 1960s, not on paperback novels if you read them properly, <laughs> especially. Yeah. Like, this is a great, uh, it's not a great book. It's a really good book. Really fun. And you can see greatness is to come in this guy. Oh, for sure. For sure. If this is the promise, we got, we got, uh, lots of great more reading ahead of us. I'm really, I, I, I'm really happy about this. Uh, the fact that I've got so many more Michael Crichton, John Lang novels yeah. to read. I think there's eight total. But, but but since this Cora was the one who suggested all this, so I want to thank Cora for this. Thank you, Cora. You go winner, Cora. Yeah, it was sort of it came up in the discussion somewhere. I don't even know why. And I had those, uh, and and I said I have one of those, one of those, and I think that's why we decided to read binary because uh, that was the one I. Yeah, I I, I I was into I, I like Michael Creighton movies, and mm-hmm. I saw that there was a Michael Creighton TV movie for binary, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, uh, I think we should. Because pick- mostly, um, you don't see a lot of hard case crime books in German. You can, of course, order them online, but you don't see, easily see them even the import shop. But whenever, and also not in the UK, but whenever I see a hard case crime book, I usually grab it simply because they're so well, they're so so well made, and it's all, it's almost always entertaining, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Never had a bad one. So, but, uh, uh, so Michael Crichton's one once were actually in this. In this, I found a couple of them in a store, probably because it was Crichton. The other ones, my hard case crime books, you always get are Stephen King's. You can always get the Stephen King ones. Mm-hmm. So but everything uh, else is sort of hit and miss. There's uh, a yeah, the, so I, I go for it. Go ahead. No, yeah, go for it. Oh, I, I have a bunch of the Crichton books, but I was actually unaware of the Lang books. Mm-hmm. But makes sense. Well, um, I. I I don't follow a lot of publishers, but I was aware that they were releasing them through hard case crime, re-releasing them. And, uh, anything they, they reprint makes me want to read it. Some of their mm-hmm. modern stuff, it's hit or miss. And, you know, the thing is, I think there's extra fun reading an old book because it has, if it's still around after, wow, almost five dec five decades, right? Um, so people are still reading it and giving it low ratings on 
<laughs> on uh, Goodreads. Although I think that overall it's slightly above the mean or the average or whatever. Um, Goodreads are Goodreads rating. I think are always low. Also, they're all three I think point Goodreads something. Users users skew young and skew female, and so they're just not the target audience. Hmm. Probably also haven't had experience with this sort of fiction. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, I've had, uh, I've read a lot of, uh, also when I was young, I read a lot of older fiction and quickly sort of learned how learned to check for the copyright date, date like, okay, because when I ran across in children's books where things didn't make sense. Right. Okay. One thing I quickly learned is I learned to check the copyright date, date. And then I was a child, was a series of children's books about the life of a young, of a girl growing up. Up and I thought like okay if she's uh, this age then she must have been born then and then I said, oh I can calculate and then I was like wait a minute but shouldn't World War Two be going on why are they not mentioning bombs of course because <laughs> the book wasn't written written the books were all written in the 1930s the woman died in World War Two who wrote them them and uh, so she never never got around but I was always like shouldn't we mention bombs and that taught me to always check the copyright right on every book not just the first one in the series. <laughs> So when uh, I learned this, like I was like ten when I learned this, uh, learned this. But um, a lot also, I think when we were a lot of the books we read as children and as young people were older, older because there was not as much good YA books as there are today. Today, if you're like like twelve, thirteen, fourteen, there's a ton of great yeah, YA books. That's a whole library. Girl, for... Also for boy, we didn't have this. So the, uh, the current day year YA was usually problem books, which I hated. So um, I had to read a lot of older stuff and just got used to, okay, those books were written in different times and things were different. And also, things might not match. I mean, I read Karl May, who wrote about the Wild, the wild West. He never visited and <laughs> visited and he wrote a yeah. lot about the Middle East. He never visited. visited so I also learned to adjust like, okay, they don't always know what they're writing about. And sometimes they get things wrong. <laughs> so, um, it, I'll just read this from the, I'm looking at the list of John Lang books. Uh, Michael Cretton wrote novels to help support herself while attending Harvard Medical School. He found he could write a book in a week and then sell them for $2,500 each. This one apparently was $1,500. Um, but, uh, here's a, here's a thing. Um, it took us a week to read this. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it took me. I didn't read it solid. Obviously, you could read it in a day if you wanted to, which is, uh, honestly, that's one of the great things about a short novel under eight hours. You can read it in a day. Um, but uh, I, I totally want to spend a few more weeks reading his stuff. Um, uh, here's the list. Uh, Odds on, we have not read that one. Sc scratch one, haven't read that one. Easy go. That's the one we just read. That's from, oh, it says 67. Wow. Oh, interesting. Okay. A Case of Need. Um, I, I think that might be a medical one. I'm not sure. It is. Okay. It is. The Venom Business. I think that's got a snake on the cover. Zero Cool. That one looks pretty cool. Um, Dealing or the Berkeley or Boston 40 Brick Lost Bag Blues. I think that's a drug book. Uh, we read Drug of Choice. That's a drug book too, but not a drug dealing book. Exactly. It's, oh, it's pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, Grave Descend and Binary. So we've read the, the last official John, uh, John Lang book, Binary, and we've read Drug of Choice, and we've read Easy Go. But now we have our choice of a bunch. Uh, what do you, what do you, what speaks to you guys? Where are you reading this list from? I'll send this, it's on the michaelcrichton.com slash writer. 
but I'll send it in the chat here. Um, scratch one. What, what's the scratch one was what I was thinking. Scratch one is to prevent an arms shipment from reaching the Middle East. A terrorist group has been carrying out targeted assassinations in Egypt, Portugal, Denmark, France. In response, the United States sends one of its deadliest agents to take their the killers down. But when the agent is delayed in transit, lawyer Roger Carr gets mistaken for him. Oh, this sounds like a Donald West-like novel. Uh, now, with some of the world's deadliest men after him, will he survive long enough to prove his identity? Sounds pretty good. Uh, odds on. The plan to rob the Reina, a super luxury hotel off the coast of Spain. The crew, three seasoned criminals with the skills to put off, pull off the heist. The edge. The scheme has been stimu- simulated in a computer down to the last variable. Hey, it's a techno thriller. The complication. Three beautiful women with agendas of their own and the sort of valuables, uh, sorry, Very variables, nice. not, no computer can fathom. So I, I think we should read this one because it'll have lots of breasts in it. And that's the only reason I read books <laughs> is to read about breasts, not see pictures of them. To read about them. Read about breath. Imagination. <laughs> Never seen one. <laughs> but the, 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 venom, the venom business is another artifact smuggling. Oh, that um, sounds good. I think that yeah, so, that one might be double the length, though. Um, let's just check. Um, I know that one of them is quite long compared to the others. Let me just see if I can find the audible length. Uh, John Lang. Uh, what with the venom business? No, biz, biz, buzziness. There we go. It is 12 hours, 11 hours, 55. I can do that, but, um, it will take a week. Getting... An um... expert handler in venomous snakes and a smuggler of rare artifacts, Charles Renault is accustomed to danger. So, jo- so the job body. Wait, the job bodyguarding an old acquaintance about to come into a fortune shouldn't make him break a sweat. But when the attempts on the man's life get Renault killed, <laughs> oh, nearly get him killed, he's left wondering if, uh, wondering, is the killer's real, is he the killer's real target? And then the first review is, meh, four stars. <laughs> what? Of course. <laughs> four stars and a meh. Come on. <laughs> Excellent narrator. Story drags along. He gives it four stars. A story, three stars. Okay. Oh, hey, this is important. Bondesk romp with off-puttingly sexist undertones. Oh, yay. Dylan Burgess doesn't like the off-puttingly sexist undertones. Oh, poor people. Um, we also have Grave Descend, which has a ship on the cover. On fire. Brave descent. Oh, that's um, only four hours. Three hours, 39 minutes. Diver James Gregory is used to exploring sunken ships, but there's something strange about the wreck of the grave descend. No one aboard. <laughs> yes. No one aboard dwells quite the same story about what happened. Then there's the mysterious cargo they were carrying. In one of the most beautiful places on Earth, a sinister plot is about to unfold, and if McGregor is not careful, he may find himself over his head. See, McGregor is Pierce. We, we won't know anything about him. He's just a blank canvas for us to have the story <laughs> through. Um, oh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'll take any of these. You guys choose. <laughs> Four hours sounds good. Four, you want to do that one? What was it called? 
Grave Descent. Grave Descent. Grave Descent. You go yeah, with that, I Cara? Can, I can get that one uh, one for a decent price uh, price on Emma because I'm just checking which ones are actually still available for a re- for a decent price because uh, they all should be now. All the ones that are um, available through Hardcase should be available. Yeah, I don't know if Hardcase is uh, because um, uh, I don't know if Hardcase Crime still has them. Um, yeah, they on, should. Uh, has them there should be available. some used versions out there. Probably with yeah, cigarette so stains on them. I can find it. I can get used to this one. Yeah. Because I have to go via Amazon Germany. All the, 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 all the shipping will be way too expensive. Imagine, like, you, you pick a regular Goodread reviewer from <laughs> from the modern era. You know, I, I don't know how old they are, but obviously they're young. And you pluck them in, put them in a time machine and send them back to 1971. <laughs> <laughs> they come back with their review of 1971. It's gross. There's cigarettes everywhere. Yep, it was. Yep. <laughs> it was. I think this is why I do not look at Goodreads reviews of any of my stuff. Yeah, I mean, I also maybe there's some gems there. There I, I, might be, but I, I just don't. I just won't look. Yeah, I, I, I don't tend to find great reviews on there, but I also don't. I, I never got into it. I was really into IMDb reviews when IMDb was a new thing. Writing them up and reading them. And uh, I, I think just uh, writing r- movie reviews is really fun. But I think if you, if you, or any kind of review is really fun. But if you are kind of like doing it uh, semi-professionally, I think it, it can be, it can be hurtful to you. Like, that's why people don't like the guy who I was reading most of that review from. He was doing a 250 book review challenge or something, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, "This is just another thing to check off. It didn't make me happy." But uh, the way I'm reading, I'm like, "I like Michael Crichton a little bit. I really like John Lang. Let's read more John Lang." There's no, uh, you know, I could make a list of really good books, but it wouldn't have star ratings. So I think I'm not. I hate star ratings. Actually, yeah, I think they're really. Um, I do them for Galactic Journey because I want the star ratings, yeah. but I hate. Yeah, yeah I love them. Same thing for Nerds of a Feather. Can't really, uh, really, uh, my my style of reviewing is like okay, I like this. I I didn't like this. I give everything uh, this, five stars. This reminded me of that. That's the way I write reviews, but uh, I don't. I don't like star ratings. Also, I I almost never read Goodreads or Amazon reviews uh, because mostly it's just okay. Half the people are not the target audience audience and uh, other people think it's really great to have weird uh, blinking gifts or something uh, all the time all the time that's it's just a different style of reviewing that's not mine so the <laughs> next open slot is eleven twenty seven. does that work for everybody yeah 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 that's fine david you're good with that 8 a.m yep, same time yep, that okay. works for me mm-hmm. yep same all right time. putting same on the grave descend and that's good because I th- the week before is Innocence Abroad by Mark Twain, and that's long. I believe that is not 20 hours, but it's pretty long. Maybe it is 20 hours. Uh, I, I ne- I'm going to need a nice little break from a big, long 20-hour book. Okay, I'm just ordering the... Michael. I'm just ordering the... Martin. Grave Descent. So, um, if, if uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea... Um, Richard Bachman's not a shit lib, but Stephen King is. Um, <laughs> so if Michael Crichton, if you had to give him a nickname, uh, it would be different from John Lang, I think. Right? 
He's in it for the cigarettes or something. <laughs> he's, yeah. it. he's a he's a, a more of a boob man, all right? I don't know. Oh yeah, but- did I actually mention this when we did the last John? Lang? Because the funny thing is, uh, is uh, Michael Crichton used the pen name John Lang. There actually was a person whose real name is John Lang writing books at the same time under the name John Norman. Yes, John Norman's right. real name is John Lang, <laughs> the gore guy, and uh, oh. and Michael Crichton, uh, Crichton. Used the name John Lang to write uh, to write adventure paperback and thrillers. So, so I find it kind of funny that we have a real John Lang writing as John Norman mm-hmm. and a fake John Lang writing at the same time. It is confusing. It's yeah. been a lot more confusing. I mean, I came to I came to Richard Stark knowing he was Donald Westlake, but if I was reading Richard Stark and reading Donald Westlake at the time, they were you know, both publishing a lot, I don't know, in the 70s, 60s, um, I would probably say these are two of my favorite writers <laughs> rather than <laughs> say this is my favorite writer because they are different books, right? They're, there's a different feel to them. So I, I'm, I maybe I need to read some Michael more recent Michael Crichton, but I, I also, I don't know if I mentioned this to Cora or Paul. I uh, know I didn't mention it to David, but I was, maybe, it, maybe I did mention it to Cora. Um, I was really excited. Oh, I think it was Trish I mentioned it to. Um, there's a, jo- not a John Lang, a Michael Creighton book that was discovered in his papers oh, yes. in you 2017. Did okay. You did mention it to yeah. me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's from 1975. So it's before, it's after his John Lang books, although it could have come out as a John Lang book if it had been published, maybe. Um, but it's uh, a dinosaur, uh, hunters in the old west. Uh, so yeah, that's a David. Dragon's Teeth. Have you read it? I haven't read that one. It's one of those ones I meant to, and I just haven't hey, yet. It's got historical on, characters in it. That too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think at some point I want to read that, but maybe after the John Langs, um, okay. because because um, I like dinosaurs. Yeah, I think they're hun- I mean, they're hunting for bones. Yeah, the bon- dinosaur hunters. Yes, uh, dinosaur bone hunters. Dragon Teeth, right? Is that the title? Yeah, yeah, it's Dragon, Dragon Teeth. Yeah. That sounds good. Here's here's a big shocker for me. Um, I'm helping a student write an essay about um, weird tales, and I didn't know this, but uh, you guys probably don't know who any of these guys. Are. Hugh Rankin, great uh, interior artist. He yeah, did. The, I know who he is. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He did the yeah. interior art for He's Call of Cthulhu. Interior and some of the covers. Yeah, some of the covers. But get this, um, he also has another identity in Weird Tales as a guy named Doak, D-O-A-K. Doak is his middle name. So -hmm. when he was using a different technique, not grease pencil, he is Doak. And the line, the art style is quite different. And like, oh, Um, I like, I I, I like, yeah, I like Hugh Rankin. I don't think I like Doak as much. (laughs) Cause he, he does this weird, like, um, a lot of the interior Conans are, uh, Hugh Rankin. Rankin did a lot of the Conans. Yeah, I was semi familiar with that, but I didn't know about the Doak. D-O-A-K. It's a weird name, right? Um, so, uh, Doak, weird tale, see what comes up. Uh, I was reading his Wikipedia entry, and I'm like, "What? He's Doke?" <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, nothing comes up. Oh, there we go. Uh, here's a Frank Bel- Belknap Long uh, interior copy image. Put this in the chat. There we go. Oh, 
That didn't work. You get dozens of weird tales covers, but none of them are about all sorts of things. Yeah, I don't think he did. Doke, I don't. Doke didn't do any covers, but um, yeah, because it's Doke art. Probably have to look him up in uh, there's a internet science fiction database. Yeah, because obviously a lot of these are. I mean, this is obviously Rankin Rankin artwork, but it's not. Oh yeah, I've seen that. You can, but you like you can see that it's the same guy. If you look, if you look at it knowing it's the same guy, like the face looks like a Hugh Rankin face, but the mm-hmm. style is different, even though it's similar. I would have thought, you know, is, are these the same guy? No, but this guy's copying that guy. <laughs> but Hugh Rankin's. Pastiche. Yes. Yes. I just found a bunch of, of, um, Comic strips and cartoons you Rankin did in the ninth, in the early 20th century for the, oh, yeah. for newspapers. He was mm-hmm. a newspaper cartoonist in Chicago before he did Weird Tales. Yeah, he's talented. He's talented. Yeah, I found him because I said, why does he have a Lumbic, uh, Lumbicpedia, Lumbignette entry? But he does have one, one because he yeah, also he did cartoons. One. Because Lumbic is only cartoons. Yes, uh, yes, you can see his early cartoons. Oh, I, uh, oh. I, I've gone through every issue mm. of Weird Tales, but like sometimes I see a picture and I'm like, that's not very familiar. It's because I haven't spent time gazing at it, you know. But he's so good. Oh. I really like his. Uh, Dunwich Horror doesn't work very well because it's usually so grainy, but most of his his illustrations are <laughs> lovely. Rankin is one of my favorite Weird Tales interior artists. You know what's really weird is that for the longest time I didn't re- realize Virgil Finlay did a ton of covers for Weird Tales. He did a ton of covers. Like he's maybe third or fourth ranked of covers. Mm-hmm. But he, you know him from his interiors, but his covers are, you know, painted rather than in his style. So they're, they're harder um, to identify. They don't look very Virgil Finlay like, which is probably where most people don't notice them. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize they were Finley for a long time either. But yeah, I just always think they're it's black signed. They're signed by him, but we. I just found a, a Doke cover, which is, I just found one which is actually a Doke cover, a cover, and also a kind of um, for Weird Tales. Yeah, I found it. I have to get, is... get back to it now. I just found one. One. It was a really weird one about uh, with um with some guy getting here it is in a dead man's shoes by Harold Markham. Okay, let's. Gets a graphic. Let's get just the graphic. Here it is. Is it's a really weird, uh, weird one? One with some guy getting hang, getting hanged, and someone. Is it? Is it a cover? It's a interior. Oh yeah, no, I'm seeing that one. It's a doke. Yeah, it's a doke. Yes, it's a doke. Yeah, I thought I. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I don't think he we have to. I don't think doke. No, doke didn't do the cover, but Hugh Rankin did. (laughs) That's the weird part. Covers, yes. And all uh, the other thing that's really interesting about uh, Hugh Rankin in Weird Tales is that he did almost all of the, um, I don't know what they're called exactly, but at the end of a story, there'd be a little blank space. They'd fill that with a piece of art. It's vignettes or something yeah. like that. I think they're mostly called vignettes. Something it's like that. And a lot of them are just taken from earlier stories in Weird Tales. Then they just like crop it and take out the yeah, title. Yeah, there's a snake woman face. Which yes. Is woman, I think... Uh, Frank Bell have norm story. And yeah, you're right. Up all the time yeah, wear snake. Yeah. 
I just found another dog had a thing for, for hangings. I just found another piece of <laughs> I, I think yeah, that the... Always hold it to hangings. Isn't well, there's a lot of hangings <laughs> in Weird Tales, though. I mean, Weird Tales had a lot of stories like that, but it's really notable that dog kind of liked, apparently liked these, these <laughs> stories. I don't know. I don't know if the artists get to choose. Maybe they get to choose what scene. Uh, they, I think, uh, I think they, Margaret Brandich was actually interviewed towards the end of her life and she said she, she actually read the stories mm-hmm. and then made suggestions for potential covers and, uh, and Francis Wright chose one and then he usually chose the one where there was a naked woman. <laughs> well, it sells. Yeah, it sells. I went through all 67 of her covers. Only three don't have women on them. Yeah, most of them have, uh, Women and also uh, and also um, the scenes. No matter how absurd, there usually is a scene like that in the story. Except yes. with some, I think the bad woman doesn't actually exist in the yeah, story. Yeah, no, but, there's uh, actually three like that. There's three there covers and, and of hers. The woman who presses the skull to her apple yeah. bosom. Is also yeah, and there's a the bat woman, the skull, <laughs> and those three. Those three are right in a row. I think probably what happened was um, that was. When for, I, I don't have the time on this exactly right, but Farnsworth Wright was basically not there, right? And mm-hmm. so they're replacing him with his assistant, uh, Gan- Margaret something, Ganje or something, Nadje, I don't know. Anyways, um, I think that they probably like fumbled the ball and needed, cause mo- almost every cover is based on an interior story. Almost every one. And those ones are not. Those three late... They're not in the middle of... They're sort of in the middle of Brundage's um, work. Uh, they're really famous ones, but they're not yes. based on any story. Which they're is really weird. Co- some of the most famous uh, famous Brundage Well, two of them are pretty famous. One of them is a lot... The one with yeah, the skull is, is so... Uh, but uh, the one with the skull and the one with the bad... The bad woman is probably the most famous yeah, one. Ba- it's never been yeah. my favorite, but it's one of the most famous. Yeah, it's not and a story, the, the but it should be. The skull is also really popular. So one one exercise I give to my students is I give them uh, art and then I have them write the story to it. That 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 sounds like um, what's it called? Um, it sounds like the Zap Gun by Tolkien. Yes. Yeah, I mean it was done like that sometimes. Yes. And, um, also, well into the late into later into nineteen sixties and so on, that people that there was a piece of artwork like okay, we have a piece of cover, I'll write a story to go with. It's, Speaking of which, or, David, it, have you it, been to it, Iowa? It happened. It's even happened. Recently. I have been like, to Iowa. Okay. Does it have ditches? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's okay. canals, plenty, uh, all right. plenty of irrigation. I'm looking stuff. forward to uh, the book. Make it short, though. Nice slim volume. Okay. I, well, well, I liked you your idea to... enough that I wanted to play with that. Please do. <laughs> why don't you go to Iowa to make sure his book is accurate? Uh, I'm not go invited to, to the United States well, that, anymore. That's the, that's the beauty of a rural setting, though. <laughs> mm. That's true. Um, As opposed to. Here's the thing. Los Angeles. I don't know. I don't know why his brother has. I thought he was a Korean War vet, the brother, but he has a Luger. So maybe this is set earlier than I thought. Maybe it's a world. Maybe it's like 47 rather than the 50s. That would work. Right. But I, I really like the idea of the communist propaganda on the radio and he's obsessed with it. And I figure the sheriff doesn't want to get involved. <laughs> and maybe that's because the sheriff is secretly a communist. <laughs> which is about the least likely thing to ever happen in any, any story. So maybe you should go, maybe you should lean into it, David. 
I I like that. I mean, we still had stuff in the. I I just watched Cannonball Run with my kids. Oh, great! And there's a scene where they're going through and they get pulled over and they tell them that Dean Martin and Sammy are commies. And he's like, you take that seriously? And they look and there's a banner for the elect the next sheriff. And his middle name is not danger. It's kill a commie. Wow. And that was still <laughs> legit in, you know, like 81. Yep. Well, he, he's a throwback though, but even so. I get, it's a little bit of a throwback because yeah. it was in the South somewhere, but still. Those are great movies. So fun. So funny. I, you have to teach your kids how to watch these. I hope you're teaching them how to watch uh, black and white movies. Absolutely. We actually watched um, A Matter of Life and Death, also known as uh, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, I don't it's know that David one. Niven. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, we just watched that uh, a month ago. They really liked it. I wasn't sure how it would go over with them, but they really liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really important to teach kids how to watch movies properly. But but you say that, but so what does that actually mean, Jesse? You, you have to explain to them how to watch it. Um, but, 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 but no, and, unpack and, that. How, how, well, the first you thing you need to do is make sure it's going to be an amazing experience. You don't pick any random black and white movie, right? Uh, <laughs> no, 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 it, it needs to, to be watch. good. And they, right. you know, I'm helping them understand the, and, the cultural uh, nuance of the young time. People. Yeah, and, and give them an expectation of how it's going to play out, right? Mm-hmm. So that they, that you know, so I, I think I would have benefited in my movie uh, watching ability, having had um, the Mark of Zorro uh, in the the silent film um, introduced to me very young. Because I am able to watch it, but I find myself shuffling my feet a little bit uh, when it's not an action sequence. Yeah. Because it's not easy to watch silent films if you weren't trained on them, right? Right. And the first thing I've done with them is we did watch Nosferatu. Nice. And then we do watch the Buster Keatons. And Charlie Chaplin. So, uh, so those, of course, also still hold up. Yeah. yeah. You don't show them the shitty movies. You show them the no, good ones, Paul. No, That's no, how you do it. Good ones. Yeah. Uh, so what, when are you, you going to unleash uh, Metropolis? Uh, That's a long maybe movie. A, maybe it's really, later. really long. Yeah, it's very good, but very, yet. very long. So things they must probably, I don't know how old your children are, but they should probably be 17 and 16. Okay, at that age, it's fine. That was probably the age I first, first saw it. Actually saw it in the theater, but it was wow, before the theory start was. In the theater with live, with live music. Wow, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, that really would be cool. It probably helps, too, to watch it in the theater. Yeah, that was, of course, simply the experience was so. I, I dragged a friend along who didn't want to go like, oh, it's a silent movie. Movie and it's hard, like, right? Oh, People, it's amazing, yeah. amazing, and also the live music. You need to be taught to watch Shakespeare and opera and all these things, and we don't teach kids almost any of this stuff. Then when we do, we teach it wrong mostly. We make teachers mostly do badly it. badly done at school. I, yeah, I discovered a lot of done. things myself simply because um, yes, because um, well, and you're not your own best teacher most of the time. So I. You need I mean, to have a guided experience. Black and white movies on TV. At the, they were simply there on TV, TV all the time. So yeah, you you saw a lot of them. 
Mm-hmm. So, and got used eventually got used to the style, but um, it takes time. And opera, especially, is really difficult. You can think about it like food. And Paul. operettas are even more difficult because they're basically died out. You don't you don't give the baby kimchi. <laughs> you give the <laughs> the seven year old kimchi after you've taught them yeah, how to eat a few other things because kimchi is still like delicious. Is a lot of people don't give the seven year old kimchi either. They give the they give the kid, they, they take a kid to, you often see this, whatever it is, whether it is, it's always the kid always eats, uh, eats French fries, fries, even if it's an Asian restaurant. No, if I take a kid to an Asian restaurant, they yeah. wouldn't eat French fries. The kid yeah. would eat some, it uh, would get to choose something from the menu, but no French fries, no children's menus or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Because that's how you, um, that's how you basically, well, Blunt down their taste if they they never eat any if they, if they eat yeah that, I mean it is a thing for is. kids right some and some won't want eat certain colors right yeah <laughs> I mean yeah if kids was weird I was also a weird eater as a kid, everybody's right? weird as some but, um, some people you know I'm weird too but uh some there are ways of like not everybody's gonna become a film film aficionado. But there are a lot of kids I know who don't watch any movies. And it's like you're missing a whole experience of art. Not every movie is a piece of art, but a lot of movies are. And especially today, not every movie is a piece of art, but a lot of yeah, movies are. Yeah, it's really hard to find something now. A current a film that's coming out, past. yeah. No, it's not as good as it used to be. Yeah, you know, a lot of the stylish, and also a lot of the tricks nowadays are basically stolen from older. I mean, uh, take for example in uh, the Avengers, the, the famous circle shot. It's a Michael Ball, it's a Michael Ballhaus circle shot with Joss Whedon, who kind of likes those, basically borrowed from Ballhaus. And Ballhaus did it first in the 1970s when there were no steady camps. He actually had to build rails. Rails. Mm-hmm. You can see the original circle. It's in a completely forgettable and pretty terrible Fassbender movie, but that original circle shot is amazing, and everybody has been copying it since, and okay, most people nowadays just think of the Avengers when they think, maybe Fabulous Baker Boys, which Mm. actually was part of it. I watched... You have to recognize how good this stuff is. is, You have to somehow learn that it's it's good, whether you teach yourself or have someone teach you, which is better. I watched uh, a movie called The Gray Man. It's on Netflix. Um, it's a Russo Brothers movie, and I I didn't realize that. Yeah, those are the guys who did a lot of uh, Marvel movies. Yeah, they did a lot of the Marvel movies. So this they, is they do more- slightly over two hours. And it, what's interesting is it is a Marvel movie, except it, there's no superheroes. It's just a spy version of a Marvel movie, and it's interesting because uh, here's my review: high budget Netflix movie based on a novel having approximately a dozen fight scenes, all with different color coding and music. It's basically a competence fantasy about CIA spies, CIA spies done up like a Marvel movie with Captain America as the bad guy. So, uh, I don't know. Oh, Chris Evans. is He's got a mustache, but it's Captain America, right? And mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is your generic superhero hero. He's not a superhero. It's yeah. just, you know, whatever. Okay. Have a good one, Paul. Get better, or how are we discuss? Feel better. That's the words I'm looking for. So, uh, yeah. For, uh, so I said forgettably watchable. It is a it is very competent movie. Very high budget. Uh, looks great. Um, didn't really have a heart, but Ryan Gosling's good, and Chris Evans is good, and Anna De Armas, oh, I don't not super familiar with. She was fine too. 
So hmm. like he's, I think a new up and comer. Yeah, I guess. He was in, I think they, he was in Knives Out with with Chris oh. Evans. Oh yeah, and, yeah, she was good in Knives Out. You're one right. of the Bond movie, the latest Bond movies, the one which which came out way too late. She's and, a good actor. Uh, yeah, she, she's and she just played Marilyn Monroe in some film. Which Weird. I think played at the Venice Festival or was it Toronto? I'm one surprised. of the festivals, at any rate. Is hmm. Marilyn Monroe tiny? Because I get the sense she was tiny. I think she was really really short. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe everybody's. Sh- short in movies and uh, a lot of people actually were quite short especially in in earlier times how times tall is ryan people. gosling <laughs> i, I figured he's uh, six the, feet one, weird, one of the weirdest experience if you go to to madame tussauds or some wax museum mm-hmm. is that everybody is that all of these these famous actors actors are really really short. he's six foot one quarter inch i was right hmm. that's that's pretty much standard right and i think that's chris evans slightly so taller Oh, maybe not. Maybe it's exactly the same. I, and who knows if these are accurate, right? The propaganda. <laughs> They're probably <laughs> a little bit fudged. It says 1.83 meters, Robert 6 Downey feet. Robert Downey Jr. always has, has, um, always has platforms. I think, platform shoes or something because he's, <laughs> yep. he's very short. Really? Yep. And, uh, I, I, yeah. Also, you can see if there's no plan. You have, you have some actually... The Marvel I, movies, it's quite visible that they try to, because Vince Paltrow is quite tall and he's quite short, that they try, that they try to yeah. find ways to make him they, look they make, they make her barefoot, <laughs> she's barefoot, and he's wearing platform shoes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Tom Cruise, 5'7", says. Oh, 5'7 and 3 quarters, sorry. Didn't mean yeah, to. I'd shame him. <laughs> I think Robert De Niro is really, really short. Speaking of short, Linda Hunt, one of my favorite actors, yeah. she's super she's, short. She's, of course, short, but... Uh, I also I watched Silverado. I haven't seen that since it came out originally. That's I a really like good that. movie. I really like. Yeah, that. you would. Your Western seen guy, that right? One, I probably yeah. have seen it. It's on Netflix in Canada, it's anyways. Not, you haven't seen it. A, uh, who's uh, that? I have seen it. Probably. I'm not sure. I'm not a huge Western fan, which is why I tended to avoid a lot of westerns. It's a very westerns, well put together one. plot. This is a good one. Well, uh, the actors are Kevin Klein, Scott Glenn. That's that's a good movie on its own. Well, even all but yeah, it the cast is fantastic. John Danny Cruz Glover, is the sheriff. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Goldblum is the bad guy. Kevin Costner a, a is bad guy, super yeah. young, and bad guy. and Linda Hunt, just terrific on screen. I didn't even know that Linda Hunt was in a was in this this one. Yeah, I mean Linda Hunt is terrific in pretty much everything. Yeah, she yeah, is. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. She she makes even really bad bad stuff watchable. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I pretty much watched uh, watched a lot way too much of NCIS Los Angeles. Oh, she was really on that. Very wow. good. But my mom watched it. I watched it with her simply because okay, there was they had really good a lot of the actors. I'm glad she really got good. some work. It was fun watching these people. It's too bad. It that was wasn't movies. Nonsense. Yeah, uh, Jeff Goldblum is a bad guy. Is always good. Scott Glenn, I. Could watch any. I I have watched watched any Scott, Scott Glenn, Glenn movie. Is pre- is very, very I just watched Gargoyle that has him oh. in it as his first movie. Oh really? What year? And is he's that? just this dirt bike. I want to say like seventy two. Seventy two. You're right. Seventy one. Yeah, yep. And he's just a punk dirt bike kid that gets roped into helping him fight against uh, the gargoyles. With it's played by Bernie Casey, which you would never recognize him. <laughs> hey, it's on YouTube. I think I have something that to watch today. Lots of fun, actually. Yep. Um, Scott 19- Glenn is in a TV movie. Did a kind of movie when around the time Silence of the Lambs came out. There was a lot of weird knockoff movies about ritualistic serial killers. 
And Scott Glenn was in one of those, which is better than the actual Silence of the Lamb. You know, there's a weird remake thing that happens. Um, There's a terrible movie called Man on Fire uh, that got remade with Denzel Washington. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's Denzel Washington. Anyways, um, the remake is not good. The original with with, uh, Scott Glenn is terrific. It's one of these movies where I, it's, it's got 5.8 on IMDb as usual. Um, it's one of these movies where I, I watch it. I'm like, this is a really good little movie. And then I, I give it to a friend of mine and I say, your mom's going to like this movie. <laughs> and she's like, I don't like this movie. I'm bad taste. Right. Or whatever. Like, no, she watched this. Like, that was a really good movie. Right. Like it, a part of it is you have to go in with a kind of, um, uh, you know, no expectations in a certain sense, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's one of these movies plots that you've seen a million times. It says, CIA agent, or former CIA agent, John Creasy is hired to protect a, a bodyguard f- for a girl in Italy. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't even remember. What I do remember is that it, it's a movie that has heart, right? Like, they don't have the biggest budget, but they got Scott Glenn as an actor who's good on screen, uh, charismatic in his own weird way, right? Mm-hmm. And fun and interesting. And then they, you know, the plot doesn't fuck up and stumble. Like a lot of the movies that come out today is like, why is this happening? Why are you spending your money on, you on this? Yeah. I got something for you on this. Go for it. So I just did my big local Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the pictures. And I got to meet Keith Coogan and talk with him. I really like that guy. Um, Adventures in Babysitting, Hiding oh. Out, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. So I got to chat with him and told him, hey, I'm a writer. And he's like, I'm sorry. And I thought he didn't <laughs> hear me. And I go, I'm a writer. And he's all, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and he started to tell me that the whole reason they're doing all these reboots, he's like, they want you to think it's nostalgia. It's not. No. The studios are getting the rights back. And oh, yeah. don't care if it's good. They don't care if it makes money. It's all about them holding on to the right. Intellectual property is the yeah, thing. That's uh, also a story I heard. So it's, this uh, is almost, also explains also almost all of Marvel and DC the, Comics, uh, too. DC yeah, yeah. I, I bought the Unknown Soldier when it came out, uh, you know, one shot. The only reason they put that thing out is because they want to. They have to. It's actually not even copyright, it's, it's the trademarks, right? They have to mm-hmm. show yep. that. The, Show that they're still using them because one day they want to sit on these things and maybe, maybe one day the lawyers tell them one day they may want to make some money from this. They're incompetent right now, but when the company folds, <laughs> the lawyers know they need to have some assets in the bank. And these mm-hmm. are assets that never die be- when incompetent hands. If you want to get Garth Ennis to write Unknown Soldier, it'll be b- the best comic out. Garth Ennis is not writing Unknown Soldier because they don't want to pay him, and they don't trust Unknown Soldier being a good comic. It would be great! Instead, yeah. they have Obama giving Spider-Man or Punisher a, a Congressional Medal of Honor, and I'm like, fuck off! <laughs> you yeah, yeah. And so I watched the, the documentary about the Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, and then I went and watched it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this really wasn't that bad! Oh, it's on but YouTube. Because oh. they... They put, yeah, it is now because nice. I, I wanted to see it. I remember seeing the trailer back in the nineties on some video cassette mm-hmm. and then we never got to see it. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, it's cheap, but it's really not that bad. They put heart into that. Adventures in Babysitting. I haven't thought about that movie since I saw it. I saw it in the theater. I remember it, it mm-hmm. was. I I remember it now as good. But I walked out of the theater saying that was a really good movie. I watched it with my kids last night because I'm like, hey, Keith nice. is really cool. I really like this guy. Let's watch this now that we got back from the con and we're still all it? jazz, still all awake. <laughs> I think it holds up. I really like it. I also it's entertaining. It oh, girl, you got to watch this. and You think you'll like it. I have seen it. Oh, you've seen it. Okay. It. I've seen it, but I haven't seen it. In, it's a lot better than it has any right to. There's something called Adventures in Babysitting. Has oh, any it's right Chris to. Columbus, I think. And it's just entertaining. It's yeah. just fun. They're calling it a sitcom on uh, IMDb. Sitcom, I think, is only for television, but I guess it is it's a situation. Yeah, I, but I guess it is a situation comedy just as a film, but even so, uh, yeah, uh, sitcom doesn't seem like. Uh, you know what movie is absolutely terrific? I did a big review on it, um, is uh, Weird Science. That movie. Oh, yeah. Is so it's well a, put together. Remarkably good. One. Remarkably good. Even like uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, very, <laughs> a very small young role. Robert yeah. and I think is it Val Kilmer? Some, some, someone else of that. But the, yeah, they I nailed think. the ending on that. Like it starts off, the two boys are standing looking at a gym full of girls, right, doing their exercises, and they're uh, like, I'm watching it as a sort of reviewing it, so I'm pausing it and then write something and then watch some more. At the final, the final scene, almost a post-credit scene, is you know just after the whatever, after the end of the movie, basically, um, it's cut back to the gym. Now it's a gym full of boys, and there's I think Lisa is her name mm-hmm. standing yeah, in the exact same position, and they do the same pan up to show the shoes, and and uh, she recapitulates a line from earlier in the movies: "What are you, little monsters?" or whatever. Um, it. At the opening sequences, they've got, uh, they're watching Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And then there's the sequence where they make Lisa using, you know, printouts from magazines and Einstein's brain and a bunch of other stuff. And then within the movie itself, the bully boys, including Robert Downey Jr., uh, want to get, make their own Lisa. So they do it again within the movie and it, it doesn't work out because, uh, it's not attached to a little doll. And instead it was attached to uh, a picture of a nuclear warhead. So nuclear warhead comes through the floor or whatever. It's a totally mm-hmm. stupid, ridiculous idea for a movie. And it's really good. <laughs> Really well put Actually, together. Yeah, there were a lot of a lot of these nineties mid these mid or low budget nineteen eighties eighties action thrillers comedies. It's a, a renaissance fiction. period yeah, for movies, you know. Well made. Like nineties, not so much. Eighties, terrific. Eighties, but there were a lot of really well made movies at the at, in the nineteen eighties. Eighties a lot better than what's often, the I mean, what's you've seen the, most of them, but they're a lot better. They hold up. I, the I, stuff which came out later doesn't hold up. I want to well. say, like, the period is actually not 1980 to 1989. I think the period is, like, 1975 to 1987 uh, is yeah, the period. Yeah, would be about right. Like, mm-hmm. that encompasses, like, you get Predator, but you don't get, uh, what's that, um, uh, one, one where he's a superhero or, I don't know. 
You, 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 last action hero. Last action hero. I think last I action. Like that one a lot. It's okay. It's, really, uh, it's it's funny. But it's, it's funny, and it's, it's but if you're it's grading like one with Arnie actually being funny. Yeah, but if you're grading Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, right? Like that's a decline. Just uh, just like collateral damage is a massive decline, right? Mm-hmm. Collateral damage is just okay. It's uh, one you forgot about because left, uh, or the sixth day. Mostly famous for not coming out for for being slated to come out very shortly after September 11th and never coming out on out in the theater. But True Lies also, is is a is a, a uh, is an up, yeah. right? True Lies is up, but. Uh, the after Predator, it's uh, pretty sharp. Like if we're measuring his stock in terms of quality of films, it starts off pretty low, gets pretty high immediately. You know, has some ups and downs, but pretty high. And then after Predator, I don't think it like Raw Deal is a good movie, uh, but it's not a Terminator great movie. Terminator Two is pretty good. Yes, Terminator but Two is still very good. But uh, honestly, I'm, I don't like remakes to compare them to real movies because no. Terminator 2 is a, is technically a better movie and it's more entertaining and a whole bunch of other things. But Terminator is a way better movie. Like you put the two side by side. Terminator 2 is, and this is also a really cool thing about, uh, what's his name? Um, guy directed it. What's his name? James Cameron. Cameron, right. So Cameron yep. watched Alien and he said, that's a good movie. I can't do that exactly. But he did. He took the exact same plot and he just <laughs> copied it, photocopied threw Marines it. Into it. It threw Marines into it, but it, like everything that happens in the first movie happens in the second movie. Order slightly yeah. different, it, engagements different, uh, but it works exactly like ends the same way. <laughs> Everything's the same, right? Um, Cameron is um, same with Terminator. Really good until until Titanic, which I personally hate. Titanic is a terrible movie. I think. I, I think I, it's I a good movie for other people. The thing, <laughs> is, the thing is completely inaccurate. If you know anything about ships, it's just okay. This is it's this is it's good for what it is, it, but it's not I, for me. I really hate it. I hate Titanic. It's also way too long. Yes, it way is. Too, it's way too long, and it's uh, I just really. I'd prefer to watch Cameron, Raise the Titanic to Titanic. Was the first <laughs> one which went down. The Cameron's of the eighties are pretty good. The Abyss was. Uh, uh, Avatar is a good movie, movie, but I, I I think the new one's coming out because I saw some sort of ad for it somewhere. Yeah, I, I can't imagine I it'll be really great. Care. It's it's okay. Avatar's Avatar. a good movie. It's basically a big it's not great. version of a 1980s kids cartoon, which was a. It's a good which, movie, uh, but it is more Titanic than uh, you know. What's underrated is The Abyss. That's a really terrific yeah. movie. Yeah. The ending maybe is a little bit weak, but I think. The Abyss is also oddly forgotten for something which yes. was a big butlet and a big deal. It was a big deal at the time, but it's complete. It's one of those movies which have just uh, fallen through the cracks. No one ever talks about it, even though it was obviously a big deal at the time. Yeah, I, I guess it wasn't. For, it wasn't no a success like it should have been. For Ridley Scott, even though it was also a big deal which, at the which, time. Which Ridley movie. Scott? Black Rain, the one. In oh Japan. yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, that's yeah. a Crichton. That's a really good one, but no one ever talks about it. It's just fallen off. When the face we do of the. Earth. When we do the no the Crichton novel, we can watch the movie to go with it, okay? Because that's a Crichton book, I'm pretty sure, isn't it? Black Rain. Yeah, maybe Rain, not. Maybe maybe he has another Japanese one. Sun. Rising, Sun. Rising Sun. Okay, that's less Rising of a good Sun, movie. <laughs> it's a good movie, but it's less of a good movie. Speaking of which, what's his best movie? The what's the actor's name from Rising Sun? Honorary? No, the Honorary? one who, the one who got in trouble with the law. 
Garcia? Uh, oh, Snipes. Garcia? Snipes, no. Wesley Snipes. What's his? What's Wesley Snipes' best movie? Because Blade. Yeah, I don't. Know. I hope that's not true. Maybe it, maybe it is Black Rain, or no, the other one, uh, Rising Sun. Not Black Rain. Rising Sun. Snipes' best movie. Because uh, he's still around and not doing anything that I can tell. Coming to America. Well, he fought okay. the law, and the law won. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, I also have to sign off. All now. right, thank you. Because it's um, right. really late now, and I want to have some dinner and eat something. So yeah, it was lovely chatting right. with you. Yeah, yeah good I'll talking with you up. too. Bye. 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 Um, Major League. That's a pretty good movie, but he's not the star. So. I didn't even remember he was in that. Yeah, he plays the he plays the guy from. He's like a voodoo guy. Okay, I, yeah, I just didn't remember Major that. Major League is a very good movie. It's very funny. Corbin Burnson, I, yeah. Yeah, Corbin Burnson and... Uh, Tom um, Berenger? Charlie Sheen, too, right? Charlie Sheen is the heat, yeah. Yeah. Drop Zone, mm, I think I saw it. <laughs> I saw it, but I don't yeah. remember it well. It's like a knockoff of... Uh, that uh, what's uh, is what's, is that the one where it's Die Hard on an airplane? I think it's actually I, I think it's uh, I think it's actually more like remember the surfing movie with bank robbers with uh, Kevin? Yeah, Point Break. Point, Point Break. Break. Point Break uh, is a good movie. Um, I think it's Point Break, but with skydivers only instead of surfers. Yeah, I've seen it, but I can't say. You I don't re- you, haven't, you don't remember Point Break? No, I don't remember Drop. Zone. Oh yeah, I think Drop Zone is forgettable. Is why. Yeah, I, I oh, saw it. But didn't he do uh, 2600 Pennsylvania Boulevard or something? Like a. Uh, yeah. I think but that I was a good movie. I, I can't say that I remember it well either. <laughs> hmm. You know, uh, I what know I. One w- of them was the first time that Elizabeth Hurley's first movie. And I remember she's a terrorist. And I remember thinking, oh, hey, she's hot. That's but a way I to go. But I can't remember. <laughs> Elizabeth Hurley is a terrorist. I think. I'm yeah, it trouble, was her first movie. I'm having trouble picturing it, but maybe she's a East German or a West German uh, uh, Bader Meinhof. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't remember except that I, it's like I thought. Oh, oh, turns out she's a model. Okay. I watched recently one of the best movies I rewatched. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was Clint Eastwood in Washington, D.C. playing a thief. Do you remember this one? It's based uh, on a novel. Yes. David Balladacci. Yes, I know I've seen that, but I'm forgetting it, and he witnesses a murder. Yes, he witnesses the president uh, rape and murder uh, a rich ally of his. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember when it came out, I was a big Laserdisc guy when Laserdiscs were big. I was like, this is a terrific movie. Um, there's uh, almost everything Clint Eastwood does, like, uh, is involved with is a terrific movie. Mm hmm. Um, but there's so many, uh, that's a, that's what we're really, uh, you know, lacking, I think, is the depth. Like, we, you know, Prime's got a few movies and Netflix has a lot of new stuff, but their back catalogs are crap. Yeah. And it's like, that's one of the things that I go through and I'll, talk to my kids and we will critique things and then I'll be like, hey, all right, let's go cleanse the palate and go watch this great movie from 87, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to give them a uh, uh, a reward, you say, we're going to watch Predator, children. 
adult. They my they love. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? And I was probably letting them watch it a lot younger than most people. And so my boys are growing up and they're into monsters and they're talking the about monsters predator invisible. Talk- they can't even see it. <laughs> they're talking about predator. But my point is they're yeah. talking about predator and they're talking about alien to their friends yeah. and they haven't been allowed to watch those yet. And I'm like, sorry guys, at least they know what they are seeing these. Yeah. <laughs> at least the kids know that they exist because yeah. I-, I went to, when I went to see predator, I was in Calgary with my uncle um, and he's like three years older than me. And we went to mm-hmm. the theater and he was allowed in and I wasn't because of age. This mm-hmm. is like, you know, other, uh, you know, I kicked a bear as a kid. That was important. It's not super important. That was probably one of the key moments of understanding me. You fucking mm-hmm. not letting me in the movie theater. I have money. Let me yeah. in to see this movie. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me in. So he went in and says, see you later, Jesse. I'm like, fuck. So I go to the bookstore and I read the novelization and I'm like, this is, this, I I'll show you. Gremlins. There you go. I'll show you. I'll read the novelization. <laughs> it didn't show me exactly. I didn't show I, them exactly. I, my but. parents wouldn't let me go see Gremlins. So I got a hold of the novelization and just blazed through it that night. How, how often has that happened that kids, uh, I don't think it happens anymore. Became readers <laughs> because of novelizations. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I was reading yeah, before I, that, but even so, I, uh, having to read the Predator novelization, I got to tell you, it was probably Alan Dean Foster, and he's fine, but he is not the mm-hmm. movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jesse Ventura no. and uh, all the other guys. Yep, yeah, it's not the same thing. Can't oh. do a jump scare in a book. And what's uh, what's, <laughs> Quite the same. what's the what's the black guy uh, who isn't the one with the oh. machine gun? I want to say he's the boxer. Bill, Bill something. Uh, he's he's a movie director too. What's his name? Uh, oh, you're talking about uh, Predator. Predator cast. Right. He does the famous arm. Uh, uh, I don't know. Bro, greeting. <laughs> Where they shake hands, and it's like a yeah, contest. Oh, you're talking Carl Weathers. Carl, Carl Weathers. Weathers, right? Carl Weathers. Even Shane Black isn't terrible in this. Dakota Beavers. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I realized that was him. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that until just a few odd years ago that that was him. Yeah, uh, he 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 wrote that uh, and did that uh, sequel movie called The Predators, which is or The Predator, which is really yeah. a terrible film. Uh, I listened yeah, to a podcast I about care it. Care for it? Oh, it's really. I, I I watched it and then I was like, this is a bad movie. Um, and then it was over and I forgot about it. And then I was listening to a podcast where they're talking, you know, talking, talk their way through. You might like that podcast. Most people hate it when I bring it up. It's called Golan Globus Theater. It's a great title, right? See, and that's what's so funny is when I was a kid, I thought if I saw Golan Globus, I thought I'm in for a good movie. Exactly. Exactly. Dino, if I see Dino De Laurentiis, I'm like, dude, you're in for a great movie. I mean, he he had taste. It's funny to me. People bag on that, but man, no, I love their kid, stuff. That was like, I am in for, I'm in for a good movie. <laughs> I'm sending this to the group chat here. Uh, so these guys are out of Detroit. Uh, they're friends. They podcast in real life. You know, one comes to the other's house. And if you look at their list of movies, uh, they just did Raw Deal and, mm-hmm. uh, it brought back memories of watching Raw Deal. 
Um, but yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, they in July they did uh, only good movies, um, Planet of the mm-hmm. Apes, o- Omega Man, Soylent Green, and uh, Rollerball. I hadn't seen Rollerball <laughs> before. I watched it for this. Rollerball is a really good movie. I it's one of those ones I've meant to see and I just never have. So it's, I, have I would I would actually too. classify it with Planet of the Apes, Omega Man, and Soylent Green as being. It's not you know of those. It's the worst. Uh-huh. But um, it's it's a dystopian science fiction movie where corporations have taken over the planet, and mm-hmm. they want uh, James Caan, who's this ultimate athlete in this sport that he loves, which is killing people and throwing balls mm-hmm. into holes, um, to retire. And the reason they want him to retire is because the sport is designed to make people realize that there's no individual uh, achievement, and he's defeating that. Uh-huh. So they want him to retire. That's the plot. Um, but there's some okay. amazing, funny work, and it's Norman Jewison is the is the director, which is weird because that's not sort of his hmm. movie, right? He's yeah. a, more of a I don't know New York style. Uh, I don't know hard hitting movie. I don't know. I, not, hmm. Maybe he did Fiddler on the Roof too. I don't know. He's a weird director. Oh, did he? I think so. <laughs> Let me see. Norman Jewison. Yeah, I, I saw Fiddler on the Roof since I was real young because my mom great film had me watch all the musicals with her. Uh, well, that's one of the best ones, especially on film. What's, yes. What's he famous for, Norman Jewison? I, I mean, I know his movies. Uh, 40 Pounds of Trouble. I guess I don't know his movies. The Hurricane. Oh, he did The Hurricane. That's a biopic with Denzel Washington. Hmm. Uh, Moonstruck. That's a that's a sounds like a soldier story that would be um Oh, based on Billy Budd. Interesting. I have huh. I haven't, I I, got, I maybe I never saw a soldier story. But now I want to. Uh The Thomas Crown Affair. That's him. The original? The original. In yeah. the Heat of the Night, that's him too. Hmm. Uh Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, my memory is good. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I should watch more of his movies. I don't. I yeah. I, I guess he stopped making them. Two thousand three was his last. Maybe he's dead. Yeah. I, eh, I probably would have heard. I probably would have heard. Let me see. Ninety six. Not dead. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but elderly. Close. That's yeah. Pretty close. He's he's like the queen level of age. Huh. Well, it was nice meeting you. Yeah, I appreciate the invite because I've been listening. Oh, really? Okay. I I really only got into podcasts about 2015, and then I thought, wow, how have I been missing these? Well, they were hidden. Unless you were getting an iPod. Only reason I got an iPod is because I wanted to listen to uh, audiobooks and podcasts, but podcasts were the thing that came out first audiobooks were still on cds and cassettes for me yeah and i i had a few like i i had the iliad and a couple that i was i managed to find for cheap that yeah. i bought and uh so i bought got an iphone i felt like a late adapter adopter i mm-hmm. got my iphone in 20 in 2013 and ignored the app that said podcast yep for two years well, they were trying. There, there's, uh, I mean, podcasts are really the thing now in media yeah. outside of Netflix, right? Uh, yeah. Into outside of Twitter, they are the thing. Um, and uh, technically, something like people call YouTube's podcasts. Some are, some yeah. aren't. Uh, 
Um, we've been in at it for a long time, so uh, I'm yeah, not. Yeah, and I, what I'm saying is I, I ignored it for a couple of years, and then 2015 I started looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I think I found you pretty quick because I was looking for anything audio with fantasy and sci-fi, so you guys were right there. Nah, not not and, at the top, that's for sure. Mostly it's TV you know, and movie stuff. It, you're what I discovered because of the books you had gone through. Yes. So you were doing Howard, you were doing Lovecraft. And so I, that's how I found you. And I was, you know, going through the back catalog and I've been one. listening for a while. I don't listen to every single one, but well, I was how listening could you? to a lot of them. Uh, uh, the show's coming out tomorrow is our tonight is nine hours long. <laughs> how are you yeah, going to put so, that in your day? You can't. So I, I can't. No, oh, unless you're interested in the book, and probably you won't be because it's an Arthur Mack and semi-autobiographical novel that's quite difficult, <laughs> but very rewarding. Well, I like I like Mackin, so but I you know I listened to everything at double speed. I had to work up to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. I listened to the last little bit of this at uh, one point five, I think, because I want to make sure I'm yeah. done in time. But yeah, so I, I yeah, I, it's I, not I designed for uh, market marketable. You know, like, uh, if, if I was trying to, if I was trying to make money, if I was trying to get li- lots of listeners, I would be doing things completely differently, but I wouldn't be doing it at all. Cause I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up with that. But mm-hmm. when it comes time that you want to read the dispossessed, I will have the best podcast about the dispossessed on the internet. Guaranteed. That's awesome. Right. And, and <laughs> awesome. it's a good book. And at the end of the dispossessed, I put a, uh, I put the CBC audio drama adaptation too, even though it's illegal. I don't care. They mm. Make me take it down, and I'll, I'll maybe take it down if they sue me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what you were doing with that. I wasn't. Well, easy. He must have it figured out. <laughs> well, I, I can snip it off at the end. I, it's not mentioned in the show, right? So okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is uh, podcasts are awesome because you get to get some really narrow topics and uh more importantly we can run as long as people are willing to uh go without peeing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because uh, three hours is a is a good length for a show in my view. Yeah. If it's a real show, not not just like chit chat. Uh, chit chat's mm-hmm. good too, but it's not this you have to have a, some reason for doing it i think yeah some good book well i've i've really enjoyed your insights when you point out some stuff on this or that and it's like i know there was one where you guys started talking about oh is it that our opinions are correct one yeah. where you were yeah. just savaging them i loved that i love well, i listened I to their show pointing out this and that oh yeah well there's there's i, I love i've been yeah. listening for a long time because i've really enjoyed your insights oh well thank you yeah, it's it's a fun process because it allows me to see things in a way and it makes me read books, which I wouldn't otherwise probably do at the same pace. I, I want to mm-hmm. read at a faster pace, but I can't because I yeah. also want to play computer games and I want to, you know, do other things <laughs> occasionally and I have to tutor some classes, but I like doing that too, so... Uh, if if I had unlimited time, I would read every book and give them all the generosity I can. But this allows me to read at a faster pace than I would otherwise, I think. And it For is, sure. uh, it, uh, you know, it's pretty impressive. A uh, very few repeats. I just, I think we've got two repeats and they're accidental. I just put out a show on, uh, what's it called? Um, the bus conductor. 
by E.F. Benson. I think I've done sh- uh, a show on that on both my podcasts. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Accidentally. And on, on, uh, on, um, and I'm trying not to repeat. It's just the title. Was... That's kind of funny that that came up, but you know. Yeah. But, uh, it happened with a souvenir, I think, too, for uh, Philip K. Dick. I think there's two souvenir episodes, uh, by a short story by Philip K. Dick. Um, and it's oh. because the title is a little bit, um, vague. Yeah. Right. You don't know. Uh, in Door into Summer, okay, there's a door, there's a cat. <laughs> you got it. But sometimes the title hmm. is a little bit vague. It's, it's, uh, maybe that's what's causing it. But yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm going to send you the link. And if you want to sign up for anything else, you're very welcome to do so. Sure. I really appreciate it. I felt honored. Oh, well. Happy to do it. I, th- I think you'll like that Golan Globus. I don't w- listen to everyone because I don't have, um, uh, the time to watch every movie. And they also do, uh, mini shows on, called, they call them tippy taps. Um, uh-huh. uh, on, I think like, uh, television episodes, like they do a murder she wrote episode or they do. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. And the other yeah, one that like, I only caught those and, uh, I feel like sitting on the couch, but nothing else. Is wow. On. You got to watch them for the, uh, for the crossover with Magnum PI and Simon, oh. Simon, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh so there's the link um and if you scroll down to lines 265 you'll see easy go okay. and then oh okay there's a list of upcoming ones all the ones in green are ones that are done uh recorded and okay um the okay, ones that are in cool. dark green are the ones that have come out so we got nudist okay. camp. If you're into nudists, <laughs> coming up by I, Ori. I can't say that I I'm very familiar. I'm not familiar with that one. At but all. are you Black familiar Stranger, with the name Ori? I really like Black Stranger is one of my favorites. All right, we can add you to that. Um, we're supposed to have Alex today as well from uh, Pulp Covers, but he uh, was unavailable. Um, okay, I'll add you to that one. Yeah, everybody likes Robert E. Howard. Which one's Innocence Abroad? I'm trying to remember. That is his um, first big hit book. It's a nonfiction novel about him traveling uh, around Europe. And, uh, okay. Egypt, so, okay. So I've gone through quite a bit of roughing it, but I had never read Innocence Abroad. Well, if you want to be That's on cool. for that. It's... And then, I, you know what? I've always meant to read A Night in Lonesome October, and I've never done it yet. I've not read it either. That was one uh, Paul. Uh, Paul's a huge Zelazny guy. Do you want to be mm-hmm. on that one? Just say the word. Yeah, on because the, I need right. to read it. Right, I yeah. need to read it. Um, he he uh, is a huge Zelazny guy. I like Zelazny, but I'm not as huge as he is. Um, yeah, but I'm I, just not as familiar. But it's that's like one of those ones where it's like, oh, I really ought to. I believe we have the uh, access to the original read by Zelazny himself, which you will be. You know what? I was able to find on eBay uh-huh. Zelazny reading the yep. Carl Edward Wagner stories. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good narrator. And you can't get those. There's no. They don't exist in audio except no. for the cassettes that Zelazny right. read. Exactly. Um, Black Stranger is that? Uh, you're already on for that one. Okay. Yes. Um, Innocence Abroad, you want that one? Sure. It might be a big commitment. Um, yeah, that's that. You said it was long. Let right? me check. I, I, Innocence Abroad, Liverbox. 
The answer is John Greenman reads it, and it is 19 hours, 36 minutes. That's a hefty wow. book. But yeah. listening at double speed, and it's Mark Twain, you should be enjoying yourself. Yeah, and I, I really like Twain. Who does? I mean, he is so good, right? So good. Mm-hmm. Well, we just did Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and that was, uh, you know, super breezy and easy. Yeah. And good. Yeah. Okay. And then you've got other ones that are just in the queue way down. Well, yeah. So those ones are usually like we have to we have to find a date for them and it's easy to add to the bottom. I'd love to do Shakespeare's mm-hmm. Planet, but uh oh, a lot of people signed up for that. I think pr- part of the problem is Scott's hard to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if Scott wants to be on it, um a lot of people are hard to get. Um, Which Scott? Uh, your Scott, my Scott, Scott Danielson. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Scott Danielson. Yeah, we ha- we have a few people with the same names, but I, I, it's been a long time since we've had two Scotts on. I don't remember. Okay, and, uh, he's he's almost never on anymore, but he does all the editing for the other podcast, which is very That's nice. Cool. So we're still in contact. I'm excited about this Francis Stevens, uh, the Heads of Cerberus that just came out on LibriVox. Yeah, I've never I like, read that. Have you read any of her stuff? No, I haven't. Dude, he's she is really good. Um, she is uh, she's got a short story um, from nineteen. I want to say oh four. Is it nineteen oh four? I think it's nineteen oh four. That is a superhero origin story. Um, it's not done as a comic, but it it has like it's a super science story basically. And at the end of it, the guy has superpowers. And the professor who gave him the superpowers, who is half Japanese and half German for some reason, which sounds like what would happen in a, in a comic book, um, yeah. names him Samson, as in, you know, the hero yeah. from, right? As like, that is a superhero. She invented the superhero before everybody else, like way before. Even like, um, there's a guy who wrote, uh, a uh, superhero novel in the 30s, I think. I'm trying to remember the name of that one. Got turned into half of a comic book adaptation by Marvel, and the never second half never. Yes. Man God, what's it called? That's the name of the comic. That sounds really familiar. Man Dash God, comic. <laughs> That's a good title, Man God. Uh, here it is. It's uh, Philip Wiley novel called gladiator okay so that that's yeah, probably really familiar the very first um oh it's got a john busama cover i think that's why it's pretty one of those marvel okay. magazines but yeah, yeah it, it's an adaptation i believe that it's the first half of the novel and that there was no issue too or hmm. maybe it never was finished i'm not sure oh maybe that's the last issue Number nine, and then no number ten. I don't know. Okay. I, I'm looking forward to doing that one day too. But yeah, Frances Stevens, she's um very dynamic. Um, so she has a science fiction story set in a future where women are in men's roles, and it's a woman interviewer, newspaper woman in the future, interviewing an old sailoress who tells a tall tale at the tea shop <laughs> um, about when she was a, 
uh, young sailoress, how she, she uh, her ship uh, sunk and she swam to an island called Friend. The story is called Friend Island. Um, and uh, uh-huh. uh, there was one other ma- person shipwrecked with her who was a man, you know, one of those inferior creatures. And mm-hmm. she, um, she, uh, she and the island got along really well, but the island didn't like the man. <laughs> and it had a volcanic <laughs> eruption in the, during the story. Um, and then, uh, the, oh, uh, if part of the peripheral details, women are in charge, have been in charge on earth for a long time. Uh, and the seas are patrolled by peace ships. It's like, this is uh-huh. hilarious, like, idea of, you know, just elect a woman. <laughs> it's like, we have tried this yeah. before. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's done as a comedy. Um, and it's, okay. it's quite funny. It's in the podcast feed, uh, way back. It's called Friend Island. Um, and, okay. and yeah. she did one called The Elf Trap. And that's a really good show as well as a really good audiobook. Um, and mm-hmm. that's in the podcast feed as well. That one is about a guy who, uh, is told by his doctor he needs to go on vacation, he goes on vacation. Um, but instead of vacationing, he starts studying, um, the pond scum in the local pond. But, uh, he comes across a gypsy village sort of thing in the forest, uh, uh-huh. and starts spending time with a girl there and, He's dead at the end of the story, so it's basically La, Del- La Belle Dansant Merci, but as a fiction story, um, set in okay. the period of you know 1920s or 30s. Um, it's in one of these old famous fantastic mysteries, is where I found it. Terrific, that sounds story. really familiar. Maybe I. It's did really read terrific. That one a long yeah, time she's ago. she's super solid. She's weird though, like her idea. Like I don't know if it's her being a woman or if it's just you know she's so pioneering but she's before all her stuff was almost almost all her stuff was published in uh the thrill book which is a precursor to um weird tales and okay i think the second issue of weird tales has a story of hers called sunfire and that's basically the end of her writing career so she she Hmm. precedes all the people we think of as you know the weird tales crew but has as active a vivid imagination as as them but maybe not the polish okay uh, but in the elf trap she's super solid uh that's up okay and uh, you know that it's, it's really got the cool. standard racist tropes that uh you know were there at the period and probably a little more intense because she's even earlier than you know during the most racist period but I think you can probably handle that. <laughs> Some yeah, people can't, yeah. but I, breasts. You're right. You know, breasts either can't handle those, or, or you know, occasional racism that's like the smoking. <laughs> I don't want people smoking in my house, but I'll gladly read a book all about smoking. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, there's a funny. There's a funny meme on Twitter about uh, Tolkien uh, and uh, smoking. I think it's mm-hmm. like um the pipe or what Yeah, and all how he, how he has all the characters smoking in the book. Oh. And this is yeah. like this is the problem that a lot of people have with it's like promoting smoking or whatever. Um me, my big problem with the hobbits was not their smoking, it was their eating mushrooms. I hate mushrooms. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> well, I can't stand them. Yeah, I th- it's a little kid thing. You try them as a kid and you don't like them and you say I don't want to eat those. And then you don't. 
uh, we were unable to adapt uh, to the horrible mushrooms, but uh, that's our failing. Uh, but we're willing to live with it, right? Yeah. Because I don't want my fucking pizza wrecked by a mushroom. <laughs> I just I can't stand the textures. So no, I just don't uh, want them. Same. Not to mention they're made of fungus. Yeah, I'm absolutely, not dis- absolutely disgusting. I don't want fungus all over me. Oh, that, that that's that uh, story by um, uh, William Hope Hodgson. Are you a big Hodgson guy? Yep. Yeah, I know him. I love him. He's a weird guy yeah, it's, too. It's it's got it's the idea that that creepy factor, you know, just it's pretty creepy. out in the ocean. Here's the fungus. Yeah. It's really well told, though. He's good. He's he's good at creeping. He's yeah. the and he punched creeper. Houdini, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, he didn't kill Houdini, but he certainly hurt him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, dumb guy, though. He volunteered for World War One and got killed. Got into the meat grinder. Get, he was an art- artillery yeah. man, and he got artilleried. Yeah. Everybody what did that. Doing? They're all so eager to get killed in the war. Stupid. I I think there's that idea of I'm gonna go experience this though. I mean, yeah, serve, but, but but that was a meat that was literal a meat grinder, right? Like, yeah, I look back at the trench warfare stuff and I'm like, what was anybody thinking? And it's you know, they weren't. They superiors were superiors. Don't care. They, they don't care. They don't care. It's it's literally it's like the same thing that's happening now, except on a much smaller scale, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. why why go into Iraq or Afghanistan because meat grinder. But it's the number of people is so few compared to, to you know what it was in World War One. It was just epic, right? Like let's put our whole yeah. population into this thing. It was ridiculous, and f- f- because Germany's got to be repressed. Like uh, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know how we would have got out of it. But certainly volunteering to go was not the way. To go. No, and it's it's dumbfounds me that my great great grandfather somehow ran away at fourteen and was able to sign up to become a doughboy. Oh, they love they love taking the child soldiers. Yeah, and it's like I'm I'm sure he looked older than fourteen, but still that he was able to get away with that. And then luckily, since America got into it so late, yes, missed out on the worst of it. That is, uh, uh, it's. It was at a time when they were able to restrain themselves. Like World War Two, they restrained themselves too. Yeah, and that, and it's like once the I don't know, it's un- unable to be restrained now. I mean, uh, hopefully we aren't in World War Three with Russia sending. I mean, they they are they there are American volunteers being paid in Ukraine right now by NATO. That's fucked up. It's really dangerous. It's crazy. it's crazy to me. And then, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I'm very suspicious of them wagging the dog. And and it's not even like, like you see uh, Biden on TV. I don't see him, but you, you see the clips. And it's like, yeah. he says one thing on 60 Minutes. Five minutes later, not even, even during the interview, they start talking over him. And saying the White House didn't say that this was correct. Like <laughs> you got the president saying this uh, is happening. The emperor has no clothes. It's oh my crazy. god! 
It is nuts. I, I I don't know how anyone even defends the guy has mental faculties right now. I don't know how you can because it's like people mock Reagan, but it's like Biden does more in a week than everything you can catalog of Reagan flubbing. Oh, there's almost nothing compared to what you know. Like I I, I remember Reagan sort of goes away after a certain point mm-hmm. in the second term. Yeah, but nothing like this. No, no, this is so beyond the pale. <laughs> it's pretty horrible. Like, it's horrifying to think about because w- w- we always think about that buck stops here thing. Well, it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Nope, nope. Where does it stop? In some vague place that you d- you don't have access to. And uh, yeah. uh, so, so somebody's in charge, and who is that? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, people have made jokes that it's Obama, and I don't believe that. No, he's not. He's busy making his money. He hasn't. Yeah, so it's like I don't know who's really commanding him. But I I just saw on Twitter this morning somebody shared a clip of Biden is walking, and he's got a blind man on his elbow, and he's walking him somewhere. But then he just kind of wanders into this edge of the stage and just stands there like he doesn't know what he's doing. And somebody else comes in and takes the blind man and leads him away. And then Biden's standing there kind of going, so why'd you take him? He's out of it. Yes. It's it's shocking. Like, that – and they want to run him for a second term. Like, dude. That's crazy. He shouldn't have been elected first time. It's crazy. And it's not oh, like uh, setting aside all the criminality, setting aside all, like all past sins, setting all those things aside. You really don't want a person who's it's like it's almost humiliating to him. It is. And it should be to me. And it's like some of the times that I, you know, they're doing something. They juice issue. him up. Yeah. And sometimes and he's okay. And then sometimes he repeats what he's got in his earpiece, which is crazy. Or on his notes that he's holding. That yeah. Tells him to sit in his chair. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's, and uh, I yeah, can't uh, believe, uh, well, I can't believe some people are defending it. No. But, uh. Uh, George Bush, you know, not a defensible guy, but co- semi-competent compared to this. Yeah. Yeah, and even the first one had the distraction with Dan Quayle. You know, using Dan Quayle, let's put him out there as the idiot. That's just that's just a guy who doesn't know anything. This is not that yeah. situation. This guy knew stuff, no, and now no, he doesn't know guy, anything. This guy used used to know stuff. <laughs> he used to know stuff, but now is you know can't finish a sentence. Look, I have my bad days too, where I sometimes stumble over a sentence or can't remember the name of an actor. But I get past it pretty quick, and I'm also not president of the United States, and I don't have dementia. <laughs> so, so you got that going. For I got you. that going for me. <laughs> Although, given what the standard is now, um, it's pretty clear that these are not the best and the brightest of like any of the people who put up there. When Rand Paul sounds like the sanest man in Congress, we got some problems because Rand Paul. He's not the brightest bulb in the in the building. Oh, actually, he is. He's not the brightest bulb in the city. He's a smart guy, but he ain't the brightest bulb in the city. And he's, he's coming off across like a genius. It's 
it's insane to me, and I, I'm I'm mad that we're in the the lamest dystopia. But it, it's not it's not even not even just in the states, right? Like the the UK, Boris Johnson. This is your yeah. This that's is, just weird. It's just weird. Like, like why can't that guy get a decent haircut? Uh, okay, he memorized a poem in Greek. Great. Um, how about some skills as a politician? Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Ronald Reagan at least was governor uh, at mm-hmm. some point. I don't know. I he was governor know. of California, I think, for a while. Yeah, for a while. I, yeah, okay. It, but the quality of the politicians has gone down so much, and it it, it seems like like Putin. People don't like him outside of Russia, right? They don't like him. But you listen to him talk. This guy has his shit together. He's not incompetent. Uh, maybe he's he's more off than he used to be, but not compared to like even Justin and like our deputy prime minister. She has like some nervous condition. It's like crazy the way she can't stand, hold still during a speech. It's like she repressed what's going on here. And I saw something weird with the New Zealand one too. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen mm-hmm. much of her video but i saw something somebody shared just like a week or so ago and it definitely seemed off it's like you don't so, need the uh no they live blind uh glasses anymore right you can just see them nope nope with your eyes <laughs> the, uh, what's Ugh. that what's that cull story the kalaja Nadarama. Uh, shadow kingdom <laughs> shadow, shadow kingdom, kingdom right you don't even you don't even say the spell word anymore. You could just see them as they are. <laughs> just like look at this meme. <laughs> it's clearly evidence of serpent people or whatever. Crazy. It's what can we do? Strange times, that's for sure. Yep. Sometimes My, I long for the idea of how life was in America back during the time of Easy Go. <laughs> before I was even born. <laughs> even if you think, you know, he was a terrible president, uh, Nixon, compared to what we've got lately, he's yeah. amazing. Like, I, the, I have to go back to uh, Carter, where I'd like, there's some respectability there, and Carter's considered the failure. Mm. Uh, uh, but compared to what? Right? Compared to what? Anyways, I, I think I think he, you know, bears the brunt of some of the economic downturn we yeah. had in the late 70s. But now they're and saying there is no yeah. recession, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, well, my gas tank says otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> All the homeless people everywhere. Where'd that oh, come yeah. from? Right. Jesus. And, a, and it's like, do? how many people are buying this bluff? It's it's crazy. A, a lot of people on Twitter. But some of them are bots, I guess, or maybe yeah, a good percentage. Yeah, the, the thing is, the thing about the arts arts community is, I feel like there's such a wide swath of the more liberal minded people, and I get to meet them. So, and I, I've kind of got a balance of that because Utah is overly conservative. Yes, but all my artistic, creative friends, you know, there, there's more that lean liberal. So I really see a bit of both, and I try to be as balanced as I can. And just go, okay, what's true? What's for real? And I still have both sides screaming at me. That's because you haven't picked a team yet. You have to pick your team and stick with it no matter what. 
If you don't pick your team, you're a traitor. <laughs> well, I, I I have a tendency to be more fiscally conservative, but socially liberal. I want people do whatever you want if you're not hurting somebody. But uh, I, I'm with you as long as fiscally conservative includes uh, military spending overseas to Ukraine. Because oh, that's just a way to line your own pockets as a politician and all your friends' pockets. Oh, you know, and you know, we talked about art. The, the blank canvas for modern art mm. and that's there's so much money laundering yes. going on with that so so much so i don't i don't know how the money laundering business works in books but i think the model's broken <laughs> it must be it, <laughs> it must, must be. be but it's amazon it's, has it's something like to do with most it. yeah most i i make the most money with my indie stuff but i still pick up you know, whatever I can with other stuff. I, I've got a story coming out in a Bane anthology this December. So well, I, I know so many people in Trad Pub, but it's like, oh, it's what, so what, what, um, what have you been doing with audiobooks? Have you done any? I've got a couple out. But Are they, they um, haven't been doing well? No. I mean, I'm just, I just barely earned out my advance from a book with Tantor. Okay, Tantor's the, bru- the the brutal the brutal audio book. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's only nine hours, and it just doesn't look appealing compared to someone who's looking to spend their well, their Audible credit on a thirty hour Sanderson yes, book. Indeed, that and is so a I th- problem. I think the nine hour thing was a hindrance. But if you bundle it with two others, like if yeah, they're in a secret I've, series, I've, that's something I've thought about doing. So when I do a Western series, I've actually talked to them and I'm like, all right, let's put all of them together. Yeah. At least then it's going to be like 20 hours. So that's and the thing. I... Tantor used to have their own store. Like you could buy mm-hmm. digital releases from them. Now yeah. that links only to Audible. Um, yeah. What, what about um, uh, Downpour? Now Downpour is like the nobody knows about them compared to Audible because Audible is the only game in town. But Downpour mm-hmm. is a competitor. Blackstone Audiobooks is the – or Blackstone paper books now too they are privately owned so they are not uh-huh. um getting owned in the same way that all the other ones are publicly owned getting owned um i i'm not a publishable author so i have not tried but um they sell stuff there it's all drm free it's the same model as audible you can buy things uh, mm-hmm. uh or you can have a subscription you can rent even though it's an mp3 it doesn't make any sense well, <laughs> maybe 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 that's not an mp3 but um i whenever i buy audiobooks which is not often i go to tan uh, not tantor to downpour um okay so if if you got a catalog and you uh want to sell and you own the rights rather than amazon owns the rights um, uh-huh. consider putting them in the mix because they, they actually produce a lot of the great audiobooks. Uh, yeah, almost, I just met. Yeah, go for it. I, I just did an online meeting with uh, somebody for Audiobook Empire mm-hmm. and she was telling me how they're going to, they can get the stuff into 40 different markets. She's like, do you want to just go with Audible or do you want to try and go wide and we can get you into like 40 different markets? And I'm like, you know, I think I would go ahead and do that. I would just yeah. go with the bigger one. Well, the problem so with I, I Audible got, got some stuff in the works. is that they are squeezing. They, they've been – since the beginnings, they've been squeezing. You're never going to – you know, unless you are Brandon Sanderson, you're never going to be uh, their priority. And they want right. exclusive. So if you're treating it like it's uh, uh, any extras gravy – 
then mm-hmm. I think they'll fuck you. Um, but yeah, but uh, there are other websites out there. It's just like the step down from Amazon is nothing. Like Downport, nobody's heard of it, and uh, I've mm-hmm. followed it very closely, and nobody's heard it. And their catalog yeah, is I, huge, I, but not like yeah, it, it, downpour.com, I think is the website. Their catalog is huge, but compared to Amazon, it's not right because they have mm-hmm. stuff. Every, all the publishers are also published on Downpour, but not the Amazon exclusives. And they are trying to make more and more things Amazon exclusive, right? Yeah. And most yeah. people, if they're in traditional publishing, they don't know. Um, and if if you're an independent author, you all you know is that Audible because nobody's ever heard of this other thing. So I will. Uh, yeah, I was kind of pleased with talking to this gal that runs this other. It's she's like we're not a distributor, we're just the production company. And mm-hmm. It's it's it'll be a little bit pricey if I have the full rights, but it seems like it'd be worthwhile. And she was telling me about all these other markets we can get into, and then she was saying the way it's going, that there's a lot more people looking towards the quick reads. So she didn't seem to think that some of my short weird westerns that are only louis lamour length you know we're talking 35k 45k mm-hmm. she says there there is starting to be a bigger market for somebody who wants that that they're going to be able to get through on just a couple of commutes uh, what they should have like, is okay. like half if uh, it's market distortion based on the the subscription model where you get a credit a month right mm-hmm. so if yeah. they if they if they suddenly decided that there are half credit books which i do not believe there are uh, they've done right they make two credit books they haven't made any half credit books because inflation or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. An inflation on a uh, uh, infinitely replicable um, uh, post scarcity object. <laughs> There's inflation. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, if they decided to do that, um, that would change the market a hell of a lot. But as it is, there are a number of people who have Audible accounts but don't have Audible. Uh, subscriptions like I have an Audible account, but I'm not a. I don't give the money every every month. Uh, yeah, and those people putting out the money is is the sort of the stumbling block. So however you can get into the system, it's probably a good idea. I, I was the most astonishing fact to me ever was in an interview where uh, Lois McMaster Bujold said she makes most of her money from audiobooks. And I'm like, wow, that and that was so long ago that it was almost pre-audible. It was there was a company called the Reader's Chair, and they were putting all of her stuff, all of her Verkursigan series out, and a few of the other things too. And then Blackstone got her um, her Curse of Chalion series, and. I I don't know what the percentage of people reading paper books is, but I know that. The audiobook has just been going up and up and up and up and up and up. And yeah. as people's eyes get worse, <laughs> their uh, ability and, you know, more and more people, like it was a fringe thing when we started, Scott and I started the website 23 years ago. It, audiobooks were a fringe, right? They existed. Yeah. I was into them. But in that period, it has become the dominant form of audiobook or book consumption uh, in my view ebooks i think are much smaller than audiobooks an interesting thing to me is uh, as of this weekend when i did the fan x thing mm-hmm. i've been doing cons as a guest 
for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. And generally always around to sign books, print books that I have there. And people are always, is it on ebook? Is it on ebook? Mm. This year, I had just as many people asking, is it on audio? Yeah. As I had people saying, is it on ebook? And that, that is a, that's a tangible shift for me on what oh, they're asking for. It's, you know, it's just better. Audiobooks are, mm-hmm. uh, you, you listen to this one, right? I would yeah. love to be able, I would love to have the time, a nice fire, a dog at my feet, <laughs> um, you know, coffee in hand, beautiful woods outside to read the paperback. But my eyes have to be on the page and my eyes could be mm-hmm. doing other stuff like, you know, coding or photoshopping or, yep. uh, not that I do a lot of coding, uh, but, um, speaking generally. I could be washing dishes. I can be walking. I'm driving. I could do, I listened to a lot of Mark Twain while I was on the ferry crossing over Vancouver Island to the mainland. That's, f- are you on Vancouver Island? Or no, mainland? mainland, but I was, I was okay. over there recently. Um, okay. So, uh, I saw you post something about it and I wasn't sure if that's where you lived. Or I'm, I'm in a suburb of Vancouver, which Vancouver is not on okay. Vancouver Island. Most people. No, I know where it is. Most yeah. of my students don't know where they are. <laughs> they think Vancouver Island is Vancouver. I'm like, yeah, you guys need to really. Oh yeah, Man. most most kids have no sense of geography. It's crazy. My my kids don't in our town, and it's like when I was a kid, I rode my bike everywhere. Yes. I knew where I was in the city. And me and my one of my friends who's our age was talking, and he's like, "Yeah, my son got lost, and he was only a couple blocks away." Yep, he had to call. Me. Isn't that crazy? Me and ask me where are we. And he was just a couple blocks away. And, you know, oh, I, I can't even fathom how they don't know where they are if they lose Google Maps. One of the fu- funny ideas that I think is going to totally be real is when we have uh, auto, auto drive cars, right? Cars that can drive themselves everywhere. There are going to be people who don't know where they live. There are going to be people who get in cars, drive to a place like where they work, get out. And can't f- find their way home. <laughs> and the thing is, every now and again, Google Maps screws up on me and tells me the wrong place. Sure. And I'll look at it and I go, that's not right. Yeah. So what's going to happen when that happens in their, their car? It already has delivers, happened, right? Yeah. It delivers some, them somewhere where it's not right. It drives people <laughs> into ditches, wrong ways on roads because the GPS is slightly off. It, it, it is, and it's, we're off. We're offloading a lot of our processing, probably, uh, probably positively mostly, uh, to objects, uh, in our hands or, uh, you know, in our backpacks. And mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I can't, I can't use a slipstick or a slide rule to, uh, c- calculate how to fire this cannon, but I don't need to. I just press this button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a high Mars and it shoots rockets at the enemy. And I'm in, I'm in Quebec and he's over there. <laughs> like that's, uh, we're doing that to ourselves. So yeah, geography, students don't know geography. They don't know where they are. They can't identify any, like people say you can't identify. These people don't know where Ukraine is on a map. These people can't even identify Europe on a map. Yikes. Right. Uh, they're kids. Yikes. That's my, yeah. And I got a big book that I pull out and show them all the things. Like, how old are your students? Uh, between, I don't know, 10 and 
20. Okay. Yeah, I Little was under kids, 10. And but I was under 10, though, and I knew my world geography. No no problem. But Most I people don't. Weirdo, so. Yeah, you're, you read books. You're a total fucking weirdo. Most people don't read books. Even back then, right? Yeah. Whatever whatever was weird, like Dungeons & Dragons is so big now, there's YouTube channels for it. It was not like they show on... <laughs> Like, I, I don't know what that show is. Stranger Things? Mm, where, Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. Are the parents cursing them out for, um, uh, for, um, <laughs> are they allowed to play Dungeons? Like, it's, it's a weird thing now, right? Like, it's a normal thing to yeah. do, but it's a weird thing. Everything, like computers, if you had a computer back then, you were weird. <laughs> oh yeah, you're you're a total nerd if you were into a computer. They don't Go even know what it is. Man. They don't know like what are you talking about? Calculator? <laughs> now it's a Commodore sixty four. What Vic twenty? What is that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. The those things have become you know and uh, funny thing is, is that's the thing is people are carrying around computers in the pocket and they don't even know. They just think it's a phone. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I think we uh, probably exhausted ourselves on this book and uh, on this conversation because I got to pee. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure where you were cutting it off. Sorry, oh, but it was no, good talking we're to done. You. We're done approximately now. I'll, okay, uh, I did, wasn't sure if you were going to cut it off an hour plus ago for the show. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'll, I'll probably keep most of everything. I keep most of everything in there. Okay. People like long shows. Um, so I'll speak to you next uh, on Twitter probably. But yep. uh, the next one in the queue for you is, uh, see, you don't want to be on nudist camp. That's just weird. I'm not familiar with that in the slightest. Ori Hit, paperback author. Sl- uh, sl- okay, Ori Hit. Was prolific. Is it Ameri- one of those spicy ones? Yeah. One those- so let's just read here. Uh, my friend Evan narrated this one. Um Prolific American author of 150 books, mostly mid-century erotica, but including some of crime novels early in his career, it's been said he wrote a book every two weeks as a prime of his career, sitting in his dining room table, fueled by large glasses of iced coffee and cigarettes. There we go. Oh, I need to do that. We just need some boobs, and now we're in. Uh, his first two books, I'll Call Every Monday and Love in the Arctic, were hardcover books published by Red Lantern, but his career ultimately would be made writing paperbacks originals and uh there's a long list and if i'll send you the look at these covers my friend you will like these um so this is one of those books on archive.org that's public domain that somebody scanned and i was sending evan a whole bunch of these and one of them was nudist camp (laughs) girls dormitory summer hotel three strange women okay hot cargo Suburban Wife, Ellie's Shack, The Peeper. <laughs> so oh, man. these should be pretty fun. Abnormal Norma. <laughs> Shocking Mistress. Bed crazy. <laughs> Man's Nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Nude Doll. Naked Flesh. That's pretty standard. The Sex Pros. <laughs> Campus Tramp. Oh, I think that one, I think that one, he might be narrating too. Campus Tramp. It's fun. I love the, I love the copywriting on these covers. That's why I tweet all day is just what it says on the covers. The story of Susan, Norman and Gail, 
Three small-time models constantly exposed to each other's charms. Inevitably, they fell into depraved practices. M-dash. But could they fight their way back to normal love? Question mark? <laughs> they knew what they wanted. Dot, dot, dot. Each other! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Writing as Kate Adams. <laughs> well... So he must have done I some. I uh, guess if you've got an audio for it, I guess I'll give it a shot. There we go. I convinced him. Yeah, Evan narrated it, so we will. I'll put that. To, I'm putting it on the list. Yeah. I take it it's probably pretty short, right? Oh yeah, it's three or four hours probably. Um, did you hear his um, narration of a book called um, Mr. Adam? That's a good book. I didn't. I did. It's not. in the podcast feed. Um, it's a. Uh, by a famous writer from oh, what's his name? Hold on, I gotta write your name here. David J. West. There we go. Um, Mr. Adam. Who who wrote Mr. Adam? It the premise is awesome. Um, it's from 1947, I think. Okay, that's not Mr. Adam headshots. Uh, 1947. Try that. Oh, it's not coming up. Okay, typing SFF audio. You would know this author's name. Mr. Adam. Mm. Pat Frank. You know Pat Frank, right? Mm. No? I don't know if I do. I know I know about him. Um Pat Frank wrote a uh World War Two a World War Three novel, early one. Anyways, um, it's five hours, 41 minutes. So the premise of this one is um, there's a nuclear accident somewhere in the United States. Um, and it's cleaned up pretty quick. But nine months later, all the bookings in uh, hospitals for um, births stop. And it turns out all the men on, on planet Earth have been sterilized. Um, except there's this one guy. Mr. Adam, who is uh, inspecting a mine, a lead mine or something deep in the earth. Ah, okay. And, um, and so when he comes out of the lead mine and he's, his wife is pregnant after everyone else is unable to get pregnant, um, he becomes a hot commodity and the United States government wants to use him to. He's got a lot of work to do. Exactly. <laughs> and it goes, it, it's, it's set up for like a comedy premise, right? And it is kind uh-huh. of a light comedy. But what's funny is it never goes in the direction you think it's going to go. It's not a sex book. It's because Mr. Adam himself, he loves his wife. <laughs> so the government has this giant plan to like, they're going to start inseminating everybody and they start organizing like on a war footing, like how they're going to, what people are going to be included. Can black women get uh, pregnant from this white man? Right. No, it's not fair. So it's like all sort of government debate about this and the army oh. steps in. Um, and then they find out, Oh, there's two Mongolians. So the Russians have, so we got to start our breeding program. And what's so funny is it's a giant c- complete fuck up. <laughs> they can't get uh-huh. their, they can't get they almost end up sterilizing Mr. Adam. <laughs> They can't have a mind shaft gap. Exactly. Um, so it's, it's a comedy piece, but it's, uh, set right after the war. Um, and, uh, I'm going to send you the link because this is a delightful book. And it's the sort of thing that, uh, you know, not commercial release. It's just, uh, Evan, uh, wants okay. to narrate it. So 
Look at this. Very cool. Uh, but isn't that a great premise? That is a great premise, and I, I think I probably glanced at it, and I just didn't get it. Yeah, of course, because you never know what uh, – Pat Frank, if you never heard of him, doesn't mean anything to you. Mr. Adam, doesn't not an amazing title, right? Yeah, I was just yeah. – I got a lot I'm to sure, do. I'm sure it popped up on the – Yeah, it would have popped you know, up on the Whenever it was theme. new. But who wants to listen to a thing you never – so my job is to sell you individually on okay. every single That's book. That's cool. Uh, the Brethren. Have you read that? H. Ryder Haggard. Terrific. Oh, I don't know if I've gotten to that one. It's a terrific book. Um, the narrator's okay. She's got a weird German accent or something, but um, H. Ryder Haggard, he got the goods. And this is a another. Oh yeah, he's done some. He's done some amazing stuff. I just don't think I've read that one. Yeah, it's a. It's a. Um, I thought it was going to be a Crusader book because it's set during the Crusades, but it's uh-huh. it's a personal crusade. There's two brothers in and they are the brethren i figured the brethren were going to be a bunch of knights like yeah i thought the it white company white company yeah exactly which i've not read but i want to read um but no it's it's two guys who are brothers um and they're in love with the same girl who's their cousin who's half arab and half oh well, she's half arab but the important part is her uncle is saladin and Saladin oh. wants, he had a dream and he wants her to come to the Holy Land. And, uh, so she's kidnapped and the two brothers go after her to get her back and they both want to marry her. And get this. This is the best part. They both do. But they're not, uh, bigamists or polygamists. Oh. Yeah, they're not polygamists or whatever. The, polyandrists. They're not polyandrists. Yeah. But they don't, but they both get to marry her. And there's a great half, uh, there's another Arab character, half, it's, it's, it's totally like, a, you'll love this book because it's very Robert E. Howard and, but cr- nice and crisp, um, like H. Ryder Haggard. It's, it's different from Howard because he's, he's not. Right. Uh, Haggard doesn't do the thews and the colors. But he does, he has other, he's good at plots and stuff. So this was inspired by, apparently, um, Haggard went to this area and then he wrote this book. Huh. It's, it's kind of like a tour of, uh, of the period. So it's a terrific book. I'll send you the link. I will to have that to one check too. that out. I'm trying to see if I've got a copy already in paperback. I'm, but I'm, well, there's an audiobook up front. Okay, well, that's cool, because yep. that way I can do other things at the same time. Yep. It's all good. Exactly. I was just curious. I'm like, do I have that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I. He has a lot of books, that guy. Mostly there, we think of them King Solomon series and she series and stuff, but apparently he's got a lot of other stuff. Well, I know I've got some other ones, like the, what is that, Eric Bright Eyes? Yeah, I read that one. That's, in, that's interesting. I think it's not the best. I, I liked it, but I th- he's the character's so dumb. I didn't like that. I know I bought it because it had such a great lurid cover. Oh yeah, great covers. And now I'm like, how come I can't find my Haggard paperback section? I've got this wall of sword and sorcery paperbacks, you know, from mm-hmm. mo- you know the greater bulk are from the '70s. That's and I'm like, why am I blind that I'm not seeing the Haggards? What is wrong with me today? I I, I had a long weekend at the con, so I'm. I am worn yeah, out. Yeah, I was worried you weren't going to be able to get back. No, I, you know, we got home last night by like nine o'clock and felt jazzed enough to watch Adventures in Babysitting. And I still got up early because I had to take my son to his job. 
So I was up. I'm just a little bit sore standing on concrete for three days. Yeah, no doubt. Ryder, British Columbia is named after H. Ryder Haggard. That's oh, really? That's what it says. Huh. And uh, I tell all my students, um, Abbotsford, British Columbia is named after uh, Sir Walter Scott's house. Hmm. Abbotsford's pretty close to where I live. I don't know where Ryder is. I think it's it's like a yeah a railway point. <laughs> not a not, it, Wikipedia entry is two sentences. <laughs> All right, sir. I'll see you on Twitter. Well, All right, appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, thanks. Talk okay. to you later. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Oh, sort of. I still don't understand. Um... Why did they think this was a fraud? Um, I think it's because it's a heavy package. Package okay. come from came from overseas. Um, came from a, and there were several sent at the same time. They apparently thought it was some kind of a uh, fraudulent. Like, oh, you want a pack? You want something now? Now pay a fee. But of course, the sender paid the fee. Fee. I don't. And also, apparently, it might also be that there was actually a security issue because um, Hugo is rocket shaped. It might be a grenade or something, and they probably and <laughs> yeah. showed up on the X-ray machine. And they're sending V two rockets also, to uh, Germany. It's quite possible that <laughs> you can buy. Yeah, well, you can buy weapons in the U.S. Uh, via mail order, and I it's quite possible that there maybe are people in Germany who are trying to order <laughs> order actual live weapons from Brass the U.S. Knuckles. via mail order into their castle. Oh dear Lord! Close oh to Newcastle. Come on! I, I, I'm imagine, yeah. imagining Cora is an arms dealer. I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Okay, have uh, you seen I all those weapons her uh, Masters of the Universe have uh, been deploying? They're mostly plastic. Yeah, but. I don't. <laughs> yeah. That's a funny thing. I got a, I got a, a package, a Masters of the Universe pack on the same day as the Hugo. It arrived two hours early. But not broken, was, right? The package was, everything was in perfect condition. It was, uh, the, the box was, uh, the box used to ship a few plastic figures, was sturdier than the one used to ship a heavy Hugo wow, base. Oh, that's crazy. Base. Wow. The, the figures were, Somebody it was like, up. okay, if I was a mid-on-card collector, I would be really screwed now because they're in great condition. And then I got, a, got it absolutely banked and better, banked up and battered you. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, that, well, it looks like it's a pretty clean break, but it looks like there's also some surface damage. I'm looking at the blog now. Yeah, it's surface, uh, I, they can't, it can't be repaired. They need to, uh, they need to send a new base because, uh, the, the wood literally broke off and it's not, it's quite, it's jagged. The edges are jagged and the wood literally broke off inside the base. But, uh, yeah. the it's not actually a V2. I'm looking at it. It's not actually a V2. It's just similar. It's much more, um, 1930s rocket, you know, like, Hugo. V2s rocket. look different. I've seen them. Little, yeah, no, the, they're similar, museum, but. So. This is it, it's like a st- it's like an Art Deco V two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, how heavy is it? Um, it's three point uh, it's three point seven seven US pounds. 
Oh, I mean, according to the according to so it is a weapon. (laughs) I mean, not 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 to humble brag, but since I've been nominated a couple times, I've held a couple of Hugo's. This is not the heaviest one. It's not the heaviest I've ever. Yeah, the one one with the giant rock on the bottom. That was that was like that's yeah. Some of these are really uh, really heavy. Um, so the Dublin one was was heavier, definitely. Hmm. I've held the Dublin one, but all the rockets are the same, right? It's just the. The rockets are the same. The bases are designed yeah. differently. Right. Yeah, the rocket is always the same, and the base. But this one is also it's really it's huge. A lot. I mean, I've seen lots of Hugo trophies, but uh, but having this thing in your house on your shelf, it's really it's absolutely I'm huge. Put this because, in the uh, chat for you. Don't consider how David. huge it normally is. Is the footprint of this thing is really big. <laughs> Just scroll down to the bottom to see it, uh, or not? Yeah, the if you I scroll down to the bottom, a few pages. Then you get I don't know. A few scrolls the down. On the south. Okay. <laughs> and otherwise, it would be uh, not. Um, and you can see it on the south as you go, and it's. Uh... Hmm. I see on your desk. There's like two bottles of uh, water and a uh, and tiny that's little lifting weights. That's, oh. di- that's actually the that's actually the dining table. Oh, okay. And the bottles of water and uh, this, uh, these, um, and these weights and so on, uh, the bottles of water and the, and the pen always there. And the weights are actually, they're my mom, so she ah. can, uh, can, uh, train her muscles because she was, uh, hospitalized. So you're showing <laughs> her I, your, your trophy? Yeah, I was showing it to, to my parents, and that's nice. why the photo, that's the photo was taken. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's a... Even then, it was difficult to get a good photo because the thing is huge and there are pretty low-hanging lights on the table. But in the shelf, you can really see how absolutely huge it is. Yeah, it's, it's too big for the yeah. shelf. Yeah, it, I thought it would... Uh, I'm actually lucky that I've got this protruding uh, shelf thing, which is uh, which is actually it's completely useless. It's... Um, uh, there's a t- it's a cabinet for TV and there hasn't been a TV uh. in there for... Yes, because no TV fits this fits no. the TV cabinet. No, they're not the CRTs cabinet. anymore. Yeah, it doesn't fit anymore. So it's just uh, there's books inside. Inside, it's just it's this weird uh, closed thing, and there are books inside. All your into your Russian the nesting dolls inside. are blocking my view of your bookshelf. I can see uh, yeah, Rediscovery, okay. Science Fiction, Women, Nineteen Something. Those are all. This is my brag shelf. Those are books where I have pieces inside. So, ah. so it's. Uh, well, yeah, I, I have a book of blades. Oh, is Book it's of Blades there? Thing. Yeah. Wow. Book of Blades is a solid, is a sort of anthology in which I have a story. It is oh, I see it. It's behind the diamond there. Or yeah, the diamond crystal. is actually the Space Cowboy Award. Oh yeah, I see year. that logo now. They uh, they started sending me their newsletter out of the blue. Yeah. The, and I, I get the newsletter. It's the only like piece of. I used to get like stuff in the mail all the time, uh, like mostly books and audiobooks, of course. But now nobody does. Uh, well, almost nobody does hardcover or physical audiobooks yeah. anymore. And I still get mm-hmm. books, but not like I I used to. It's because I don't review books <laughs> anymore. I do. They still I've send them, but I know a lot of books in the mail. I have. Well, you're most you're farther away. You're mm-hmm. the way. I mean, I used to get many more review copies in the mail. Now I get very few. Well, I still get like emails where it's like it's a big list of download links, and I don't even look at them well, anymore. Yeah, but, but I used to. Yeah, I get those too. Yeah, and, and 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 some of the heavy heavier hitters like James David Nichol and 
people like that still get lots of, and John Scalzi want to get lots of books. John Scalzi's got to get, got to get a billion because everybody wants a John Scalzi blurb. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, have you not seen his tweets where he tweets? No. Also, he tweets them out. out. He I don't, tweets, I don't yeah. follow like a stack of books. Yeah. He, I mean, he gets, he gets tons of stuff. I, I, I believe <laughs> Everyone that. wants a Scalzi blurb. All right. Let's get to the hard, hard hitting, important things. Which animals could you beat in a fight? Rat, house cat, goose, medium-sized dog, eagle, large dog, chimpanzee, king cobra, kangaroo, wolf, crocodile, gorilla, lion, elephant, grizzly bear. Did you see this, Cora? I think I sent it to you, too. Mm, have to check. Have to show anything above anything above the house cat I'm, I've lost. I am mm. not a fighter. You can't. Oh, you mean below the house cat on the chart, right? Right. A- anything larger than the house cat, yeah. You think a goose could yeah. defeat you, Paul? <laughs> Jesse, have, uh, have you seen goose? They can be really nasty. There's a big they gap be between really Brits versus Americans on this chart. Yeah, they, goose geese are mean. Americans exactly. seem overconfident uh, compared to the Brits, or maybe the Brits are more realistic. I don't. I don't know. I I'm a I very confident American, and I still would not want to do half of those. Yeah, I wouldn't even be particularly keen on fighting the rat and <sighs> the cat, but um, but um, I could beat them. Unarmed. Also Some people think they can dog. defeat an elephant. I'm pretty Unarmed. sure the would be nasty. <laughs> I mean, Way too many people are underestimating chimps. Dude, chimps will fuck you up worse than, uh, like... King Cobra, they, you just step on so it. So bad, you you would yeah, you would they, get hurt. Chimps are so mean. They, yeah, they, they, they rip so your legs off. Oh yeah, I I've seen some things. They did a, a monster quest about chimps that got away and beat people up, and it's like, oh no, man, no, you do not want to mess with a chimp. I, I, I'm supposed to didn't put swans because swans are also really, well, really nice I think they're sort of like geese, them. you know. Yeah. yeah, it's like geese. You don't want to fuck with them. Also, um, when I was a kid, um, house next door, which is a was a it was a still a working it was a goose farm. They had geese, geese. It had been a working. It was uh, most of the other farm stuff was gone, but they still kept geese, and. Um, these are traditional winter food, winter food, eaten in November and December for various holidays here. So, we went to the neighbors around, the, around, um, started in October. Mm. Then, uh, then you would always, uh, then they were pretty much, um, constantly either slaughtering, so the men were they was doing it unarmed though, is the question. Were they doing it and with the weapons? Women, they were just sitting in the parlor and were always like, um, no, not par- it's sort of, a. It's a large open room, room which in uh, which the North German farmhouses have. It's don't think it has an American English language equivalent. It's basically the last open room where the people can gather. What's the, what's the German and word if for? If you went inside, the women were always there and they were plucking the geese. Geese. They often like, oh, I'm really sorry, but I can't. And they're like, oh, yeah, t- yeah, Mariana, just continue plucking your geese. <laughs> and so this is why I can't eat goose, especially not around the winter time, because whenever I I see a roast goose, I see uh, I see the, this neighbor lady. Marianne and uh, her sister-in-law Dora. I see them sitting there and plucking geese. And um, sometimes I left the door open, and you could see uh, how the geese were being slaughtered, which was not so fun. 
So, but were they doing it unarmed, or were they like breaking their necks with their hands, or were they chopping their no, heads? No, no, they had a machine. It looked like oh, a wow. upside okay. down tunnel. They put the goose inside upside down. So oh, okay, my. one person who could absolutely beat a ge- beat a goose would be a uh, would be his long long gone now, Georg Holthusen, my old na- my neighbor. All he right. would be over now, way over ninety now. <laughs> now probably around hundred. He was about yes. His wife Marianne was the same age as the Queen. She died a few years earlier. All right, oh. let's let's talk uh, real terms here. Okay, <laughs> um, how many of these animals have you killed personally? <laughs> I, I've, I've I've killed mice. They're not on the list, Paul. I know, I know, but it wasn't. But I mean, I was in. I was working in a grocery store. I was work in the price integrity department, and I was up in the up in the room doing my thing and we my boss and I heard something so I opened up the drawer and I saw this mouse. And so mouse I in the drawer. This, what's that? A mouse in the drawer. Seriously. <laughs> and then I closed the drawer quickly and then we heard a crunch. Oh no. The mouse had gotten up and around and well, is that, I killed Is that the considered mouse. unarmed though? You used a drawer to kill it. <laughs> um okay it's not unarmed. It's not unarmed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we accidentally had star- sort of um, killed a. We accidentally killed a mouse which had gotten into the house summer, and for some reason it had gotten into the Christmas, well, into the box with the Christmas tree decorations, <laughs> and it started eating the decorations and um, <laughs> popcorn. And it uh, damaged uh, damaged a wooden uh, wooden soldier soldier figure which um, which had been a gift from my uncle. I still have the wooden soldier figure. It has got little teeth marks on it. And then it started eating the tree topper. It was a tree topper was a was a star from some kind of gold foil, and yeah, it did not survive that. We later found the dead mouse inside the Christmas box. Oh, but you didn't kill it. It died uh, from well, the tree Christmas. topper. Did kill it. I didn't ah, kill it. All right, yeah, not unarmed. Okay, David, what's the okay, biggest I, animal I, on this I, list? I, I've I've killed. A bunch of these things, but oh, okay. I always had a tool. <laughs> okay. I had a tool. I've, I, I'm in America. I've killed rattlesnakes. Uh, save it, save it for the so podcast. Not, not proper. quite a goose. <laughs> oh, okay. My bad. My bad. <laughs> no snake killing. That's for the podcast. Uh. No, I haven't actually killed. My neighbors killed ge- killed geese. I didn't kill the geese. <laughs> I just, uh, I just saw how it how it worked. All right, I'm gonna. I'm gonna also, s- that was it. Was like the, the killing the geese is men. The men kill the geese, and the women just pluck the feather. When ah. there was a scene in Game of Thrones where they were pl- where someone was supposed to pluck uh, some kind of dead birds, uh, don't even know if it was a duck or something. And I was, and uh, they were just supposed to have a conversation and have something to do with her. And I was like, you're doing it wrong. Wrong. God, send uh, Tante Marianne there. She can show you how to do this. You're totally yes. doing it wrong. I never would have, works. I would not have guessed <laughs> that they were doing it wrong. All right. I'm going to tell you the biggest animal on this list that I've I fought unarmed and killed is a rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, my mom used I've to have... I've habit of murdering, uh, murdering cats, actually, and dogs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> my mom used to have... Um, uh, a lot of snakes and uh, frogs and turtles and, and turtles don't eat rats, but um, uh, some people uh, she would she would breed um, rats and mice for food, um, mm-hmm. and some people's snakes yeah. are tr- not trained. I don't know. They're used to eating uh, dead 
animal rather no. than live animal. Live food, yes. Yeah, so um, uh, she had me kill some, I, I think it was just one rat, and I'm like, I don't like this. Um, uh, and I'll tell you, the story was pretty traumatizing. Basically, what you do to kill a rat, you grab it by the tail, and then you whack it against the ground, right? Like to break mm-hmm. its neck. And yeah. um, so I did that, and uh, and I did what I was supposed to do with it after, which, which is put it in the freezer, because it's going to be frozen food for when somebody comes to pick it up, right? To get their frozen food for their snake. You knocked it unconscious? Yes. Yeah, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I knocked it. I killed, I, I whacked it. It was bleeding from the nose, which is a good sign if you're trying to kill a rat. Um and when I came back to, uh, I don't know, get it out of the freezer, it was moving around in there. So, uh, I guess I didn't kill a rat. <laughs> I don't know. You tried and failed to kill a rat. Yeah, okay, now notice it doesn't say kill. It says beat. The rat won. Beat in a fight. So, uh, <laughs> I technically I beat that rat unto unconsciousness, so I'm going to take that as a win. You're going to take it as your win? Yeah. <laughs> house cat. I, I fought house cats. I survived. Um, mostly they attack me, and I'm like, don't attack me, please. I uh, never fought a goose like physical contact. Medium sized dogs I fought, although m- more often it's small dogs. Um, large dogs, I think I've fought those too, but it was a long time ago. Uh, never fought a chimpanzee or a cobra. Have, have played with smaller snakes, but I wouldn't say I was fighting them. I was just holding them. Uh, that's not the same thing. No, kangaroo, that, that's the one people are really underestimating. They got fucking claws, yo. They'll disembowel you. Have you, have you actually seen kangaroos in the wild? Yeah, it's real fucking dangerous, yo. Yeah, they, they, they are. I mean, uh, when I saw them in Australia, um, because they were in a suburban development near my friend Donna Marie Hansen's house where I was staying during the duck trip, she said, don't get too close. No. They were messed. Like, okay. I wanted to get closer photos, but she said, don't do it. So I didn't uh, do it. A lot of these animals can be, if you if you see them in the zoo, it's fine, but a lot of them can be really dangerous. Also, kangaroos, even smaller monkeys can be dangerous. They got really like giant claws. Like, they're not grizzly sized, but they have really big, dangerous claws, right? And they'll give you a swipe. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll, you'll lose your guts. I think you will not win that fight unless you're very lucky. I, I've seen shots of where they, they launch up and kick with their feet. Too. Oh, yeah. They, they got yeah, claws yeah. there, too, as well. But, yeah, you, you, get, you get fucked up. I've never fought a wolf, but I've I've survived wolf contact. Never mm-hmm. fought a crocodile. I survived wolf contact. You, they Wolves see you. They don't attack they you. Because, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that counts as surviving a wolf. No, I didn't fight. I didn't say I was fighting. But, I, well, look, coyotes, I think I could take a coyote. They are vicious. Uh, but I've never had to fight them because they, you know, I scared them off. Um, crocodile, never even seen a crocodile in real life. Gorilla, the same. Lion, I've Why seen you mountain say lions. That one for the podcast. Uh, gorilla? <laughs> 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 crocodile? Was there any crocodiles? I don't remember. Um, there, there was I've seen an alligator once. A Nile That's crocodile, a, right? Uh, That's also not something I would want to. And I survived contact with a. I survived an encounter with a bunch of wild boars in the woods. Ooh, see, that oh, should oh, be yeah. on the list. The nest, yes, they can, because those can also be really dangerous. Oh, like, dude. Yeah. I mean, I know they're 
balls and, and deer and so on in the woods. We know, I know that they are there, but normally you don't see them. And I was walking and was hiking in the woods and it was like something uh, sort of, there's some movement in the undergrowth, grouse ahead. And I see like, oh, that's a bunch, a whole bunch of balls with, with babies and everything. And I was like, okay, I very, very cautiously went backwards because honestly, I did not want, want that encounter because, yeah, they killed Robert Beresian and uh, that's, that's uh, <laughs> and they can, yeah, they did. And they could be, they're dangerous, uh, dangerous. Also, people are warned of, of them. They're dangerous. Yeah, I've heard that. Also, so I had survived a run in with a band of monkeys. Um, Monkeys, not not chimps, but um, I forgot the Depends name. Depends on the monkey, uh, I think. Yeah, it was a it was a group of um, gibbons. I think gibbons. So yeah, since they were gib- if it they was capuchins, I think I could fight three or four of them and survive. <laughs> yeah, but they're also nasty. Oh yeah, in South Asia, in Singapore. <laughs> My dad worked there, and um, near where we lived, there was a swimming pool. It belonged to some kind of private, it was a private club, some kind of private country club or something like that. The Swiss clubs, I always had these weird private country clubs, which I didn't, didn't really understand. But also said, also I said experts were hanging out and drinking gin tonic. I was always like, why are you sitting here? But they had a great swimming pool and we went swimming there. And the swimming pool was literally surrounded on three sides by jungle. And jungle. monkeys. And, um, the swim and sometimes the monkeys came out of the jungle. They made a, a lot of noise. And if the mon- monkeys came, if you went in, if you were inside the pool, it was uh, okay. They didn't go into the pool. Or you could go back up to the clubhouse. But I uh, thought like, oh, I'm going to stay in the pool and watch the monkeys. And then the monkeys ran riot. Um, people sometimes <laughs> left, uh, left drinks, including alcoholic drinks, uh, drinks because all the sad <laughs> experts were drinking gin tonic. Gin tonic. They left it at the pool. Or they left keys or something at the pool. The monkeys stole keys. When there were drinks, the monkeys would drink the, would drink the drinks. And um, you basically had to wait in the pool until the monkeys were gone or they would bite you. So oh, I was oh, like, I gotta and after story. half an hour, it was like, okay, this is really fascinating now. I'm, I'm really, I think it's absolutely cool that I have this live nature documentary in front of me, but I really want to get out of the pool by now. It's, <laughs> it's tiring. So, yeah. Yeah, I have a monkey story because I saw monkeys in Nepal. Um, there was, there was a temple, um, in Kathmandu that we climbed up to and we were warned there are monkeys there. Don't mess with them. They will mess you up. Be careful. Um, and yeah, um, they, they, I mean, I, I have, I have a picture even maybe I, maybe I can find it of a monkey having stolen somebody's, um, paper airplane. <laughs> and they also did try to steal, uh, the purse of one of the, one of the people in our tour, in our tour. So they were absolutely messy. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure I got pictures somewhere I can show you. I think I've seen pictures of. I think I've seen pictures you posted of monkeys. We also we do have pictures of the Singapore monkeys. The problem is just they're way pre digital, so they are mm. in a photo album of my parents somewhere. So relating to formidable animals, mm-hmm. about a year ago, a hiker here in Utah was up the canyon and got attacked by a mountain lion. Mm-hmm. And he did manage to strangle it and oh. kill it with his bare hands. Oh, wow. This impressive. was about a year ago. And it wasn't, it, they figured it was only about a yearling. So, what you know, it was on its own, but it was still a young one. But hey, it can be done. Yes, it can be done. Uh, mountain lions are pretty dangerous. I don't think I would want to fight one. I've never had to. I've, I've survived encounters with them, not that I've, you know, physically contacted them. 
Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they, they take kids every once in a while. There was on the island, not that many years ago, there was a kid, uh, got bit on the head by a, uh, I, I was playing at lunch, uh, <laughs> like, uh, out in the yard at school and, uh, mm-hmm. got, got head bit. Um, I think the kid yeah. survived, but, uh, sometimes I, they don't. I, yeah. I know a kid who got head bit by a bear. It's the town I, w- I grew up in in Montana. Ouch. A bear wandered down off the mountain into the backyard where the kids were sleeping in the backyard, bit the kid on the head, Jesus. and started dragging him away. Yep. Kid oh woke up, yells at the bear, reaches back and slaps it in the nose, and it let him go and wandered off. Good. Oh, but that sounds really nasty. Good. Yeah, he, he, yeah, we, big old he no longer has the no sort doubt. of very big wildlife here. We no longer have uh, have wild. We have uh, we actually had a bear in in Bavaria. A bear wandered uh, across, uh, I think, from Czech from Czech Republic or somewhere. He wandered. A bear wandered into Bavaria and uh, caused some, caused quite a bit of trouble. We do have wolves very occasionally. I mean, there's a sort of wolf preserve some quite close to where I live, but we do have wild wolves occasionally. But they are. But um, yeah, also they usually they leave people alone and uh, sometimes they eat to eat sheep or something like that. But we don't really have a lot of these really big ones. I did get scratched by a puma once. Wow! Once, but that oh, was that in a happened. sort of private. Yeah, there was a sort of private zoo which actually wasn't very well. Um, I, I have no idea how this thing was even even legal. So it sounds legal. like it was, you lost uh, that it was fight. A kind of, it was actually <laughs> it was a kind of horse farm. It was a horse riding farm where children could ride horses, and they also had a. All sorts of animals. They had peacocks, uh, and they had a had a puma in a cage, and they had a llama or something like that. It was a sort of private mini, mini zoo. Mm. I have no idea how the thing was illegal. And the puma was in his cage, and I was very, very little, and admiring the peacocks. I was like six or so on, and got too close to the to the cage, and the puma scratched me. All right, I can mm. top that. I I, I uh, tamed a, a, an elephant. I mean, I, we didn't fight, but I got what? to I got to ride it. So, oh, cool. <laughs> I was a little kid, you know, it was a <laughs> one of those riding zoos or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea how this weird private zoo was actually uh, a private zoo and horse. I mean, uh, these horse riding farms for kid, uh, kids are still a thing. And but I have no idea how all of these wild animals were even remotely legal that they, that he kept there. So because he had some, he had a, they had a bear too. um a special kind of, it was called Vide. The bear's name was Videka. I remember this. They said, I don't know what the, it is. A, it's not, a, but it was pretty, it was pretty man-sized. It's not, a, it's a special kind of bear, but um, I don't know what the name of the species is in English. English, let in me Germany? look it up what it's called. It's a... Um, Brown bear, probably. It was Kragenbär in German. Asian black bear. Yes, okay. it was Asian black oh, yeah. bear. They got different ears. Than our black yeah. bears. Speaking when of I which, one, uh, I immediately think, "Oh, look, it's it's a Vedicke." For a long time, I actually thought Vedicke was the name of the species, but it was just the name of oh. this bear. For some reason, they called so it Vedicke. No idea. That'd be why. like a sun bear, uh, Baloo from Jungle Book type bear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably similar to Baloo. Baloo is gray, but uh, he's uh, but it's probably similar. Oh, but it's because he's old. I, mean, uh, I have no idea how this uh, and uh, it wouldn't be legal today. I have no idea how this was even legal in the. But uh, there was also a garden center in, in also quite close to where I live, which had, um, which had not just gardens, they had all sorts of wild, mon- wild animals, including a couple of monkeys. And after the garden center closed down, 
the monkeys were rehoused at the botanic garden. So our botanic garden now has, has the monkeys from this garden center. And they are apparently quite happy they've had babies since then. All right, last on the list. Uh, I don't. Uh, David says he's used tools to kill some big ones. Uh, I got to tell you, I never fought a grizzly bear, but when I was a little kid, I did fight a black bear, and I won. Mm. <laughs> wow! Uh, what happened was we went to the dump, uh, which was uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, a place where you would find black bears, and um, I loved going to the dump because it was free toys, right? Um, and of course, you don't want to touch anything, so you're kicking things. And I was wandering and kicking, and uh, I wandered and kicked, and I wandered, and then I kicked something, and it it uh, was not what where I was kicking. It was a big black bear. Uh, <laughs> and then it turned it, it turned and looked at me, and uh, and then we decided that I won. So I. <laughs> I, I take that as a win. It's not a grizzly, which I, I, I again, do not want to fight. I, I was in my prime when I kicked that black bear. So <laughs> I think we went to the same dumps. Did you? When yeah. I was a kid, when I was a kid, I remember I'd look around, and once I found Star Wars toys. So yeah. of course, after that, I had to go looking every time I was there. Some kids were rich, and they just throw everything good out. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't get this. Why would you throw something? Because they're like, rich. Uh, you, could, you could give I it. I bet. I mean, you see it sometimes when there's um, uh, in Germany we have a thing that uh, that you basically oversized uh, that once or twice a year you can call the garbage company mm-hmm. to uh, to pick up oversized garbage. Mostly it's old furniture and so on. And if someone had gets or it, Commodore sixty fours, basically it's uh, basically it's being. Basically, the whole neighborhood, which has some some kind of oversized garbage somewhere, puts theirs alongside this one because. Uh, Cora, some, some, you want to hear and a I story? Saw a Barbie house there, a full size. I got Barbie some. Dream I can beat in this. Conditions like why are you not selling this? This is quite expensive. If you want one, I got the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons from Garbage. Wow. The, wow. You know, the, the one, it's not the, the box. It's the first printing with the blue dragon. It's, it's like, it's the full size, uh, AD and regular D and D before the red box, blue tinted, uh, dragon on the cover. Somebody threw it, was throwing it away. Sometimes I just don't get people why you throw away such a way. Really uh, I get, I get that you get getting rid of stuff, but I, I just. I've, I once found a it. bunch of of books, uh, books, a lot of crime paperback crime novels, and also even some hardcovers in a in a which was basically they were just um, was a paper collection of the local sport for time the local sports and shootings clubs and so on did collected waste paper before there was a municipal waste paper collection and they dumped it at a neighbor's place and and he knew that I like and he told me and he often if there were books coming and he told me like oh I have books or I have English language newspapers because he kind of knew I liked those things those things and then I would get uh, would get uh, outdated time magazines or something and mm. this was a whole bunch of, of uh, paperback back books and also hardcover books, some really good ones, including some really, really good ones. My first, the first Modesty Blaze I ever read was a German edition for Modesty I got from the Blaze. All right. Wow. Thumbs up. Yeah. That's a, that's something yeah, you don't want to throw away. There was a great find. There was a great find, except that who throws away a Modesty Blaze book? I think it was they were all 
they all had the same, they were stamped, and since they all belong to the same woman, I suppose he died and... Yeah, that's usually what it is, is it's an estate. So I, 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 I've been spending a lot of time with a, an estate guy. He sells, you know, people's estates, mm-hmm. comes in, yeah. and uh, it's unbelievable. You know, people collect, and I'm like looking at my shelves, and I was like, yeah, I guess it's going to happen, right? Uh, so <laughs> it's all all I have to do is outweigh David and then I get to have his collection at some point is my theory. <laughs> so 10 years ago I was helping manage um a work program for mentally challenged adults mm-hmm. and we basically had a thrift store where we'd go through stuff and so people always brought us everything. I put myself in charge of books. <laughs> and could, so I found all kinds filter. of amazing things and I'm like I can't believe people were throwing stuff away. And I'm like, I guess it's, they died. Yep. And people just don't understand what the value is. Yeah, so, you have to. They don't want to deal with it. It's too much I mean, stuff. I mean, thought of them, my grandma stuff. died. Yeah. Uh, when, when I, mean, I thought for some of the uh, things for my grandpa. We still have some because, uh, I mean, a lot of it was just young. And her books, I, I don't even know what happened to her books because, uh, because uh, there was a, I got, uh, got a set of Angelique books for my aunt, my late aunt, but, uh, my grandma's books, mostly they were the kind of books I just don't read or I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we, we backed them up and took them to use. Also, a lot of them were book club, Bertelsmann book club editions and Bertelsmann book club editions litter pretty much every place which has, which deals with books. So they're not very valuable. No one really wants them. No, it's just, uh, book dealers don't want them either, mostly. Yeah, they're, they're, because there's so many of them, the books are mostly uh, dated bestsellers. They're not first editions. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't want them. I, I yeah. think as long as they got good cover art, I'll take it and scan it and throw it out. <laughs> um, yeah, when my aunt died, her kids didn't want her books. They didn't care. And she had some encyclopedias that now I have from like the 1890s. And I'm like, uh, oh, I gotta, cool, have, I gotta have that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, was, we have some of those from my, I have my grand, I have my grandmother's encyclopedia, and I have a say, the Brockhaus encyclopedia, an old one also from the, I think it's from the early 20th century, and I have my, my great uncle's English dictionary from nine, for German English dictionary from 1903. It's some, it has some words which no other dictionary has yeah. because they've gone outdated by now. It was right. really good well, for a while for botanic words. Right, right. Back then, wasn't there wasn't there like a shift in German pronunciation and spelling way back then? Um, there was not, yeah, not at that time. That was earlier. <laughs> that was oh, way okay, because okay. I, I, I was I way know earlier. This why... would have been 1903, so 1903 is not that that far okay, back. My great uncle that. actually, he did, he. Uh, he um he ran away to sea as a as a teenager and uh, and actually wound up in the U.S. He 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 moved to the I don't know if he planned to move to the U.S. or just uh, sort of ended up there there and he married he married someone and uh, moved. I think they first lived somewhere near New York and later they lived in Florida because I know that we visited them when I was very small and that we also I got a lot of really nice nice presents from this uh, from this uh, from my uncle great uncle and aunt. Uncle Nick and Aunt Claire, his American wife. And the American wife always sent me such really clothes when I was really little. So I, that's all the memory I have of them. They, they died, I think, the early, they died ages ago. More than, probably 40 years or so ago, because they, sh- but yeah, I have his English language dictionary. And oh yes, this is funny. My grandmother's, when, after my grandma, my paternal grandmother died, died her books, we separated them. 
and she had a, she had an edition of Mein Kampf. I mean, everybody in Germany pretty much had one, but she still had her edition of Mein Kampf, and it was in the. And and I said we can we take the other books, but I don't want that one. And my cousin, who was a college student at the time, because Mein Kampf was out was out of print, it was kept out of print via copyright right laws. Now you can buy it. So if it's, if someone needed a, a student of history needed one, you either well, I mean there was of course one in the library, but um, otherwise you had to either get an old one from a from a relative or you. You had to buy a kind of illegal print, which was probably printed by Nazis, which is not very, not really great. So my student, my cousin was, who was a college student, was like, oh, I'll take it. And then she later found out that half the pages were missing. Missing. The, the mind, it, it looked all right on the shelf, but if you opened it up, half the pages were just torn out. And then my, my dad said, oh, yes, uh, after the war, we used this one to candle the oven. Because wow. they needed the, yeah, my grandma, she was a sort of she was a sort of person wasn't she sort of she did not move from Germany but she did not particularly like the Nazis it was like she thought they were idiots idiots she didn't like them like them she was an educated woman she she came from his father had been sea captain she traveled so she she sort of saw the idiot she also told her my great my grandfather husband when he wanted to join the he was like oh I think I might join the party and she said we're not paying money good money for that stupid uniform. <laughs> so that's why my grandfather never joined the Nazi party. He was like, oh, it might be good for business. Maybe I should join. And she said, yeah, I'm paying money for that stupid uniform. And then when the war was uh, ended and and uh, they didn't have have a lot of stuff for heating and they needed to kind of the oven, my grandma looked for something to, to use to kind of the oven. And she took the book, the Mein Kampf, out of the shelf, said, oh, we're never going to use to need this again, and ripped out the pages. And it's the irony of, of burning uh, books, is burning Hitler's yeah, book one page one at a time was, as you yeah. kindle I mean, your... She used, the, she used the best book to book in her collection to burn, I think. It was the mm. best one of the... Even the... I'm not a fan of Ludwig Ganghofer or something, but the Ganghofer Hoover has more value than, than Mein Kampf had. Speaking... But my cousin, who was happy to have found a copy he could she needed for, for college, yes. <laughs> didn't have one. I only had half a copy because half of it was yeah, had just been used to cuddle an oven, <laughs> oven less after 19, 1945. I want to change the topic I, slightly. Oh, oh sorry. Go, go yeah, for it. Go for it, go for it, David. Go for it. I found a copy that was printed in like 1936, and it's all Time Life, Great Books, the first half of the century. Mm. So this is 36. So at this time... The front is all this praise for Mein Kampf, saying, hey, here's this innovative, great book. Yeah. <laughs> so 36, the attitude was completely different, and I've got that somewhere, just because I was thought, thought it was interesting that at that time in America, they were like, hey, this is good stuff. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of people agree with it, that's Kampf the problem. Very few people ever actually read this thing. Yeah. Amusing. No, it is a prestige book, book, right? A lot of people. Anybody ever read it? Yeah. Yeah, but that's in general that people don't that's read a right. lot of the books they buy. That's right. They just, like, they just have them. Speaking of which, uh, so uh, this is sort of Nazi-related. Um, there's a YouTuber uh, called Doomcock. Um, he's really... I, 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 I liked his gimmick. Um, basically, he does YouTube reviews of TV shows and stuff. You guys probably haven't heard of this guy. No. And anyways, no. uh, his his gimmick is he dresses up like um, uh, his name is Dichter von Doomcock, so it's basically uh, Victor von Doom from 
uh, I guess, Fantastic Four, you know. Doctor Doom, yes. Doctor yeah, Doom, right. Dr. Doom. Um, so his video is done all, like, masked and gloved, and he's he's got, like, video production in the background. And he gives lectures, I guess, about uh, Star Wars movies and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, you know, why these things are sucking or whatever. Um, so I, I, I don't watch his show regularly. However, what I, I really liked is the gimmick. Like, it's just like, I've never seen a, the only other masked person who has a video, you know, is, uh, anonymous. And that's not one person, right? That's, uh, CIA. I've seen a guy who does a video. Who does a, wasn't it a, even a Hugo finalist list during puppy years? Some guy in a Star Wars uni, in a Stormtrooper uniform. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess there's, yeah. there's some audio ones as well where you know, you don't know what the person looks like. So yeah, this guy. Yeah, audio, you don't know what they, but this guy, uh, this was also, it was a gimmick. Some guy in a, I've had faint memories of some guy in a, in a Stormtrooper uniform. It's, uh, I, 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 I'm amused by like how much effort was put into this, this guy's thing and, uh, I don't, I'm not subscribed to his channel and, uh, and I don't watch his show very much, but I did like the gimmick. Um, and I, I guess, uh, about a year ago, I was telling Evan about, uh, how, how I like the gimmick, uh, like that he has set up. So it turns out that he has another channel on BitChute. If you guys know what that is, it's sort of, I'm vaguely aware mm-hmm. of it, but never went there before. Um, He's got a bit shoot channel where he is a uh, full Nazi. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's dressed in like a SS style uniform with a death's head on the top of his mask, which is like a gas mask. And he's got the hand, he's got gl- gl- like, he's completely covered in the same way that he's covered in, uh, as Dictor Von Doomcock. Dictor Von Doomcock is sort of like his, his friendly YouTube one. And the other one is like, uh, Ukraine war. Awesome. Uh, we are going to wipe out the, but the, the, the one video I watched, um, he's a Vril Nazi, you know, uh, Paul, you remember the yeah. coming race? Um, yes. <laughs> he's, he was like, he did a video on, uh, Vril, like how, you know, breathe through your nose and, Look get this energy, and it's like, oh God. and the thing is, is he somebody? I found out about this on like uh, Twitter, one of those Twitter podcast things where somebody goes online, starts talking. It's like Discord chat or whatever, right? So I was listening to it, and I'm like, yeah, these guys not super bright, but uh, one of the guy pointed out that this that they're the same guy. I've never been on Bitchute before, and it is. The guy has obviously he's like independently wealthy or is being funded by by some deep state shit because he has a lot of money <laughs> to to hire like models. They just are probably funding him about uh, okay. It's kind of weird. Why would they fund some, fund someone to to play Doctor Doom? I mean, I can't understand why they would fund someone to do a no, Ukraine or awesome, yeah. awesome channel. Of, well, I'm uh, also it's actually the, uh, illegal. Germany is actually illegal. Yeah, of to course. Where, uh, well, he doesn't. He doesn't. He has a Sodenrad, the Black Sun, right? He doesn't have a swastika, but he has the yeah. Death's Head, Sodenrad, bunch of other SS paraphernalia. A lot of a lot of things. For example, if you want, if you go to any kind of of medieval fair or something, and there are uh, there's a jewelry store, and often they have like like runic uh, jewelry, 
Eulery, if your name starts with an S and you want uh, want your name ruined, it, uh, you can forget it. Yeah, I can imagine the, the link coming up it's, on Safe Paul. Because uh, it has been, even though it's a single S, you can, but you can't get a single S rune. S rune because um, the, the S has of course used the rune and it's an illegal symbol. symbol. Um, and there are exceptions for, for example, for art projects and and movie production. So of course you can shoot all sorts of you can shoot movies with uh, movies and have people run around in nazi uniforms. As long as you're on, it's an approved movie, not a signature at some point you also get arrested. But uh, um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, I was just reading Paul's communication. Um, when you do try and click on it, it's Twitter that tells it you really it's unsafe. It's unsafe, yes. It's an unsafe thing. <laughs> well, I think I it's to good to know there are Nazis actually on, tw- uh, on uh, yeah. BitChute. Okay, it's just Nazis, but still, it's an unsafe link. I had this once. <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> Twitter. Twitter is telling you that, and you can't trust yeah, Twitter. I had this once. I thought it was the browser. <laughs> it's not. It's Twitter. It's the Twitter link. It was link. some kind of, of uh, anti-vex uh, vex, uh, nonsense stuff. And I was like, yes, of course, I know that that uh, that no COVID or any other vaccination is going to turn me into a zombie switched on by, by the phone. But I really wanted to read the nonsense, just to laugh about it. Well, sometimes sometimes reading uh, and seeing changes your point of view. I, I didn't think that there were that many Nazis on the Internet. I thought that was... The internet is sadly full of nazis. I mean, I've, well, I've blocked a lot I mean, of them. I, there's a lot in real life. You know, if you watch a few of those, uh, you know, on the ground in Ukraine videos, you see like there was a tank going by with a swastika on it, a Ukraine tank. There, there are kids giving, you know, Heil Hitler as uh, the tanks go by. It, it, it's a real thing. It's a real problem in Ukraine, right? It's, but uh, most of those people are not on my Twitter uh, timeline. <laughs> in Ukraine, when the in Ukraine when the when the when the Nazi army army was attacking the Soviet Union and they got to Ukraine and they got further than Ukraine actually they got got post and in Ukraine the people the people disliked the Soviets so much that quite a lot of them sided with the Nazis because at least they were not. This also happened in Latvia and so on. And it was like, okay, uh, yeah. these people My are awful, but they're not as awful as the Soviet Union. And unless you were huge, of course, then, uh, then the Soviet Union was a better choice. choice. But um, so, but this is probably why you still have this lingering Nazi. Also, there were actual Ukrainian collaborators yeah. with the Nazis. Yeah. Of course, they're all long, long dead now. Not a lot of them. Yeah, but people, stuff, if but you if you get the swastika tattooed on your yeah, body, I think you're you're not you're, you're modern. <laughs> but yeah, uh, those are of course modern. Those are modern things. In but this is I think where you still have it. Have it lingering. Was like okay, we kind of uh, we hate the Soviet. We hated the Soviets even more. More with this. That, that's that's what my that's what my Lithuanian grandparents would say. Yeah, yeah, Nazis were better than Soviets. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I've heard it from Latvia too. Like, okay, the Nazis were awful, but uh, but uh, we hated the Soviets even more. Let's yeah. let's uh, transition to a nice, friendly uh, <laughs> Crichton book, shall we? <laughs> yeah, with no so with no Nazis or no Soviets. Nazis, as far as I remember. With, with no I think Nazis. There, in there, a... I think there's Russian. There's, there's a Polish airline mentioned. Lots of Polish airline. I think there's Russian engineers mentioned at one point, but no Nazis. Uh, let's, yeah, let's get down the other side of the. Easy go. All right. So, um, David, the way this works, I'm going to say my name. Paul's going to say his name. Cora's going to say her name. And then you can say your name and you can plug your latest book or 
website okay. or anything you like. And then uh, I'll mention the year this book was published, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, okay. Let me just find out the year this book was published. Uh, I think it's 69. I think it was 60-something. Or I think you should introduce yourself as Hugo Winner Cora Bueller. <laughs> <laughs> Paul wants I, I, to I introduce you as Hugo Winner Cora Bueller. Um, how long does she get to do that, Paul? Is it six um, years? Is, until is nomination that the half-life? Until, until nomination season next year. All right. And then she can't, she can't call herself Hugo that winner. anymore. I can put Hugo Winner on every book I publish. Uh, yes, you can. Do it. Do it. Cora Bueller, comma, H-W. Like PhD. You can put it I after your name. Yeah, I, I, I stop using Hugo Finalist once the award is out. So I can't. I don't say Hugo finalist anymore. So you're still a three-time finalist until the next one. Finalist, and I hope you will eventually be a winner. <laughs> it would be nice, but maybe I don't next think... year or something. Probably, probably never. But that's okay. You've been a Hugo holder. That's what I do when people I've... people on the news are always saying he holds a, a bachelor's degree and blah blah blah. He holds a master's and he holds a PhD. <laughs> I have. Those pieces of paper nearby, so I can hold a PhD. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be mine, just as long as I hold it. I hold a PhD well, from I Harvard. Wow. I know, right? Printed up on a piece of paper and says, "Look, I'm doing it." And I don't have to show that on the video, right? I have held so many degrees. Then see, uh, <laughs> Paul, you you're a Hugo holder. <laughs> yes, I'm, I am. I, I am a five or six time Hugo holder. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Well, I've, I'm a two time Hugo. I've actually held two Hugos, Dublin's and my own, which is which is so badly broken that I can't sit, I, can, I can't take it off the shelf because otherwise the piece will break off again. I, and, uh, I beat y'all. I beat a black bear. Award, We're good a to go. Big German media award. <laughs> yeah, it was mine. It was a. It Here was a one size. It was a. It was a THW, the Federal German Disaster Relief Organization. They won a. They won a charity Bambi Award, and it's uh, on display in their their training center. And I did a. I did a. I taught an English class, English for first responders, at the training center, and they noticed I was fascinated by the Bambi Award. What, which was in a cabinet, and they so someone opened the cabinet and took it out and let me hold it. So You're I've a Bambi winner? Be- Bambi holder? Yeah, I'm a Bambi holder. I'm not a winner. <laughs> Bambis are... I can take Bambi in a fight. You have to do some charity work. So, and this was just because the whole organization wanted, and so they, they just say, okay, we'll put it in the training center so the people people can look at it. All right, here we go. Okay.